Welcome to Savvy Saps Podcast. This is episode 81, The Left Cancels Itself. Is it true? Is Norm Finkelstein correct about the left? Does the left cancel itself? And I want you guys to think about, too, this rally that's coming up. There's a lot of people, or not a lot of people per se, but there's people that have been saying, like, who we should organize with, who we shouldn't organize with, and all those kind of things. And think about what you heard from Norm uh, Finkelstein in the interview. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in Ashura. Wow, you are first tonight. What's up, Ashura? I'm good. Um, I, I only saw a partial of your uh, interview because I was working. I mean, not your interview, your, your your show tonight. So I saw the one with the the train thing, and I and I just came, I just got home and listened to a little bit of the Finkelstein one. Uh, I don't think Finkelstein, uh, I don't think he's that bad guy, but I, I love his, listening to him. But as for the uh, the train, explosive trains, it's like the Democrats, they're handing uh, Trump and DeSantis uh, <laughs> their, their fucking elections. And I, I'm, I'm like, really, you can't even do that right? And you're going to, Trump is going to use that against Biden, against Pete Buttigieg, every single member of the Democratic Party. He's going to basically say they're taking your jobs away by, you know, <laughs> making you not w- want to vote vote uh, to strike. They're basically going to uh, sh- shut you down basically by, by, by having robots basically control the trains from now. Because I'm pretty sure it's coming where these trains are going to be automatic. Yeah, I think he's going that one of the things that they can use to their advantage is look at what happened with the trains, look at what happened with the airlines under Pete Buttigieg as Secretary of Transportation. Like there are there's so many things that they can use as an example. Like this is a disaster. I mean, it's not even just one state, but it's just about the fact that the people in the community, how they're going to be affected, how they're already affected in reference to um the chemicals that have been released in the air, people having to evacuate their homes. And it's not just them. Like, there's been multiple trains since then that have derailed. Yeah, because uh, I was at work and a security guard that works uh, at the building, and he showed me a video. No, well, not really a video. He showed me a page. And this one was, like, 22, 2022. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, are these commons, are these things common every fucking year? To the point where they're, they're, they're kicking people off. They're not even giving them what they want, and you, you got the you got you got the the, the safeties are not re- being done. They're not being watched upon. Like uh, how 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 long you said you said that the, they do the safety safety uh safe uh, what do you call it? Uh, they basically look at if the trains are safe every five years. Why not make it every month, every week? Well, it's every five years for the trains here in Massachusetts. Like I don't know how many years it is for. Um, the train, the train that derailed in, in Ohio, it it could be less time than that, but in Massachusetts, it was supposed to be every five years for maintenance and inspections. And they did not do that under governor Deval Patrick's president, uh, presidency under his, um, under his leadership when he was governor. And so there were all these problems that happened in his last year with the transportation system. But again, he was leaving office. So, it's not like he was going to try to fix it. And then Governor Baker came in and then he inherited that mess. So I think that now we see also on the national level, this is one of the things that I will say that the um, the railroad workers, they complained about this before. They they tried to say to people when they when I interviewed them, 
they tried to mention to people that, hey, just FYI, they are laying people off and they're still trying to get us to do the same amount of work and they're shortcutting maintenance and inspections. They did complain about this, but Joe Biden didn't want to listen to them. You're going to, they're going to be flipped. I'm pretty sure they are. They're already flipped Michigan by now because I don't know if Joe Biden's going to give them health care. No, if they, like if this thing is seeping in the ground and the waterways, and I saw a picture like this was on YouTube or maybe on Twitter. There was a picture where they're showing the dead fish yep. floating on the water, and there was a creepy one where there's a frog that's like deep on the water. You couldn't see it's like it's it's lying on its back, and it's yeah. dead. Yeah, yeah, uh, we we showed that tonight. I, I think that, you know, a big part of the problem, again, is like, to that point that Roger was making, like, in reference to, like, Libby, Montana, this is something that those people in that area could probably fight for as well. They could say that, yes, we are fighting for Medicare for all, and we want to get it under the same reason that Libby, Montana was awarded this, yeah. because of the environmental hazard. Yeah, that that's that that's basically based on the corporation being fucking greedy. They didn't want to listen to the workers. They got so fucking greedy. Look what it is. So if if this is the thing that happens with every train train track, I would say there's no maintenance on on the trains or the tracks itself. Well, I, I guess you better give all these uh, rail world states uh, Medicare for all. You know, just just like that. Because if 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 the trains are gonna derail and they're gonna basically. Uh, basically uh, drop their contents on, on the soil and the water, might as well basically give them that. And and, and and I read somewhere, I think it was on Jimmy Dore's show, like some company decided to pay, like like the people they got, they poisoned $5. A total of $25,000, but they got paid $5 each in some, in some town. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know. It's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, what do you think about what Norm Finkelstein had to say about he wrote a new book called The Left is Canceling Itself. How do you feel? Uh, well, well, I do agree with it. I mean, look at the Jimmy, for example. Uh, they basically chased Jimmy, so, so, chased Jimmy away to the book where people were saying because his sub count is more right wing, they say, oh, he's right wing now, but you're the one fucking chasing him out of the club. You're chasing out of the call that he calls it. Joe Rogan's the same thing. Joe Rogan was like uh, pro Bernie Sanders, and then because uh, Joe he wouldn't let Joe Biden in, they fucking canceled him. And now Joe Rogan basically has more people on the right coming on his show than people on the left, and he's basically somewhat pro DeSantis. I think that's Joe Rogan's choice, though. <laughs> I mean, there's there's several people on the left that Joe Rogan could talk to. You know, I think it's just it's about who he knows and, and who he doesn't know. Maybe I think that's a big part of it is like, I don't think he knows a lot of the voices that are out there. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't know, man, like, I don't know how much someone's audience is right wing or left wing. or what. I don't know, because I'm not looking at the data. But I mean, yeah, like, yeah. But like, exactly. like, like, I polled you guys a couple times and some people were surprised to see that. Wait, there's people who watch Sabby's show that still believe in doing the progressive strategy? Yeah. If you look at the polls, like some of the polls that I've done, you can see that. Not everyone that watches me is 100% ag against that strategy. And so I think that it would be unfair to make assumptions about so-and-so's audiences, da-da-da, if we don't have the data. 
Yeah, because uh, when I say to that, I say, well, Jimmy hasn't changed, so how can he be right-wing if his audience is more right-wing? That doesn't make sense. And finally, um, did anyone give you an email? Because one, one of those organizers, a low-level organizer for the Rage Against the Machine, basically was on a call-in, and uh, I told him that there was enough black people at the event. Although he used the term people of color, I asked him about black people, but he used people of color as a term, so I, I gave him your name. So he hasn't email me, emailed you? Um, I'm sorry. I, I misunderstood it, sure. You said you contacted a, a who? I didn't contact him. He was on a call-in. He was on a call-in, and uh, I talked to him, and I said, well, the the uh, they were talking about the article that said uh, that the, 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 the rally that's, um, I think, next week was so white. They were talking about it. Yeah, and he I called saw in. He called in. He said he was an organizer there, and they asked him a couple of questions. So I asked him, well, why is it that uh, there's not enough black people to, you know, match the ratio of white people there? So he used the term people of color just to say there were other people that were there that were you no know, Asian, that kind of stuff. And I said, well, I'm talking about black people, not Asians and other people like that. So I, I gave him your name. So I don't know if he said he would email you, see if you could be part of the speakers. I don't think I would be invited to be a speaker because um, <laughs> uh I don't, I, I'm not too, I'm not too liked by movement for a people's party. So <laughs> uh, they're not organizing it. I think it's the, I think it's the, uh, what's no, name? they No, they are. It's them and the libertarian party. It's both of them. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think that they would reach out to me because of obviously the, if you guys, for people who are newer and don't know, obviously because of the interview that I did with Nick Brana, like, I don't think that they would. I don't think I, mean, I would be I would be someone they would reach out to. <laughs> well, it's, not, it's not like you were punching him hard. I mean, <laughs> you punched him, but he he, he flinched. You tapped him. <laughs> you were you weren't punching. You just tapped the guy and he ran. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that that's somebody. I don't think again. Like I was never a part of MPP to begin with, so there's that, and then there's also the fact that you know I I did. I asked him some questions that other people didn't ask him when he came onto their show. And it just is what it is. So I don't think that they, I, I wouldn't have, I would not expect them to ask me <laughs> uh, yeah. probably somebody else. Yeah, I would expect them to ask a Jamu Baraka. Yeah. Especially they, they said, yeah. They said they, they, they tried to ask him. They said uh, that he wasn't answering the DMS. I think Brick wasn't on the call then, and I think Sile or whatever Sile or Sele, whatever her name is, she was oh. on she was on that call in too. So they so, did they did try to get him. No, he just called in the guy from the the Libertarian Party. He came in, but the, no, that I guy mean, said, I mean, they did try to get a Jamu. Yeah, they did try to get a Jamu. Yes, but the guy called in because people were talking about the article itself because. Um, Seeley said that the article said sounded like biased as fuck. I tried to read the article, but it was so many fucking paragraphs. As I read it, I was like, yo, when is this shit gonna end? And I'm like, I just rage quit. <laughs> I will say, you know, DM, just from my experience, DM is not the best way to go when you're trying to get like some of the bigger names. I'm just gonna be 100% honest with you guys because they get so many DMs from so many people 
yours is probably going to get missed. Like this is this is just one thing to to point out. How would I have done it differently? Here's what I would have done. If they had already got Jill Stein, well, Ajamu was Jill Stein's running mate. So if they sent him a DM and there was no response, then I would have reached out to Jill. You see what I mean? I would have reached out to Jill and say, hey, I'm trying to invite Ajamu to be a speaker at this event. Could you um, let him know that we sent him a DM? That's what I would have done. But but that's me. But it appears like, again, based on what um, Ajamu has tweeted out, and I know I think Nick and CJ talked about this the other day, based on what he's tweeted out, I don't think he realizes he was invited. Okay. Okay. Not, not based on what I what I saw. Yeah, because I asked him a couple of questions. I asked him if the libertarians are not using the rally as a way to, you know, boost boost membership. He said no. Um, I said, well, how would you not know? If they, they, they don't they don't want to boost membership because you're a low level, you're a low level employ, uh, member. So you don't know if, they've, if the event's not really for to boost their members in the in the Libertarian Party. And uh, I, one thing I will say though, since MPP's a goner, I don't know why Nick Brown is going to every fucking event. I to tell you guys this, like I hate to be the bearer of, I don't say bad news, but keeping it real. But he goes to everything. He goes to everything. Like when I was a speaker at the Julian Assange rally, like he was there too. I didn't know he was coming. Like it's just, he goes to everything. So even for the people that are like, you should, people shouldn't go because he's going to be there. I'm like, what is he not going to be at though? <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, especially for the people that live in that area, like in that DC area, it's easy for them to come to these things like multiple events, you know? Yeah. If it was one critique I had about it, it's basically the fact that they're fundraising on top of they're doing the rally. I'm like, why are you fundraising? Who's fundraising? Uh, I think it's on their website. They're basically fundraising off of it, like the rally itself. I thought the fundraising was for the rally. No, oh, okay. I thought they were fundraising on top of it. I, I didn't know I you, had to, you had to be a... Uh, I don't think you had to be a, uh, you had to fundraise for a rally. Can't you just pitch it together or what? No, those things are expensive. It costs a lot of money. Um, even the Assange rally, like they raised money for that. They had a GoFundMe for that. Like Misty went on multiple shows, you know, to tell people, hey, we're trying to do this. It costs money. Like you have to have a permit. You have to have, like they block off a certain amount of space that you're allowed to be in. Also, if you actually want some type of sound, you need to have sound equipment. That shit's expensive to rent if you don't already own it. Like those things are expensive. And then the other thing too is some people, I haven't seen this at, I haven't seen this at like the Boston rallies, but there are some speakers that will require an honorarium depending on what the event is. So like if you have to pay for speakers, if you have to pay them like $300, $500 or whatever, you have to factor that in too. Um, but no, these, ra these rallies are not cheap to do. Then there's also the question of, are we going to have some type of bathroom services there available for people? Like, especially people to bring kids, are we going to have porta potties? How much does that cost? How much does the marketing materials cost? Like it's expensive. Okay. Anyways, I'm going to let uh, other people speak. Alrighty. 
Okay. Bringing in the lovely Miss Delthea. Hey. What is going on? Hey, How are can you? Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Good. I have to ask because I never know. <laughs> um, I'm not drinking tonight. Yay! <laughs> that's that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to. Um, about this this book, um, the left canceling itself. To which I say, yeah, and. I guess the idea is that what Norm is trying to say, and I've heard other people complain about this too, is that the reason why we're not getting anything done is is because of this reason, because we have like these purity tests and we don't want to organize or some people don't want to organize with certain people. And if others do, then those people are automatically canceled. And I think that's something that like Norm is, I guess that's what he's trying to talk about, at least more so in that book is to like, if you keep having all these purity tests, then the left is going to eat itself. Like the right doesn't have to really cancel us because we're doing it to ourselves. The women's suffragette movement began in Seneca Falls in the 1840s. Um, women's suffrage happened in 1920. For over 70 years, everybody in that, in that movement was canceling each other. In the civil rights movement, there's always been people canceling each other. Every movement we've ever done, people cancel each other. What saves these movements is that there's always a contingent of people who do business-type things in a business-type manner. They're not bureaucrats. They're true believers. But they are prepared to put emotions aside and get the work done. They keep the lights on. They keep the cause moving, okay? What we have with the left in this country right now, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't get along because we should, because we need those business type people. But it's nothing new, nor is it a new twist on an old thing. The left in this country will organize because there are people like you, there are people like me, there are people like your listeners who are willing to do the work. Okay. So I'm 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 not trying to dismiss the canceling. I'm not trying to dismiss, you know, circular firing squads. I'm just saying it's nothing new. And we can and will work through it. Now as for Finkelstein and his Take on black people. Hold on. <laughs> okay. I, 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 typed, I typed this in the chat and because it's something that my father told me. And he told this to me before I even started school. I had all my baby teeth when he told me this. And he said, I'm going to tell you something about white people. He said, white people in the South don't care how close you get as long as you don't get too high. And white people in the north don't care how high you get as long as you don't get too close. Mm. People sing from the north. And because he's not close to black people, which he basically said, 
okay, in that, in that, because I watched that, um, that whole interview before. He says that. But he seems to think that somehow he know us. How do you know us if you don't know any of us? I got that in You know, you, and I'm not saying, I don't want to hear him talk about how he got a black friend. I don't want to know about how he would have voted for Obama a third time. I don't want to hear about none of that. Finkelstein strikes me as a man who would be in favor of a black family moving into his neighborhood, but then he can live in that neighborhood with that family for 40 years and never darken their threshold. Mm. Preach, Delthea. Okay. That's that, that. So when he starts talking, and don't get me wrong, there are things he says that are, are spot on, just like anybody else. But when it comes to race, he don't know. You need to sit down. You need to take a break. You need to go outside, as my grandma used to say, go outside and sit with yourself. Well, also, too, it's like he's, he's having that conversation. He's having, so listen, my husband heard this earlier. Before I went live tonight, he heard that. I told him about it. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, what? <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, listen, I totally get where he's coming from about the class analysis. Like, yes, you know, like yeah. people were struggling. Like, I totally get it. And it's not a new thing, right? Totally get that. Mm-hmm. But I think he seems to have this perception that everybody is just living together in racial harmony now. And that's not the case. Like, especially especially if he's coming from the Northeast and I live in the Northeast, the Northeast is very, very segregated. And so mm-hmm. I think there have been improvements over time. It's not as bad as it was when he was, you know, growing up. But let's mm-hmm. not pretend like everybody's just living harmoniously together and, and things like that. We still have to deal with like the real estate issues with real estate uh, agents not wanting to sell to black homeowners. We still have to deal yeah. with the fact that you have black homeowners who are not getting the proper appraisal for their property unless mm-hmm. they stage it as a white person lives there and have their white friend come into the house and say they're the ones that live there. We've seen this all documented. Mm-hmm. This has all been documented oh, and, yeah. and, and televised, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, like to say that like, white people are just a smidge above black people. No, that's that's not true. That is not true. And I yeah. think that See, you don't know what he means by a smidge though. See, when you and I say a smidge, we mean something like maybe a quarter of an inch. Now his smidge may be eight miles. And if that's the case, then his smidge is a smidge. I see what you mean. That's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, I think if I interviewed him and he said that, I would ask him that question. What do you mean by a smidge? Yeah. You know, what do you mean I by what do you mean by that? Because if he means a quarter of an inch like you and I do, then he's a damn lie. And no, I'm not going to say that he's ignorant. That is too big a mistake not to be done on purpose. I don't know, man. It just made me feel some kind of way. And then the other thing is, too, he's having the conversation. Like, granted, the conversation was about more than just that. But it's like to say that to someone who's not living that that reality, like obviously Aaron's not black. So to say that to someone who's not right. li- living that life and living that reality, it's mm-hmm. kind of not fair. 
because what what is Aaron supposed to say? Come back and say, well, that's not true. Like he's not living that life. Right. So it's it's just I don't understand like some of these academics, man. And I used to work with like these academics, and like I don't understand why they think that they ain't they fun. I love I love professors, I, and I really love professors emeritus. They're so much fun because once they drop out of whatever it is that they taught, you know they. They don't, they don't know, they don't know donkey doo-doo. They just don't. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, yes, like we, everybody needs to have healthcare. Everybody needs to have like these things. And I think it, it is a big problem. At the same time, though, you can do both. And I think that's the piece mm-hmm. that's missing, like from the left is like, there are other causes that we do need to fight for. Like I have friends that are indigenous. Mm-hmm that are fighting for, you know, certain rights that they've been deprived of, you know? And I think that yeah. we just can't forget about, you can't forget about the other groups and just pretend like we don't have issues that are unique to our identity that are still a problem mm-hmm. in this country. But see, the problem is now it's gotten to the point in the left, like if you even bring up race or if you ever bring up sexuality, people are like, no, no, don't talk about that. That's identity politics. That's my life. This is my everyday well, reality. You know, there's an old joke um, about, you know, what do you call a doc? What do you call a black doctor in Virginia? A nigga. A lot of that is still true. Yep. I'm not trying to dismiss class, but a lot of that is still true. And if my kid is on a back road here in North Carolina, I started this in Alabama, but he can be right here in North Carolina. He's a college-educated man. He is in middle management where he works. All of that is true, but if he gets stopped by the wrong cop on the wrong road at night, none of that's going to matter. No, it's not even the same for uh, even for celebrities because Stephen A, as, as much as he annoys me with his take sometimes, Stephen A has actually talked about this himself, where he's, he was pulled over by the police and the officer already had his hand on his gun. Before like Stephen A kept his hands on the wheel, he said the officer already had his hands on the gun and it was the second officer who was in the police car with him who came up to him and said, whoa, 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 you can't, that's Stephen A, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yep, and the only way, like Stephen A was just like, Honestly, if it wasn't for who I was, if that other guy didn't recognize me, he said, who knows if I would be sitting here right now? There's a good chance he wouldn't. Will Smith has talked about being pulled over by the police. Like LeBron James has for July. Yep. Yep. Every July, he had a blockbuster movie. But they don't see you. They just see your color. So there's still something to be said for that. I do think that we need to talk more about class than we do, but that doesn't mean that we stop talking about race. Because that's what can get you killed. Yeah, unfortunately, some people think that you shouldn't mention it at all. And and that's just that's a scary thing. It's like this is our reality for some of us. Well, some people can stop out my butt with a hundred jack biscuits. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I want to bring going to be talking about it. Yeah, it's just I want to bring in Noel. Noel, I want to get your take on this too. Do you feel like the left is canceling itself? Do you feel like 
You know, I feel like some of the things that uh, Norm said, I agree with, like, especially the class stuff, I totally get it. But I also feel like he, I feel like he was, I feel like he was exaggerating a little bit. You just have to unmute Noel. Good evening, everybody. Um, hey, Miss Noel. Hey, Miss Delthea, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let me say this. First of all, I don't think in the United States we have a functioning left to even talk about. Um, and to the degree that there are interest on what would be a left as opposed to the definitive right, those interests are not in an alignment. And they're not organized in any type of alliance or coalition enough to be really considered a functioning left. That mm -hmm. said, and, and I do believe that it's a part of the reason why Norm can identify a type of cancellation thing. But the reality is, in terms of any of these types of um, political posturings like left or right, you have to have a core set of principles and beliefs mm -hmm. that undergird your whole positioning on the left. It's just like any other type of organization. You have to have that core set of beliefs and understandings which characterize and defines the left. And I'm mm -hmm. sorry, in this country, I cannot understand or appreciate the concept of a left that does not fundamentally require justice and an, an embrace of justice for the descendants of slaves, which in this country is the least of these. So if you're trying to organize and say, well, we're going to have this and we're going to have that, if my very existence and this speaks to one's various intersecting identities. If the core of who I am is somehow offensive or against your core principles as a group, then no, we're not going to be organizing and being in an alliance and we're not going to find any common ground because first I need you to embrace and dignify my existence. We have to come to these tables as equals. And if you're just like what Fred Hampton said to the poor whites who he was inviting into the rainbow coalition thing, you have to renounce your, your racist tendencies, beliefs and ideologies because that threatens the whole premise of what we're organizing for. Now, you can't come in as a poor white person and say, oh, I'm going to protect my white privilege. But beyond that, we can organize for workers' rights, this, that, and a third. And I'm saying, do you think I am going to find myself in an alignment with you when after all is said and done, even if we win, I am still going to be subordinated to you? That does not work. You have to recognize that this system has been unjust and that we need to those fixes. And when those fixes bring me to the baseline of where you already are, then we join together and fight as a team for what none of us have. But if you, as a precondition to the organization, 
are putting down that you're going to protect your white privilege. But we can organize on this other stuff. I'm like, no, you keep it moving. And that's, I think, a part of the problem in this rage against the war movement or or um thing event that they have planned if you have people in the libertarian party whose views and positions officially are anti-black anti-lgbtq anti this that and a third well hell no ain't nobody black or lgbtq gonna be wanting to stand on no stage with you because we know at a moment's notice you would slit my throat and to the point that Delthea was making earlier, we have had a woman's movement. We have had the civil rights movement. We have had all these movements, uh, um, the, uh, Americans with disabilities. We've had all these movements. But today, coming to the end of the first quarter of the 21st century, blacks across the board are still at the bottom. Black women still don't have rights and access that white women have. Blacks still don't have rights and access to opportunities that white people have. So my thing is, you know, we've come this far by faith, participating in some of these broad, non-racial based movements. And at the end of the day, everybody gets what they want and we're still left out. We're still left with our hands out. And I think that's going to be the problem. If we can't, as a class, say that we need to deal with race within class so that we can be on the same page, then there is no real organization because after it's all over, I'm still going to be fighting about race, but you will have gotten class. And if I don't get race, Whatever we win is class, mine's still going to be secondary and subordinated to yours. And I think that's well, what that, a, a real problem is. Right. Well, that, well that's what happened. That's what happened. We, black people, got, we got the legislation. We got the court cases. We got that. But because we left, you can't leave the fox in, in the chicken yard. Okay? Even if you put the fox on a leash, you can't leave him in the chicken yard. He's still going to find a way to kill all the chickens. And that's what we did because we did make um, alliances with people who were not on our same page. I think part of the problem... all work and turn it to their advantage. Go on. I think part of the problem is something that Noel mentioned about like what are we what are we bonding over? What are the core principles that we all are agreeing on? And I think that piece has been lost because it mm-hmm. seems like before that was easy for us to figure out because we were uniting under Bernie Sanders campaign. Right. But when Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders stepped down in 2020 and did not continue on with his movement, it seems like as time has, has gone by, people have forgotten about what is it we're supposed to be uniting over because Things have changed. Like I'm hearing some leftists tell me that they don't think that Medicare for all is actually the right thing now. Now some people are saying, no, we need something different. So I think this is the thing about having the leader walk away from the movement. Now people are kind of like, well, I don't know what we should agree on anymore. So I think like, you know, in in reference to like the, the rage against the war machine rally, like I told you guys before, I'll be there covering the event. Um, are there things that I would have done differently if I was organizing? Oh, absolutely. But I'm not the organizers. 
And I, what is the best response to that? I think is would be for me to organize my own thing. Um, but I think that some of the criticisms that have come out about this rally have been legit. And some of the criticisms have been fabricated. And some of them is just people who criticize every action that we do. It's the same people that come in. When I, when I went to the uh, Julian Assange rally in DC in October, some of those same people that are criticizing this event also criticize that event. Now, what you mad about that event for? Now, especially if you say we need free speech, we need free press, that kind of thing. They found ways to attack that same thing. They were criticizing some of the speakers and that rally actually had, if I'm looking back on, I have to go back and look at the picture because you had me one, two, three, four, that rally had at least for first of all, there weren't as many speakers as there are at this rally, nowhere near as many, Mm -hmm. but that rally had at least five African-American speakers. But again, that was a different organization. That was action for Assange that put that together. But even back then, some people like it wasn't as bad as this one, because this one is this event looks like it's going to be really huge. But even with that one, people are like, why is this person invited to speak? Some people were not happy about the fact that I was invited to speak. They were like, this isn't a big name. Yeah, no, I'm not a big name, but I was invited to speak. So, so what? Like it just, so every event, I saw this with the Medicare for all marches, not last year, but the year before that, when we had them in over 50 cities across this country, guess what Mm -hmm. people criticize? They criticize who the speakers were. Why is Jimmy Dore speaking at Medicare for all? Why is so-and-so speaking? They were in over 50 cities across this country. There were so many speakers. And what did people choose to focus on? Why is Jimmy Dore speaking? So it's just, it's the same people though. It's the same people making these attacks. Although this time around, there are other people that are giving criticisms. And I I get where some of it is coming from. Because like, to me, I said, again, if I was the one organizing this rally, not only would there have been more black speakers, but I would have reached out to them first. Uh Just like when I did my women's summit, I reached out to them first because what ends up happening is if you say you're looking for big names, well, I hate to say it, but most of the big names in left media and and left politics are white. So that's mainly what you're going to get. And then then you start to look around like, oh, maybe we need to diversify this a little bit. Then when you go to reach out to black people for speakers, then some of them don't want to join because they're looking at the speakers and they're like, no, I'm not going to be your token. And I think that's what's happening. So it sounds like they did reach out to a Jammu, I guess, via DM, which again, I don't recommend with a lot of big name people because they get so many of them, but it seems like maybe he didn't see it or maybe he got invited late. That's another thing too. Some people don't like that. It's like, no, you invited all these other people before me and now you want to come to me and invite me the week of some people don't like that. So there's that. Um, but I, I mean, I will say like, I was kind of surprised not to see Margaret Kimberly, not to see, uh, and, and Margaret Kimberly isn't just a writer for those who don't realize she has a radio show, you know, she's part of black agenda report. Like I was surprised not to see her, not to see Danny Haifong, not to see Ajamu, not to see really? Cornel West. Cornel West could be hard to get cause he, he does travel and stuff. But there's well, so yeah, many well, other people. Cornell's a hard get. But go on. Yeah, but but, but I think Moore, here's here's the other thing. We need to consider, like you say, they may have reached out to some of these people, but there's some core principles that the leadership of the 
the Libertarian Party at this point are really problematic. And these people, mm -hmm. some of the big names that are that represent diversity, are not going to be on these stage when there are deep philosophical differences about the core values of the Libertarian Party. But what they're just not. Well, what about black people that are a part of the Libertarian Party? Because when this was first announced, I reached out to Larry Sharp and asked him if he was attending. He said, no, he's going to be actually traveling. But Larry Sharp, black libertarian, there are black libertarians. So what about those people? I mean, for me, it's like, again, I think the idea with this rally was to bring people together across political ideologies that all agree that we need to stop war. And and so that's the one issue where they're supposed to unite over. Although if you look at the list of demands, it also includes like ending all the wars and free and Julian Assange as well. Okay. That's 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 fine. But if you're going to tell me I need to be on the stage with essentially David Duke and say, Well, we want to agree to end war, and I'm thinking, and you would slip my throat once we ended all the wars, that's problematic. And I know that may not be the philosophical barrier for all of the people, but I'm sure that's a part of it. I don't, and I then don't you see, I don't see anybody like David Duke as a speaker for for this event. Let, let's no, I'm just saying philosophically, when people have that deeper divide, there is a contingency in that Libertarian Party that seized control of it. And it's either, I can't think of the name, but it's something like Mycelix or Mycel or something. And they're like really a extremist contingent within the Libertarian Party and they have control of it. And, you know, like I say, you know, as a woman of trans experience, if there are people who deny my existence or feel that I am just some type of a confused man or this and that, no, I don't want to organize and speak on nothing you got because you're denying my very, the legitimacy of my very existence. And I'm just using that as an example of some of the philosophical differences that can prevent people from appearing in the same types of um, events. You know, it, it's kind of like when Martin Luther King said he was leery of the white moderates because right. they were with him in terms of desegregating the public accommodations. But when it came to economic equality, they were some of his most stringent adversaries. And this is the issue we face and and I know this um, event is a separate thing from the left in general as a left movement. But I'm saying these are some of the issues that we face in this country, even this at this late stage. These are the issues that plague us because we can never address them. We can never talk about them. We can never get past them. It's taboo. You're called divisive if you raise the issue. And, you know, I do have a fundamental question. It's like, what is the fundamental problem with reparations for the descendants of slaves that is not essentially a concession to the fact that America is deeply racist and they're afraid of offending some racists? That's, the, yeah, well, that's the only reason I can feel why people are just really against reparations, because we all know 
that slavery was wrong and we know the intermediate history from slavery to now. We know about redlining, we know about the massacres, we know about the lynchings. These things are almost common knowledge. But to say that this group that whose lineage runs right into that, and even at this stage is still at the bottom of every socioeconomic statistic, that something fundamentally is wrong and we know that they have never been repaired. Why is it an issue to suggest that there should be some repair? I just don't get it outside yeah. of a deep seated racism. That's a good point. No, well, um, Delthea, go gonna, ahead. Gonna, go ahead. Delthea. Well, I'm getting ready to say. What I was getting ready to say was, um, cause I'm getting ready to, to, to check out here in a minute, but you have, when you're walking a picket line, you're going to have to walk a picket line with somebody you've never put, you've never let in your house. If you're doing something for the short haul, because we're not going to be on the picket line forever. That's one thing. If you're talking about a long-term movement, that's something else. You pick your battles and you pick your allies. But allies are transitory. They're not permanent. Okay? You use who you can, when you can, how you can. And when you can't use them anymore, you cut them loose. But even when you're on the same page, when you both say we don't want more, you always keep, you always keep one eye on that person. Because Noel's got a point. The moment you take your eye off, yeah. that person could very well trip your throat. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Delthea. I want to pivot to Lucy, and then we're going to okay. go to Eric. Thank you so much. All right. Good night, y'all. Uh, hi, Lucy, Tabby. How are what's you? Up? <laughs> um, nice to hear the call in again. Um, so, uh, okay. So, I have a number of <laughs> thoughts about this. First of all, I don't. I don't really speak for left or right. I consider myself independent not left at this point. Um, but uh, I basically, I feel like um, people are, I think it's good to talk about the ideological differences and all of that. But um, my issue is when, um, you know, because there are, but you know, I don't know if people know this, but there are actual Democratic ops like all over Twitter. Right. And when there's a pro-choice rally, for example, um, you know, people will go to those rallies and, and they'll say stuff like it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a Democrat as long as you agree with the Democrats that organize that event on this issue. And that's perfectly fine when it's a pro-choice rally. Right. Um, they have no problem joining forces with people that disagree ideologically, politically on the ne Democratic Party, for example. But when it comes to anti-war, that never happens. You know, it's always, uh, you know, we have to focus on this other issue first. We have to talk about homophobia. We have to talk about racism. I'm not saying all of those things aren't important, but if you think about like <laughs> the source problem, like, like how did racism come about? It came about through colonialism, through war, <laughs> you know? So 
I feel like, you know, yes, it's true that a lot of these people or some of these people, I don't know all of them, you know, they might have a lot of shortcomings. But at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, I, I really feel like people in the United States look need to look at other countries a little bit more because other countries are not really in this mindset of the minorities versus the majority if that makes sense um uh and people do come together with homophobes and racists and uh what i'm not saying come together when i say come together i don't mean that you are going to be living in the same house i mean for one event you know if you go to one event uh in a public area at a permitted rally the likelihood that that is actually unsafe is very low. Um, and I feel like people are taking uh, uh, the ideology of being unsafe when you're talking about you know, disagreeing with somebody like Norman Finkelstein. Yes, it may be that he doesn't understand some things, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be physically unsafe when you go to an event. So I feel like when people like take the word unsafe from you know a very ideological way of framing unsafe uh this is actually um kind of doing the work of ops for them because you're basically saying you're basically scaring the shit out of people and saying that they are not going to be actually physically safe when they go to an event um which i think is very counterproductive um and yeah for those people it. for those people just really quick lucy for those people who are not aware um there have been people saying this on social media just fyi for those of you that are not i know some of you told me you're yeah. not on twitter and, there have been and, people and saying by that. the way like you know maybe um racism is kind of the first canary when it comes to this kind of thing but i'm i, I know you know this sabby like i you know we've seen it happen to uh for example women for example they get they can't accuse women of sexism they'll accuse them of racism or the uh female event planners if it's black women uh you know may, they can't accuse them of racism but they'll accuse them of homophobia so like you know whatever the identity of the event planner is uh these people come in and they find some kind of flaw some kind of judgment in this person's past they like scroll through their twitter and see what they did that's that's that they've done wrong, <laughs> you know, and nearly everybody in the world is going to have, there's going to be something unappealing about their personality because it actually is extremely hard to be perfect as a person. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, that these people don't have evident flaws, but like, you know, there's, there's going to be something wrong with anybody. And, um, what's interesting to me is I'm white, right? So I, I've been used to like, you know, people not trusting me because I'm white. Um, but I've seen, uh, you know, like these accusations of homophobia and stuff launched at black people to derail their events. And, um, and when it happens to them, they get really mad. Why? Um, well, it, it, I mean, like <laughs> in the beginning I was surprised and then it kind of like suddenly dawned on at me. Oh, you know, like, uh, they're not used to people not trusting them in this kind of social justice arena. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, when it happens to them, like, 
this is kind of a thing where I feel like you don't have to like white people to understand that, um, like, what Norman Finkelstein, I think he has a lot of bad racial takes, but what he, what white (laughs) people, I feel like, uh, what they, what they have been warning people, which other people don't want to listen to, is this whole cancellation thing, it's not going to happen just to white people. They've refined it. Um, so they have a different system for everybody. You know, if, if, if you're a, a Mexican man, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll use sexism or, you, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, I, I, so I've, I've seen like, those things too. So I feel like people, you know, you might say like, oh, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh white people don't, uh, this white person doesn't recognize or, or legitimize my exist or respect my existence. Um, what do you want me, them to do? Do you want them to make a statement before every event? Like what what I'm saying is that yes, Norman Finkelstein, his racial uh, his racial views they they need a lot of work, but you're not gonna get there if you don't even talk to him. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. And and I don't think he's someone that's dangerous to be at an event with. You know what I mean? So. Uh, what I'm saying is is to be wary, like for people that are not white, that they don't think it's a concern for them to ever be canceled in the future because they fit into this and this and this other category. These cancellation warriors, they will come after you. Like I've seen them yes. come after all kinds of people, not just not just white people, not just men. So I, I would I would put a fair warning on that. Like if you don't think it can happen to you because Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. They manage always to find something. So <laughs> that, they even come that, after people that are. They even come after. They even come after people that are not big. Um, I I'm gonna have to. I'll try to see if I can have a conversation with Norm Lucy because some of the things that he said in that interview, I was just like, oh my god! <laughs> like, I was like, there is no way he believes this. Let's bring in uh, Eric. Eric, what's up, my friend? Hey. What's your take on all of this? Is the left canceling itself, according to Norm uh, Finkelstein? I um, I feel like I've had this conversation before. Like, whether it's Jordan Bree or whoever, but it just feels like, what do we mean by left? Because w- at least when I think of it, I don't, I don't include liberals on that. Like, are we? If it's really anti-capitalist versus liberals, then it's like, nah, it's not really canceling. It's more like, um, I don't know, like, like we're setting an actual standard. Um, but what is the standard? Because again, I, like, I, what are we? What are we unifying? Or I should say, uniting. What are we uniting over nowadays? Give, give me something besides Medicare for all. And, and some people don't even want to do that anymore. Give me something besides Medicare for all. What are we unifying over? Really? <laughs> In no, terms- I'm, I'm serious, Eric, because like people, like again, like ever since Bernie Sanders has been in his campaign, the left is uh, fractured and some people have moved away from some of the policies that we were cheering for. I mean, if you're talking about outside of Medicare for all, like, and if and I'm assuming you're including like every, like liberal, like social democrats, everybody into that. Um, 
if you're including social democrats in that, then hell no. We haven't done we haven't done anything on that. Um not really. But if you're like if you're just talking about like actual anti capitalists just focusing on class, then that's I guess that's the thing, but but yeah, that, that one goes so far too. Right, but see but see Eric, that's the thing I'm the point I'm trying to make is like what what principles are we uniting over? Like everybody will say that the first one is usually Medicare for all. But outside of that, what else are we uniting over anymore? Since since the Bernie campaign, because this is this is the problem. So like Eric, my producer, has eleven demands, right? And Eric has spelled out eleven demands that he would like to create a movement over. And I think that's very important because I think, again, like what are the demands? What are we asking for besides Medicare for all? I feel like people have forgotten that. I I, I don't know. Like, I feel like people haven't forgotten that. Like, I just feel like everybody's coming from different places on stuff. Like, everybody's just trying to do different things. Um, like, you've... You some people that prefer that are like thinking about more so mutual aid. There's some people that are thinking about, you know, that actually think about like actual police abolition. Um, you have people think. I, I think you just have people think about like and prioritizing different things. It just feels like everybody's all over the place. But even something like police abolition, even some leftists don't want that. They don't think that's a good idea. You know, Omani no- Lauren had this conversation um, on TYT. She's had this conversation with numerous people. Even some people on the left don't want police abolition. So again, that's why I'm asking. Like, then that's then that's a that's a problem, right? I, I agree with you. But then also, some people on the left don't want reparations. So again, yeah. it's like we have to be uniting over something other than Medicare for all. But I'd have to say, like, I'd have to say, first of all, the left has to actually figure out what it actually is. Because you can't have this that dysfunction over police abolition, like, actual important stuff like police abolition, abolition reparations. Um, you can't... You can't have this dysfunction, especially when you're trying to present your case to the actual people. Like... I mean, to all the people, like, for reparations, like... How can you be against reparations in the 21st century? With all the shit we know. Like, what the fuck? Like, how are you against that with what we know? Because people would argue that that's not based on class policies. That's based on identity. But I would also argue that reparations is, that's economics. That's an economic situation, too. That's what yeah. I argue. Yeah, you're you're trying, you're basically... Repairing, well, not even repairing. You're trying to make sure things are made whole. You're trying to fix, obviously, fix an egregious, not even mistake, an egregious act that was done. You're, I mean, like, what the hell? Exactly. Not even just that. It's a debt that's owed. It was General Sherman's promise that was never. that never actually came into fruition. And I think people need to understand that. Like it was a promise from General Sherman. And I think that like 
But again, like I said, like some people will say this is not a part of class politics. I'm, I'm going to bring in uh, Roger. I'm going to add you as a speaker, too, because I know at one point you did reach out to MPP. and You did ask, are you going to put reparations as a part of your platform? But. Oh. But yeah, like it's I've been like in conversations with a lot of people on reparations and it's been coming up a lot as a topic for some reason. And and be like, oh, those those people don't deserve cash. I'm like, whoa, whoa, back back the fuck up. What do you mean those people don't deserve cash, bro? Like even you ain't you ain't paying for the shit. Like, you're you're really not. And here's another piece of the problem. When you contextualize the demand for reparations, we first have to see it as a justice issue. But if you stand back away from reparations and you hear the people say, well, you were never a slave and I'm not a slave owner, so that's that, and yesterday was yesterday. But when you examine American history, the wealth that the people who own slaves in this nation have been full, it was capitalized. It was used to leverage the building of institutions. We have banks, we have schools, we have all these things that came out of the investiture of those earnings that were gained and people were not paid. So you can say, well, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave and you weren't a slave owner. But when we look at the people who are at the top of this society, that money is still with us. And if you can track an inheritance, if you can track a, um, a um, what do you call it? A, a 501 plan or any type of inheritance that has been passed and you can link it back to generations before, that same time frame that you were getting wealth passed forward we were getting detriment passed forward. Those were things that we could not pass forward. And when you integrate the um, massacres into the picture, everything that has happened to the descendants of slaves in terms of a negative experience in this country has never been dealt with. For the redlining, they say, okay, well, we'll stop. But there is nothing to correct the fact that it happened. When we talk about the black wall streets that were burned to the ground. Nothing ever happened in way of recompense. And so these people have had trauma, but they have also had to start over generation from generation to generation with zero. And then when we come up right to the 21st century, the um, financial collapse of 2007-8 wiped out the majority of black wealth that was in people's homes. We have a whole nother set of people having to start over from zero. And I just think people don't realize that these mechanisms and these strategies that do not address what has happened, keep us pit to the bottom because we can never build wealth. Well said. But see, what would Norm Finkelstein say about that? See, that's that's the thing. Shit. People with the the loudest like mics. That's that's a, that's part of the problem. Um, 
I just feel like like I feel like people um like we're kind of stuck in this kind of dual polarity of thinking of anti-war versus local issues but I feel like the bigger picture is more just that on a global level right um this war this Russia-Ukraine war is going to cause a lot of external repercussions not only for Europe and the United States, you know, stuff like food shortages, that they say that food shortages are coming and stuff like that, but also Africa. All of Africa, apparently, is going to have food shortages because of this war. So, um, you know, I, I feel like it's good to think about, um, you know, yeah, like we need to do something locally, too. Um but I feel like there seems to be a lack of kind of making the con mental connections for people so that they understand that globally you should support anti-war because you are, this is a way to support, um, you know, just <laughs> the global south. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want to support the global south, support anti-war. It's not just about people inside this country. Um, and also, and not just that, but like um, a lot of the countries in the global south, uh, it, particularly the, the ones that are full out communists, like Venezuela, Venezuela, like in, 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 in the Bronx, Venezuela used to provide um, cheap heating and um, to, to people that live in public housing. And, um, you know, nobody talks about this, you know, like Venezuela. And then where where are people when they're talking about calling for ending sanctions to Venezuela? It seems like nobody remembers kind of the favors that Venezuela has done for people in this country. Um, so I feel like there's a lack of solidarity from Americans um, towards people in some of these other countries. And I, you know, I think it makes sense because people are kind of located, you know, they're focused on their own issues and it's understandable. But at the same time, that's really missing. And um, we're only talking about the the lack of solidarity from some of these libertarians and stuff. But I also feel like minorities in this country, they also lack solidarity towards people in other countries. And I'm, I'm sorry if that's a little blunt. Well, you know what? I, I see that a lot. It's okay to be blunt, but let's be clear here. And I think there is a misunderstanding of about what's going on in this discourse right now. There are three different topics that are being discussed right now, Lucy. One is the wage against the war event. That is a separate type of discourse from the discourse we were having about Norm Finkelstein and what the left is, if there is a left, and what would be some of the core underlying um, beliefs and values that guide a left. Beyond and in addition to that conversation is the conversation about the adjacency of race and the role it plays in trying to organize the left. So there is a, a three different tiers of conversations that's going on here. And I don't, and it seems like that you are suggesting or you think that these um, exchanges we're having about racism and reparations in this country is within the same context of saying, well, that's why we don't support the rage against the war effort. And what I was saying earlier is that there have there apparently have been outreaches to some of the people 
the people, quote unquote, of color by the event organizers. And I was speculating that within the context of those inquiries, some of the people who were approached may be resistant to appearing on the platform before because of some of the philosophical differences they have with one of the two groups of organizing, that being the People's Party and the Libertarian Party. That is a separate conversation and point than I was making about the left and the left's position and problems they have when it comes to race. So this is not one big comprehensive um, discourse. These are kind of like three separate channels that we're discussing here. And I do understand that war, and I am against the war across the board. So let's be clear with that, that I'm not saying, ooh, I personally would not be against the war. But what I did say personally is that I personally would not find myself appearing on stages with people who I know their philosophies are against my existence, but that's on a personal basis. I'm not saying other black people or other people of trans experience shouldn't or wouldn't appear, but I'm saying in terms of my personal constitution and philosophy, I would not. So let me just add something here really quick because this brings up another question. Is there a difference between speaking at the event and going to the event? And I, I bring this up because Medea Benjamin issued a public statement. Um, if you check on her Facebook, you can see this as well, where she announced that she would no longer be speaking at the rally because people were asking. She actually, when I signed up to attend the rally, it was just at that point in time, the only speakers that had been announced was Garland Nixon, Jimmy Dore, and Medea Benjamin. That was it at that point in time. So this is before all these other people like joined. And so she actually uh, issued a statement. I'm going to pull it up really quick because I want you to hear. I want you guys to hear what Medea said. Um, she said, many people have asked me, why am I not speaking at the, ra the Rage Against the War Machine rally in D.C. on February 19th? Here's why. I supported the Rage Against the War Machine rally from the time of its conception, and I support it today, even though I will not be one of the speakers, because the organization I have been associated with for 20 years, Code Pink, urged me not to speak. The Code Pink staff felt that my participation would hurt the group standing with other coalitions committed to gay rights, women's rights, and anti-racism. They felt, now this is, this is her quote, they felt that Jackson Hinkle has taken stands that are anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-feminist, and Islamophobia, and they were concerned about the sponsorship of the Libertarian Party's uh, Mises Caucus, which, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, has ties to white nationalists. So why do I support the rally? Because I'm heartbroken by a war that has caused such death and destruction in Ukraine, because I have real fears that this war could lead us into World War III or nuclear confrontation. Because both political parties are complicit in giving over $100 billion to Ukraine to keep this war going. Because the Biden administration is pushing this war to weaken Russia instead of promoting solutions. Because we urgently need as many voices as possible from a broad variety of perspectives to speak out so we can be much more effective at pressuring Congress 
and the White House to move this conflict from the bloody battlefield to the negotiating table. The future of our world stands in the balance. And she ended with this. I won't be speaking at the rally out of deference to my colleagues at Code Pink. I will be there cheering on the speakers and I will be organizing a lobby two days later on February 21st for those who want to take their anti-war message directly to the offices of Congress. So I ask again, between speaking at the rally and attending the rally. Um, shit. Um, I'd probably say there would. Look, I mean, I just, I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out here is this. Why is it okay for her to attend the rally there? The code pink seems to be okay with her attending the rally, but they're not okay with her speaking at the rally. Jackson Hink was still going to be at the rally regardless. I don't know. So that's what yeah, I'm that asking. Seems, that seems off. I, I like. Is there a difference between speaking at the rally and attending the rally? And I want to bring in um, Roger. You'll just have to unmute. I want to get your opinion about this. Because to me, I'm like, you're still going to the rally. So they seem to be okay with you attending. They seem to be okay with you attending. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't really have an answer for that. But um, when you was talking about Uhuru before, um, I think he was talking about Uhuru. They were reached out to. Um, no, I wasn't talking about them. No, I wasn't talking about them. I could have swear you said Uhuru. Who did you? Ajamu Baraka. Oh, I mean, like Ajamu Baraka. Oh, I... <laughs> my bad. All these African names. Not just kidding. Um, okay. Uhuru, well, Uhuru was reached out to just to just to let you know. Um, and they said uh, no. They said something. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Uh, let me call you back. I mean, let me. Uh, oh, Robert. Uh, okay. Yes, yes. All right, Eric. We're gonna finish up with you, and then I'm gonna move on to the next caller. Because I, I really, I, 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 to me, I just, I guess, I don't see the difference. Like, you still support the rally. You're gonna be at the rally. But you can't speak at the rally. Somebody explain I mean, this to me. I mean, is it an optics thing? I mean, that's the only thing that could, that comes to my mind. But I'm like, you're. But I'm kind of like you. You're already there, so I, I don't. I don't know what the thinking is there. But, I guess. I guess the optics thing would be the only thing I could think of. But I'm kind of like you. It's just like you might as well speak there because you're already there. Look, like I said. <laughs> I was an activist before I was a podcaster and haven't been in numerous organizing spaces. I'm going to go ahead and tell you a call went out. And like I said, like, I agree with some of the criticisms about the rally, but it was very interesting to me. The people who contacted me one after another and the order that it happened in and the fact that all these people are in a DM group together. It was very interesting to me. Like, I'm just like, really? Didn't you contact me during the Medicare for All marches and tell me not to do the Medicare for All march too? Meanwhile, these people do nothing. They don't do any organizing. We're, we're so fucked. <laughs> God. I could get students to organize better than the left. God damn. <laughs> 
Here's here's one issue that I can see, Sabrina. Appearing as a speaker, she would be representing Code Pink. Appearing just coming to support the rally, she's Medea Benjamin. She's not necessarily representing the organization on the platform. That's the difference. Okay, that all makes sense too. But like I said, why was Code Pink one of the... I have to check back and see if they were one of the sponsors because I could have sworn in the beginning they were one of the sponsors. And that's why I'm like, you knew in the beginning that the Libertarian Party was... Some of these people have been in organizing spaces before. This is the thing that bothers me that makes me a little frustrated, right? So it's not like Jackson Hinkle and Medea Benjamin have not organized together before. They have. It's all on video. It's live streamed. You know, some of the same people. But here what she said. That she said Code Pink, which is a group that she has been organizing with for 20 plus years. She didn't say me personally. And that's just like that concept that we hear with um, Shama Sewant in the Socialist Alternative. They make decisions as a group. It may not just be Shama, but if they come to the collective decision and say, we don't think this is the best move, then everybody moves in that same direction. So Medea Benjamin personally may have been willing to do it, but the group that she has coordinated with for 20 years is saying, as a collective, we think this is not a good appearance. And she's like, okay, I can I can concede. I'll appear, I'll attend to, to have my own support for it, but out of a type of unanimity with, and solidarity with Code Pink, I am going to honor what this group has asked me not to do. Makes sense, Noel. That makes sense. This is just like, Jesus. Anything else, my friend, Eric? Yeah, just well, there's some quick. Um, dear God. <laughs> Like I said, I can get high schools to organize better than the goddamn left. Um, <laughs> shit. Look, I don't even know what else to really say at this point. Like, <laughs> I mean, like I said, we're all over the place with like, which with, with shit. It's just, it's it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's damn. I hear you, Eric. I. Hear- and I do and I I want you guys to understand I do understand like some of the concerns I get that but I just want you also to understand I heard some of these same criticisms for the marches for Medicare for all people were saying the same thing to the point where some of the organizers were in tears because they were getting personal attacks like I'll never forget that shit and I'm like they were like you guys are marching with right wing people you guys have Jimmy Dore speaking at one of the rallies you guys and by the way the marches for Medicare for all it was people who were on the left, people who were independent, people who were conservative, people who were libertarian. It was people from all political ideologies. And the one thing that we had in common was that we all wanted health care. And people like it was the same thing. Like people were smearing it all so bad. Like I didn't even know if those marches were going to happen because of like the smear piece that was run on Twitter and running Substack, like all these different like people that like attacked it. it. It was just really bad. And I was just like, man, you know, if we had the support, that we should have had you know it might have been even more people would have turned out and showed up for those rallies but that didn't happen but thank you so much uh eric and i'm gonna bring in i 
Um, I think your name is I. You are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Or at least it just says I. I Hello. Hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going? It's going, I. Do you think that the left... Um, I'm not sure. I think, I think, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's just like the cancel warriors are, are pretty problematic. So like, I, I've been just listening in and some of the problems, I guess, is, is ideological foundation or like something to really unify around for the left. And, um, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Okay. So, you know, before capitalism is it's part of the same patriarchal you know feudalistic sort of background so capitalism is just like an extension of that right so it carried over the same sort of people who are already had wealth and and every you know the colonist and 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 there's a racial dynamic as well um so i know that the the whenever feudalism was kind of starting to fall apart um, the socialists would, would just came naturally out of people wanting to be more, uh, having to, to start to be independent and also wanting to, to sort of retaliate against the, the feudalist uh, monarchy. So, you know, America came from this idea and capitalism came from this idea of instead of having kings and queens, you know, have a financial system, have money, have like a number, a numbers thing to validate or to sort of um, justify one's wealth and this idea of meritocracy kind of came along with that. So it always carries this, um, this, this feel for, from libertarians. I, I notice of like them just wanting there to be a, a, this ideal, idealized version of capitalism in place or to put that in place and sort of come back from the corporatism, which resulted from capitalism and, and be like, um, be like the good capitalists, be like the one, the meritocracy free, the true free market sort of neoliberal, uh, ideation. So I don't think that libertarian can qualify as a leftist uh, stance because I, I, I see them as, as fundamentally capitalist and that's fundamentally uh, sort of a passed down naive version of feudalism because it's all the same sort of people yeah, I don't think, running things. I don't, I don't think, think we consider libertarians as left. No, I'm not. Okay, that's good. But like, I think that they're almost like their presence or they're trying to, to, to basically dominate the independent space is a problem because they're, it's like, I, sorry, I wrote down notes on the libertarians. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, who said that earlier? Noel, she said something like, yeah, if, if they wanted to reset and everybody have equal, you know, starting of equity, the same, then a lot of what they're saying is okay, but they're not willing to do that. It's like they're, they, they got the money and they want to take the money and run sort of mindset. Like they're not willing to start over. They're not willing to, to kind of give up any of their wealth for, for a new revision of something new. That's more based around true merit or true, like, no, they're not more free. So I just, I've always had this grudge against libertarians because they just seem so like they would know that. And they seem almost like they're, they know they're lying or they know that they're, they're contradictory and they don't care. Mm, well, that's a whole nother conversation, but I, I will tell you that I think I that, that, I think when, that people, when people, when people talk, Roger, you have an echo, but not you, I, I was talking to Roger, but I think it's gone. Um, what I was saying is that I think that when people talk about organizing along class lines, 
because this is what a lot of people are championing for, that means along class lines. That doesn't mean only with people who are working class who are leftists. That's not a class movement. And there aren't enough leftists in this country for that to even be significant. We are a very small part of the population. People do have to understand that. I think the Bernie movement made some of us think we're bigger than we are. We're not bigger than we are. At some of those Bernie rallies, there were independents. There were conservatives at some of those Bernie rallies. There were people of all different political ideologies. It wasn't just people on the left. I want people to understand that having been to those rallies. So I think that, you know, look at some of the people who voted for Bernie, but then turned around and voted for Donald Trump. So I think that what we have to ask ourselves is that what exactly are we shooting for here? If we are really shooting for a class movement and you want to organize along class lines, then you should look at someone like Chris Smalls and look at what Chris Smalls did. Chris Smalls organized people in a Trump district. Staten Island, although it's a part of New York City, Staten Island is conservative. I've been there. They're, they're Trumpers. He had to organize those people. So does Chris Smalls sit out and say, I'm not going to organize you guys because of your beliefs and your values? If he would have done that, then Amazon would have never been unionized. That would have ne- that warehouse would have never been unionized. You guys see the problem? Yeah. See the yeah, it's like the the poor who want to be rich. Um, I, I have a problem, or I see that a lot with with people who are poor, is just wanting to be the new cap, the new capitalist class instead of wanting a new system. So you have you have a lot of this um, ideological differences with the poor based around like wanting to either preserve capitalism or like try to get get to the golden age which was not good ever they they have this idea that there is some sort of great time you know like and and they they're idealizing something make america great again they're they're idealizing something that never existed for a lot of people and so they're they're it's the ideological problem because it's not that they're left they're not really left they're and I, I don't like this this hatred around liberal liberalism because classic liberalism to me is is just anarchism applied universally because it's a, about individual sovereignty. So uh, this idea well, we that, don't have we don't have classic liberalism anymore. I know that's what I'm saying is that like why are we allowing these people to take these terms and and twist them and and take the left and turn it into something else or take the word liberalism and turn it into something bad whenever uh, whenever the whenever something originally was something and it was called that, I don't know why we can't try to up, uphold that instead of just making up new words and trying to, trying to reinvent the wheel or trying to reinvent. And you know what I mean? Like it's, a, it's all, it's all like we can't use certain ter- like, I don't know. That's why I, I just have a problem with, with the, I think that there's a problem with the language. Like there's, there's not a universal language anymore. Like the words are all been co-opted and, and, and yes. people think when they, when they hear this thing, then they, then they automatically box you into this. And so like, there's just a problem with, I think, understanding of what certain terms mean. And like, and, and people just, I grew up around people who just considered the, the people in charge to be like all leftist. So they have this idea that the right is like the rebellious. So then the opposite happens with other demographics. They, they grew up thinking, oh, they're all rightists in the top. So then they have this idea the leftists is the rebellious ones. Right. So they just have a completely inverted idea, understanding of what left or right or any of it means. But I, you know what, I, you know who allowed those terms to be co-opted? The politicians who are in office. 
even if you look at the word progressive, that's been co-opted by the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders co-founded the Progressive Caucus. Why are there people in the Progressive Caucus who are not progressives and don't even agree with progressive policies, don't even agree with Medicare for all? They allowed those things to happen. When you look at someone like Bill Clinton, he was actually the one that changed the Democratic Party. He really changed the meaning of the term liberal and he pulled it further to the right. So I think that's the thing is like, we don't seem to have that control because the people in power are the ones who are allowing these terms to get co-opted. And there just seems to be no pushback or not enough pushback that there should be. There should be heavy pushback against Bernie Sanders and people like Rokana who have made it acceptable that someone like Hakeem Jeffries can be a progressive and can be a part of the progressive caucus. That someone like Chantel Brown can be a part of the progressive caucus. There should be pushback. There isn't. And so now you have mainstream media saying that even Joe Biden is a socialist per se. Joe Biden's not a socialist. Joe Biden said mm-hmm. multiple times he's a capitalist. But the Democratic Party, they came in, they co-opted those terms. And this just goes back to what I always say. This is why progressives cannot run through the Democratic Party, because this is what they do. Go ahead, Roger. Hi. Um, so I just have to um, push back on something that you said about um, poor people want to be uh, uh, rich. Well, I guess everybody wants to be rich, right? But if you talk to most people, most people are like, yo, look, I just want a paycheck above cost of living. I ain't got to be rich. I ain't got to buy the world and so on and so forth. I think that's a, a misunderstanding or a misconception that all these people who are workers or who are poor or whatever, all of them want to be rich. I think I don't think that's the majority of people. I think people just want to change no, it. Yeah, I, I, I also I agree with what you're saying. I just think that the that minority of of who I'm talking about has such a leeway with with the with the public narrative um, because of of the appeal of like somebody like um, Andrew Tate or somebody who's like this guy who's all about money, and so like when that they're they're the ideological sort of. Um, underpinnings that continue that keep the system going but they're the ones who are the most who have this charisma and take over the discourse where where we can't have a rational discussion it becomes it becomes all about these the semantics and these ideologies that 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 just that just continue the the uh, oppressive the patriarchy most people look it is the thing and i I want you to i say this in like all humility or whatever the case is most people don't know who the hell Andrew Tate is. Most people don't know who Jimmy Dore is. Most people don't know who Sabrina is. Sorry, Sabrina. Um, but most people don't know who most of these people on YouTube are on social media, whatever the case is. So it's like there's this fear that people are like, oh, my God, this person is going to undercut the movement. Like... Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I, I was talking to a, f- a friend of mine, um, you know, who I knew since second grade. And, you know, like, he was talking about um, Joe Rogan. And, you know, he was talking about... He, he was showing me all, all the all the racist stuff Joe Rogan said. And I was just like, yeah, I, I know that already. You know, because that has nothing to do with what we were talking about, right? And he was just, yeah, but he has such a huge following. Like, he's he's scared that, oh, my God, he's going to steer people the wrong way. And I was just like, dude, no one has a following like um, the government and mm-hmm. corporate and corporate and, and their mouthpiece, the corporate media. 
Okay, you're worried about Joe Rogan. I mean, look, I don't even watch Joe Rogan. That's like three hours. I ain't got Spotify. I ain't watched him when he was on uh, YouTube because that's like three hours or whatever the case is. And he and I don't even think he chops his chops his joint up into segments. But anyway, I was just like, it pales. His reach pales in comparison to the government. Speed trap reported ahead. And um, what do you call it? And and then mouthpiece the corporate media. My moms don't know who the hell Joe Rogan is. <laughs> you know, if I go to if I go to some guy down the street, they probably don't know who he is anyway. I, I just think that we're giving more power to people fearing that they're going to undercut the message and hijack the narrative. And we're giving them more power than they deserve. You know, um, right. I say the same thing about Jimmy Dore. Like my parents didn't know who Jimmy Dore was until mm-hmm. the first time I like I had him on my show and then they started watching his show. But they didn't even know who that was. They actually they didn't know who any of these people were in left mm-hmm. independent media because they weren't watching it. They watch it now. But I mean, like most people have no idea. So I was just like for people to get so upset, like, why is Jimmy Dore speaking? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, yo, oh, you realize did. most people have no idea who Jimmy Dore is, right? Yeah, and yeah. Some of oh, these you made people, a it's like oh, sorry. It's like, okay, you might not like them, but if they have a let's say they have a channel and you know okay, one of these people that you don't like that has let's say fifty thousand people that watch it. Are can you really say that every person that watches this person's channel is some kind of like irredeemable deplorable? You know, people watch People even watch things they don't like. People hate watch and people, you know what I mean? And then, you know, maybe somebody's like hate watching one of these people and, and they find out about the event. <laughs> so. Um, also, you made, um, so you was making a point before Sabrina, I guess last week or something like that, um, about, uh, oh yeah, like, and you just kind of making it tonight too about how come there were no, um, uh, black people invited to the event or whatever, right? And I, you know, I, I really, really like thought about that. So you had named Zuma Baraka. Um, I forgot what you said. You, you weren't sure if they. These are just the people. These are just the people that I would have invited. Okay, so right, if right. it were me, in uh-huh. Sabi world, I would have invited Zuma Baraka. Margaret. I would have invited. And we're talking about African Americans. I would have invited him. Cynthia McKinney would still been an invite, which she is coming. Garland Nixon. Same thing. He is coming. I would have invited Margaret Kimberly. I would have invited um, uh, Gerald Horn. I would have invited. Oh. Uh, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Like old school anti-war peeps. Like I would have invited Gerald Horn. I would have invited um, Kim Brown. Kim Brown is 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 in Baltimore. She's literally a a, a stone throw away from D.C. from Black Power Media. I would have invited people from Black Power Media. I would have invited people. But see, that's my way of thinking. What about, I think to include what about, them first. So what about, because I was thinking as like a counterbalance, because there's such a concern of, you know, like some, some racist there, whatever the case is, maybe, I don't know who they reached out to. Maybe they did, maybe they did not, right? But maybe people, leaders from the uh, new Black Panther Party, maybe even controversial Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, maybe, or if not, Riza Islam. You know what I'm saying? Um, if I is, mean, if is he is he anti-war? What Riza Islam? Or yeah. you mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, see, this is the different. Like, look, it's it's just when people say, well, I don't know that for sure, but just just right. listening to him, there's no, like he never said. I, I, you could pretty much tell where a person's politics are, or, or whatever the case is. Um, people I were. Have, uh, go ahead, sorry. I would have only invited people who were anti-war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not people who just disagree with this war. And I think that right, right, right. That's important, right? I think he. I think he's anti-war. I, I mean, I've. He's he's always. I don't know if you ever seen him speak, heard him speak. Whatever I mean, there's so many people like I would have invited Cornell West. He probably would have been busy because I know he travels a lot, but I would have invited him. Hell, I probably would have invited him first because I, I know he travels a lot. Right. Especially the people that, you know, like they they're traveling a lot, like and they're in high demand. Like you got to reach out to those people like early on. Right. So cool. it's just there's so many people like it really kind of made me feel some kind of way. And, and this is just. JB and I call Margaret Kimberly Auntie Margaret. We really do. Like she just, she really does mean a lot to us at RBN. And as many times as people say, oh, RBN just simps for Jimmy Dore. Actually, the guest who's been on RBN the most is Margaret Kimberly. Margaret Kimberly has been on RBN the most. Like she came on back in the day when we were still Fred Hampton leftists, like from the very beginning. So like, there's just so many other people. That's why I was like, why like come on man like if it were me like that's what i those people that i would have reached out to there's other people too there's other like local activists here in boston like they're not big names a lot of people don't know about them but they're anti-war i would have invited them too i would have reached out to black anti-war groups and, and i just feel like that that wasn't done and here's the point that i hear you making sabrina there are people and entities that have been anti-war for years. They're known to be anti-war in their rhetoric and in their writings way before this Ukrainian thing. So to your point, if you are organizing an event to rage against war, wouldn't it make rational, logical sense to appeal to those people whose histories are anti-war across the board way back even before um, Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Some of the people whose names you called are not only anti-war, but they're anti-capitalist and everything else. And yep. sometimes you may be anti-war, but if I know you to be anti-capitalist, then as a libertarian, I'm not going to be thinking about inviting you because your philosophical stance on capitalism is counter to my belief system. And so what I am saying is there are some philosophical differences in terms of who got the invite and there are some philosophical differences that govern why some invites may have been rejected. And this is just something I'm mm. speculating on based on what makes a rational, logical sense. Well, they did invite Chris Hedges and Chris Hedges is anti-capitalist. So I think it just, it seemed like, like, okay, when I go back to the very first time this was even talked about on my show, uh, Misty came on to talk about it. She's not an organizer for this event, but she's tried to help. I think here and there with them. And Misty did say, if you guys go back and watch that episode, Misty came on 
Misty did say they wanted to target big names for speakers because they wanted to bring a lot of people out and make some noise in D.C. So if they did not consider you to be a big name, you probably were not going to be invited. And if I look at that list, like you guys pull up that list, those people are pretty big names. Cynthia McKinney lives in Asia, you guys. So even Cynthia McKinney is making the trek to come. And it's not just podcasters. I I saw someone say uh, podcasters. It's not just podcasters. If you look at the invite list, it's former politicians. Like Dennis Kucinich is coming, former politician. Cynthia McKinney, former politician. Tulsi Gabbard, former politician. I personally wouldn't have invited Tulsi Gabbard because I don't consider Tulsi Gabbard to be anti-war. I think she disagrees with this war, but I've also heard her agree with some other war stances that I was like, what? Like, I personally would not have invited her for this kind of rally. Um, But it's just, I think that's, that's one of the criticisms like that I had, like I would have done things differently. That being said, you know, it would be best for me to do my own, to organize my own thing. Right. But I also think that, like I said, I'll do the same thing I did with the Assange rally. I'll go there. I'm going to stream the event. And then when I get back, we're going to talk about the pros and we're going to talk about the cons. Go ahead. I. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just, uh, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, I was like all about her until she made that 180 and started supporting Biden and, and whatnot. I was thinking that she was like enough people from either side would support her and she might be able to have give some youth to the presidency and um some you know and at least to kind of get us going in the right direction and i was so disappointed with her um and and plus like i'm vegan so that was cool that she was she said she's vegan and stuff um so i was like yes i want i want you to win and then whenever it all went down i'm like oh my god they must really have those people uh where where they 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 can't really express themselves at that at that level is just surrounded mm-hmm. by people that, that will can just control you, you know? So the whole political yeah. apparatus, the whole political apparatus just pre- prevents actual leadership from, from doing anything because it's all controlled by the sponsors and the corporations. There's no, there's no real leadership, no transparency really. Yeah. And like the other thing too, um, I think that, you know, I don't want this to just to be about the rally, but I think in general, when we talk about like bringing people together, um, and about if the left eats itself. There's an article that was written by Chris Legion, um, who has since uh, left social media um, and apparently is not podcasting anymore. I read this article. Me and JB will be covering it this Thursday about why he left the online left. And all I'm going to say is that when you guys listen to the episode, we're going to read the article. All I'm going to say is, Stop and listen to what he's saying before you get quick to judge, internalize it and think about what he's saying, because some of the things, some of the criticisms that Chris pointed out, I totally get it. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I've, I've noticed this as well, but he talked about how there seems to be this tendency on the left, the online left to shout into a void, to complain about the problems but then as soon as there's a call to action, they want to tear each other down. And it's not just this event. 
It's not just Rage Against War Machine. I've seen it with every single event that has been organized on the left, especially the ones that are outside of electoral politics. There are other leftists who want to turn it around. You're not doing this right. You got the wrong speakers. You got this. And sometimes these are valid criticisms. But what I tend to notice is it's the same damn people. It's the same people. And then I look to see what are they doing and I don't see them doing anything. And that's the frustrating part. I'm like, oh, so do you just exist in this space to wait to see who's organizing something so you can then jump in on Twitter and start criticizing it and smearing it? And some of these people have been smeared themselves for organizing and they want to jump in and do. You guys got to understand there's a lot of ego. And Chris talks about that in the article. There's a lot of ego. And some people, they want to be the only ones to do an event. They want to be the only ones to do an action. They want their action to get all the attention. And they don't want other people to get the attention. There's a, there's jealousy. There's It's just so cruddy and vindictive. And it's, it's really disturbing to me because when I think about it, it's like when I used to watch like left independent media, this is not how I imagined the space to be at all. I thought everybody was united on getting uh, Bernie elected. And it seems like after that was a wash, people started to show their true colors. And it's really disturbing. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've been a part of multiple events. And there have always been that same group of people that come in, try to tear down. Now, this time around, it's it's some different people. But the same core people that I'm talking about, they do this every time. I swear these people live on Twitter. That's why I told you guys, I don't spend that much time on Twitter like I used to, but I swear these people live on Twitter. I'm like, y'all motherfuckers working? I know some of y'all got kids. Like, you're not taking care of your kids? Like, how you on Twitter all day long, ready to just criticize and attack an event as soon as it's posted? It's happened to me. When we did the uh, General Strike Summit, people came in and smeared us and attacked us. I didn't even know some of these damn people. Same thing when we did the third the third party summit. People came in to smear. We did the anti-imperialist summit. People were like, why are you talking about Ethiopia? Because there's imperialist, imperialism there, bitch. Why the hell you think I would not talk about it? <laughs> People jumped in and was like, you should only talk about what's happening in the U.S. Do you not read the thumbnail that says anti-imperialist summit? It's the same people. Meanwhile, all the time that they take smearing these events, they're not doing anything on their end. And that's a big part of the problem. Go ahead, Roger. Oh, like Cameron said, you get into this industry or in this space, in this this uh, space or whatever, idols become rivals, you know, because because of those egos, you know. And um, but I mean, it's, it's the same thing. I say, I. You who you um, I don't want to say you people, but those of you, you know, if I say a lot of you guys live in ballot initiative states, right? I say, all right, let's get something popping. It's like silence. You know, it's like you want to talk about direct action. This is this is like more direct. You know how you know it's it's how more direct can you get? You know what I'm saying? Because now you're talking about actual, I mean, it's going beyond just like a rally and not downplaying rallies. It's going beyond just like uh, a protest, not downplaying protests. This is actually 
putting words to policy, putting action to policy. You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of people on here that, I mean, I can understand if, um, I think a reasonable, what's that word? A reasonable reason, um, you're, you don't have the health or you're, you're stepping aside to let the young people take this space up because it's, it's, it's the young, it's the twenties and thirties and maybe 40 year olds to do it. I think that's a reasonable reason. Okay. But if you have the health and you got the youth and you live in a ballot initiative state, I say, oh, look, let's get it popping. Let's get it cracking. That's you know right. what I'm saying? Well, I, I mean, respond. Goes, I respond, Roger. Yes, I mean, and, yes, I know. I know. You yeah, know what I mean? But, but I know what you mean. Because some of the because the reality is and I've done this long enough. Some of them don't actually want to do action. Some of them don't. Some people do just want to complain. Now, I, I will say, and I'm not trying to like fault people here. Um, not everyone is an activist. Not everyone is an organizer. It's a little bit easier for people like me and those of us at RBN because we were activists first. So we already know how to organize. Like that's the thing. One of the things I did learn is that you cannot force someone who is not an organizer or not an activist to be an organizer or an activist. It doesn't work out well. I've had experience with this. Lucy, I think you've had experiences with this. <laughs> We've had experience with this. Like you can't make people be something that they're not. And so I think that I have learned that in this space, but I will say, this is why I told you guys tonight on stream, those of you, if you want to talk to Senator Eldridge on Thursday, about these, the public bank and about the Medicare for all, these are his bills. So we will be meeting with him Thursday at noon on Zoom. I told you who to email so that you can confirm. And then also he's gonna be on my show, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday to talk about this because people need to understand how to do it because we're serious. Like when I tell you and I say, look, I'm going to try to see if I can. we can work with people to get a public bank in Massachusetts so we can get some more policies passed. I was serious. <laughs> like, I wasn't like, let's just talk about this. I'm like, no, let's get this shit in action. And thank goodness for Betsy, too, who has experience working with, like, ballot initiatives. Like, we're trying to get the ball rolling. I can't, I can't do much on the national level. I just really can't other than direct action. But there's a shit ton that I can do in my own damn state. And this is why I want people to like try to localize within your communities, excuse me, organize in your local communities with the people who are there. You have a better chance being able to talk to your mayor and some of your state reps that are in the state house than you do talking to the congressmen and congresswomen that are in D.C. So organize with the people in your community. Contact these state reps that you have that are there local, especially your city councilors, and get things moving. Listen. Kansas is a red state and they just made it so that women are protected to have the right to choose. That had to happen on the local level. That was not going to happen on the national level as we see because <laughs> the Supreme Court overturned it. So when I said like, nah, let's try to see if we can get these things done. I was serious. Like I was like, no, let's, let's hit the door running. Let's see who we need to talk to and let's move forward. Whereas some people don't want to do the action. 
So my hope, what you guys learned from me and those of us at RBN, you see us do the action and then you can do it too, where you are. Go ahead, Lucy. Yeah, I think um, that's a really good point. I, I just want to clarify that I only like I only helped plan that one event last year. And after that, I really I am not a big fan of events and or rallies <laughs> in general <laughs> because of this, because of like the negative attention it draws. And there seems there's always a lot of criticism. And I feel like um, uh uh, there's a lot of ops in there, but also people that just get scared away by them and people that get carried right. away by rumor. And uh, right. I feel like it's much easier where, where I've come to is like, I like these heckling events because you can just go with two or three people, you know, confront your rep. It's much easier. You don't have to plan a whole event. And then the other thing you can do is do what Roger does, you know, this on specific initiatives or little things in your community and guess what? If you don't want to talk to organize with white people, then you don't have to do it. You know, just organize with your own people or with uh, the people in your whatever. You know what I mean? Like whatever you're comfortable with, you can do. And I feel like that's a, a, an easier thing to sell, if that makes sense. Yeah. We'll see. Right. And I do just want to answer this question really quickly from um, LPA Film. Um, what action at RBN? Um, Rome is building a library. I mean, I thought, I thought that was pretty public. Like it's on Twitter and also, um, CJ talked about this multiple times, like showed the videos and the clips. Rome is building a library in his community. RBN chapters launch in March. So all of us in our different cities, we have, we'll have an RBN chapter. I think I talked about this multiple times before. We'll have a different chapter for mutual aid. Like we do mutual aid, but we're starting our own chapters in our location. Nick works with Casey tenants. So he's been organizing with them. I think the thing that you guys, some of you are looking for is you're looking for something on the national level. And the idea is that once we get the RBN chapters going, then you guys can see what we do. And then you can start your own chapters in your own community. Um, yeah. I, there was something there was something that I forgot to mention um, that I noticed before when I was speaking to um, uh, Jamal Bowman. Lucy, did you notice? Because um, I was looking, I kept when he was speaking to me, and I've got I kept looking down at what was in his hand. And and Lucy, I was just wondering, did you did you notice what was in his hand? Uh, no, I was like. Because I have to look up at you guys filming. To, to film, so I was, I was like looking up. <laughs> so, Sabrina, I kept, as he was talking to me, I kept looking at what was in his hand, and I was, and I, and it, and it kind of dawned on me, I was like, this N-word is drunk, because that, half of that, half of that glass was gone. He was, he, he was drinking. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know how much how, how how much he had or whatever the case is, but I was just like, okay, this this guy, this is just something I forgot to mention before. Well, I think that was, was a bar, right? I thought that was a bar that well, they were yeah, at. Yeah. yeah, it was a it, it was, okay. but it it was just like I I mentally took that into into mind also that yeah, this dude's probably drunk as hell because people have different levels. Just I just noticed that from driving. 
people have different levels of, of being drunk pretty much. You know what I'm saying? Some is, you know, people get drunk at different levels. That's all. Just a side note thing I was, you know, mentioning. Well, I, I want to go on to uh, Cryo. I know she's been waiting for a minute. So I wanted to make sure, was there anything else you wanted to say before I move on to the next caller? No, I just, I, I just wanted to end with, uh, I wanted to say, you know, I, I oppose capitalism and I, I think there just needs to be a, a massive replacement of the entire thing. So, um, but I, I understand the local, the importance of the local activism as well. Uh, I was just listening, but yeah, uh, cryo, um, wait a minute. I'm done. All right. Okay, so let me go oh, ahead. Right. Yeah, I'll come back to you, Roger. Thank you so much, I. I'll go ahead and bring in uh, Cryo Smith. What's going on? You just have to unmute. Yeah, follow Rome on Twitter, you guys. Follow him at Unholy um, so you can see the progress with the library. Go ahead, Cryo. Hey, can you hear me, right? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, so. I'll just uh, address the question about um, the left cancels itself first. I don't, as Noelle put, I, I sort of agree with her on that issue as what is the left right now? Um, is there a functional left? I don't know. I believe that if people can somehow um, remove themselves from, from what goes on on Twitter, and base it more on what's going on inside their direct communities, like what you're trying to do, Sabi, uh, which I think is excellent. And I'm going to be paying attention to your Boston chapter. Um, but I think when people get inside their local communities, a lot of, oh, I'm a leftist, I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, I'm a conservative, I'm a, I'm a classic conservative. You know, I always hear that those people exist and. So that was what was around when, you know, Reagan was around with these like Reagan youth and and classic conservatives. And they're the ones that royally screwed up this the country as it is right now and sold it out and sold everything. But just to get back to what the left is, I think a lot of these labels are they're starting to hurt us as a whole, as people who are um, have removed themselves from both the Republican and the Democratic Party as time has gone on. They're they're more independent. Is there a big influx of people in the Libertarian Party? I have no idea. Um, I think um, I don't really know much about the membership of the of the Libertarian Party. Um, I don't particularly care about the Libertarian Party, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. At this point, the Green Party. I don't care about any of these parties anymore, and I don't even care about being called a leftist. I don't care if people think I'm some kind of Trumper because I agree with some things on a clock that's right twice a day. It's getting very fractured, and people will take offense at the very most minor thing, and it's very hard to hold a conversation especially with people who have uh, like to identify themselves as Democrats or or whatever that is today, you know, more corporately minded people. I always have to watch what I'm saying. And there's tons of people who have kids who are just moms and dads and single moms and dads and coming from all different kinds of areas and 
and they want a better world because their lives are being affected. And I think let's switch over to Norman Finkelstein. This is what he said um, on that interview. Let me take a breath. <laughs> um, he's like, uh, the truth, I went into this project pretty much tabula rasa. I hadn't studied it closely. I knew of a tidbit of African-American history, but the field has expanded exponentially since I studied it as a young man. It's a very serious discipline right now. I don't really know the literature, and I'm frank about that. I've written mostly on, uh, as you say, as the Israeli-Palestine conflict. They, um, and I wrote a couple of books on the Nazi Holocaust. So what he's saying is he sat down and from a logical point of view, without going into the what he calls secondary literature or getting down into the nitty gritty, he just took an observational view of what was going on in academia, in his own circles, and he he wrote this book. And he focuses on, in this interview, on D'Angelo, which I think is appropriate because she's part of the problem with all of this DEI and corporate, and corporate um, structures that's bent on dividing, you know, people away from, uh, you know, actually focus on what's going on in your community and, and um, thinking about your bias in ways that will confuse you and take a hold of you and capture your mind before you even talk to a person and just talk to them as a person. You have to think about how do I structure my sentence? And I think that, that that's, I, I love that people are thinking about they're outside the box, outside themselves, and, and, and in accordance to other people and what they're historical. But when we're in these in these spaces with, we have to solve a problem, it becomes very cumbersome. And this is what's happening on, on Twitter. Everybody is nitpicking because they're sitting there all day with, with their snacks and their drinks, and they're on Twitter, and they're just nitpicking every little last thing somebody says. And I don't find any of that important. And I don't think this should drive a war rally, an anti-war rally, rather. I don't think any of that conversation should drive who speaks at an anti-war rally, except for the or, whoever the organizers are want to have there. Now, let me go on to, well, first of all, do you have any comment on what I just said about Norman Finkelstein? I think if you want to talk to Norman Finkelstein, you can focus on the fact that his Israeli-Palestine issues and the apartheid going on over there in Palestine directly in, intersects with the state violence, state-sponsored violence from there to over here in America with blacks and minorities. So I think that that's the piece where you can like really push on Norman to understand your, you know, the black experience as a whole. No? Am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. And I think like that is his strength, right? Like that, that, that that's an area that he's really strong in. I think we all have like our strengths, you know, we have like our areas that, and I, I don't like to focus on like weaknesses. Like I, this is one thing I, w I did learn from my previous uh, supervisor. She used to focus on our strengths, not our weaknesses. And I think like, that's an area that he's really strong on, you know, and I, I do get that. And we've talked about this before on RBN about how the Palestinians, the way that they're being treated there, um, it reminds us of the way that black Americans were treated in this country. So I totally get you on that. I think that when it comes to Twitter, I think you're hundred percent spot on. And I, I've, I told you guys, I think it was like in December, JB and I did this show 
talking about things we wanted to leave behind. And I said, I was not going to be spending much time on Twitter anymore. And I don't like I post most of the time when I post it's sharing content most of the time, but I don't sit there all day looking at my Twitter feed to see who tweeted what I don't do that anymore. It's wasted time. It takes up a lot of your time throughout the day. You could be spending that time with people in real life, right? So I started to see Twitter as a very divisive and sometimes destructive tool. Like I I just, it's just people just arguing with each other all day long. And I see people doing this every day. And I'm like, Jesus, like, don't you get tired of it? Like take a mental break. Like, I think that's important for us, right? So I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. Sometimes people will like email me and say, I tagged you on Twitter. Yeah, I don't see any of that shit. (laughs) I'm here to let you guys know. If you didn't know, now you know. If you tag me, I don't see any of that. I don't look at my mentions. And so if it doesn't just come across, like in the all category, I will not see it. And so, and, and, and that's for my own peace of mind and for my own mental health. Because it just, it gets to be to a point where it's like, sometimes people would tag me and stuff that had nothing to do with me. And they would say, Sabrina, uh, so-and-so said this. What do you think about this? And I'd be like, fuck. I'm like, I don't, I I, I don't care. Like, you know, I think that for me, one thing I did learn last year, organizing on Twitter, not a good idea. And Lucy can probably attest to this too. Like when we worked with like, camp data and stuff like that like i've learned Mm. having done this multiple times organizing on twitter is not a good idea there are people in those spaces that you have never met in real life some of these people are not genuine and they join on to these events only to distract distract the organizers from actually moving forward with the event right or later on they'll turn around and smear the event so i don't spend a lot of time on there like I used to. Same thing with Facebook. The only time I go on Facebook now is to like share like a promo and that's pretty much it. Other than that, I'm not reading all that shit. I don't have time. I don't have time. And I think that we can all learn from each other in that aspect. And I, I highly recommend to all of you guys, like if you're spending hours on Twitter, take a break from Twitter. Like that's not healthy. It's really not. That's time that you could be spending organizing with people like in your community. Go ahead, Noelle. First of all, I want to say I'm not even on Twitter. <laughs> so that <laughs> there's that. But in terms of um, what Cryo was saying about Norm Finkelstein, I think he has, or is it Finkelstein? Stein, Stein, Stein. Um, I think he has some particular <laughs> blind spots because his connectivity and understanding of the black experience within the context of a left movement is lacking. He took offense to some of the things that were said by black people of prominence with respect to the Bernie Sanders campaign. And, you know, he went through this thing and he said, well, you know, I looked at all of the information, I read the books and, you know, I found nothing. You know, Obama's not brilliant. Kimberly Crenshaw is zero. And so I'm saying, you know, that may be the point. And I'm not, I'm never the one to argue for Obama. 
But what I am saying is Obama represented something and it speaks to a very superficial form of identity politics where skin color is a proxy for ethnicity. And that's not at all what a viable identity politics is all about. And that allowed identity politics as a construct to be weaponized. So the the um, people in the Democratic Party who are not left and, you know, are a bunch of, you know, capitalists moving around as liberals and everything else. But they realize that black people identify with color and they'll support color without regards to whether it represents their ethnicity or lineage or anything else. And so they've been puppeting these black people who are not even of a descendant of slave background because they know if they front them, they can get them elected and then they can go ahead and do their song and dance about being diversity and inclusion and all these things. But the reality is, is that the plight of the people that these quote unquote colored puppets would represent stays the same. And that is a hollowing out of the black politics that as black people and particularly black descendants of slaves in this country have a problem with. We have been here decades since the 70s and seen multiples upon multiples of black colored people and black descendants of slaves get into these elected offices, but nothing about our substantial way of living ever changes. And it's because the politics of it is all hollowed out and people are weaponizing the language. Now, from my perspective, all politics is a type of identity politics, but the identity really has to be the center and the identity has to be linked to your political ask. And I think um, Norm Finkelstein misses the point that when you talk about the left, black descendants of slaves in a left posture are going to have some different ask and demands of that left. And it's not like you can just see Bernie Sanders getting popular and everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon because he at that point was supposed to be representing the left. If you heard him, he hmm. actually said that Bernie Sanders was kind of taken, you know, by surprise about how people exactly. responded to him and how quickly that um, attention grew to him because Bernie Sanders was that phenomena after Obama. But he spoke just like Trump. And this is a point I pe wish people could really get. Bernie Sanders and Trump both spoke to the real needs of the people of their particular constituencies. Bernie's overlapped and so did Trump's to a certain degree. But Trump spoke not only to their aspirations, but Trump spoke to their fears, which is why Trump's version of populism really has a racist edge. And Bernie's was not necessarily race racist in terms of the, the lacing of it. But when he was asked about reparations, which is important to the descendants of slaves, 
he was disingenuous in that response. And the people in the Democratic Party seized upon that and used that to become a wedge issue and paint him as disingenuous. But, but remember, the Democratic establishment was not supportive of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And when it was at the critical juncture, when Bernie, to my thinking, should have left the democratic orbit and really moved to organize the left, he tucked his tail and went right back into the democratic establishment. On the right side, mm -hmm. the, the Republicans, because the way that party is structured, they had no leverage to do to Trump what the Democrats did to Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think, you know, I am always about inclusion and bringing your full self to the table. And when people advocate in ways that begin to exclude people for this and that, that's when my first red flag goes off. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. everybody needs a seat at this American table and we need to be able to discuss that. But I think Norm Finkelstein has a point that there is some cancellation going on but yeah. I don't think we have a left to mention. I think it's, you know, the left really isn't organized in a way to even be defined as a, a coherent left politically. I'll also add too, I think that we got into the habit of looking at podcasters as the leaders of the left because mm -hmm. they were the ones that heavily promoted like Bernie Sanders, like campaigns, when in reality, the leaders that you should be looking towards are the people in your own community. Just want to put that out there. Like not everybody is like, yeah, not everybody is like RBN. I, I want to be very clear about this. We were activists first and then we became podcasters. Right. Not everybody is that way. And and I think it's, it's um, especially, you know, with a lot of mental health issues that are going on, people um they're 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 coming to a head there's so much there's so many disabled people and so many people with mental health issues that you can just say are disabled at this point because they do not have a voice uh they don't have a voice and they don't know how to ask anymore and no one's coming to ask them um how are you doing today and what can we do to um you know make your day better, make your life, your month, your week better. Nobody's doing that. And um, there's no, like, I remember back in the 90s there, and there was always flyers going around about um, activism and, and events and direct action. And many, much of it became environmental, right? Like we're going to do a beach cleanup or more people became responsible for the environment. I was one of them. I, I ran beach cleanups. I did things like that. Um, and it just, it faded away after a certain time. Yep. Um, people were, you weren't allowed to post something on a billboard anymore. Um, you weren't allowed to, you know, where it would be taken down immediately. These spaces in our own communities are being removed. Our history of activism has, is being removed and erased and replaced by a normalization of this police state and that you do not have, you have to fear, you have to fear um, and, you know, when it comes to this rage against the war machine and canceling people and this, and that, like, I don't fully understand. I mean, you're, I'm hearing why people are not wanting to speak or they're just being told they can't speak for 
all these reasons and I'm looking at the demands. The demands, you can look at the demands. I'm not going to go through all of them. You know, the first one is not one more penny for war in Ukraine um, and negotiate peace as if, um, you know, we have any say at this point and what that peace is going to be. That's that's Russia has the, the upper hand there. That's going to be their negotiation of, of an agreement. So I'm a little bit confused with the um, the way some of these are, are, are um, you can't come to the table with Russia, then you're not going to be able, who's going to come to that table uh, with Russia? That has to be, um, you know, who's going to get these people together? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to say not one more penny for war in Ukraine, negotiate peace, stop the war, inflation, disband NATO. How are you going to disband NATO? Um, you know, uh, of course we need arms control. And, you know, what, abolish the CIA and military industrial deep space. Okay, how are you going to do that? I mean, none of yes. the people that you elect to office are going to, if it's like your independent candidate, Diane Sayre runs for president and, and she gets elected. How is she without any support except for the people that are in her uh, chosen um, coalition administration, how are they going to defeat the, 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 the CIA and the deep state? Like I, that is a question I really want to know the answer to. See, this is the thing, <laughs> this is the thing cryo that I've said before about demands is that, especially when you have these rallies, there needs to be a next step because we saw this happen with the BLM movement, right? Like when George Floyd, with the George Floyd protests, we saw this happen where the demand was to defund the police. And then most of the protesters went home after Trump lost. And then it kind of just fizzled where like, there were some, some changes that happened locally for some local police departments where they did actually take some type of defund action. But the thing is there was no step two after those protests. Right. That's the problem. And this is why when people come to me and they say, well, all you need is to have demands. Okay, great. They How are these demands going to be accomplished? What's right. the step two? What's next? When I ask those questions, people just don't seem to, there's no answer. Even right. when we talk about electoral politics on a national level, when I say to people like, and maybe one day I can have this discussion with Marianne. When I had this discussion with uh, John Stasevich and he basically admitted to me that he's not in it to win. He basically admitted to me that he doesn't want to go on the debate stage. He don't want to debate. He just want to have a conversation. And then he admitted to me that he doesn't want to take off the gloves. He doesn't want to fight. Right. Then to that, I say, bye-bye. And it's because funny that, what, yeah. What is the point? What, what, it's funny what you mentioned, yes, yeah, Stasevich, because when he first came on or he, your show, uh, it sounded to me like he was repeating a lot of things from different, uh, you know, YouTube and podcaster channels, taking the best points that these people were making and throwing it into his um, campaign, which great, but there's no, I, like he said, he wanted to open uh, just a dialogue to discuss, you know, what's the next steps on all these things. You can't wait till your president to do that. You have to have your a solid platform and what is the next step and, and that's what like since clinton because that's what i remember i mean that that was the you know the night i graduated high school in 94 so um you know since clinton no one has offered uh what is the next step they just 
come up with the yep. saxophone, stick it up your butt and say, isn't this nice? Like, and there's no loop. So like, I don't understand it's, what the next step is. I don't, because there isn't a next step. We can talk about what that next step is. And we could say, wouldn't it be great if we were there? Well, hey, this is what I think. And I'll end it here and we can go on to the next people. Um, what I think a, a, an anti-war rally should be is to have all of our coalitions of people not just say look there's this speaker and that speaker and this person represents me and that you know or tara Reid represents me because of all the things that that she went through or uh max blumenthal represents me represents me because he's righteous and and what he and so does garland nixon because they're righteous in, in 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 their perspectives and they, you know, they make me feel good when I watch their podcast. Like I, that that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> what right. we should have is the RBN net network goes to this coalition as a group, as all of us, as RBN membership. We choose. You're our speaker for our platform. This is what anti-war means to us. Go up on that stage. 10, 20, 30 other groups have the same kind of profile. They get up on that stage. They have their own platform. They speak to the hundreds of people that are there to see RBN or whatever, what other action group is there. And we all take away a piece of that pie and we do our homework and then we come together again, get more people. I don't see Rage Against the War Machine happening again. I just don't. Because these, oh. these demands are, are unattainable because they don't explain how they're, they're gonna do it. And I think that more on the ground action groups coming together as a coalition from whatever background that they are from, be it libertarian, green, Democrat, Republican, uh, independent, 51% of the left out voters that exist today, which is what we should be act actually concentrating on. Um, like, what's our coalition going to say about anti-war? And what are, what are our demands? And take it from there. And that way, everyone somehow has a representation, but we also get to reevaluate as a group who who do we want to march on Washington in two more months and just keep growing the movement from there? Like, I just think that this is was set up to fail. Well, I, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't want people to 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 be confused. This is not the first rage against the war machine rally. OK, yeah, this isn't a new thing. This has happened before. Um, So I did just want to say that, but. I will say again, someone did reach out to me and told me that they were on someone's show and they were asked like, what's the next step? And they, they didn't have anything planned. And so, like I said before, there needs to be next steps. Otherwise people will just become demotivated and they'll right. check out. And I, I've seen this happen multiple times before in organizing spaces. So I think that there needs to be some type of coalition. Like, I don't know what the unifying factor is going to be. I thought it was going to be the marches for Medicare for all, since for the most part, everyone on the left agreed that we need Medicare for all. But when we did those marches for Medicare for all, you know, um, there's two years ago, two years ago, it was interesting to me how many people on the left didn't even want to be, not only didn't want to be involved, but didn't even want to mention it like on their shows. And some of the yeah. same people who supported Medicare for all chose to smear the marches. So this is what I'm trying to say. I think there are some people 
who are in this space that really do want to fight for these issues. And then I think there are those who want their idea of fighting for the issue is for you to vote for the the person who has it as a part of their platform. That's the fight for them. But when it comes to a call for direct action, any type of organizing to push these same policies, they're not going to be involved. Yeah, you you got to have organizing on all fronts. Like you got to have it. The civil rights movement was successful in the sense that they were not relying on the government to actually be involved. They weren't relying on politicians to support their action, but they were able to mobilize. And people need to understand, because I've done multiple reports about this, people need to understand with the civil rights movement, it did not start nationally. It started locally first, and then it spread and became a national movement. The problem that I've noticed with the left today is that people want a national movement instantly, but it seems like a lot of people are not willing to do the grunt work in order to create that movement. And that took a lot of planning, and that took years to actually bring it into life. And that's what people need to understand. Oftentimes, especially in school, when they talk about the civil rights movement, they don't tell you about all the planning that went into it years prior to get it to that point where it was on a national level. They just tell you about the outcome. And that's a failure in our education system. People need to know about the planning process. Even when you talk about the Black Panthers, it was a process. They didn't Uh do it overnight. The women's movement wasn't done overnight, but I think we live in a society now that is so used to instant gratification that they don't really know how to deal with a planning process and how things take time. They want it to just happen instantly. Well, we had something happen instantly. That was the George Floyd protest. And you notice there was no next step. This is why these things need to be planned out. But I, I totally hear where you're coming from. Cry out. Um, hello? Roger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you in uh, New York? Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm in uh, Nassau County. What? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm in Hempstead. Okay, I'm over in East Meadow right now. <laughs> Get out of here. You're like 10, 11 minutes away from me. All right. Um, <laughs> we got to figure something out. Uh, text me on the uh, on this on this call-in thing right here. I'm driving. Okay. But what um, are we figuring out? You know, like what is it that? What are we figuring out, Roger? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll tell you. I got it like a customer in the car, so I didn't want to like go. Oh, that okay. <laughs> Never mind. Well, thank you so much, Cryo. <laughs> I want to go ahead to another caller, but thank you so much for calling in. All right. No, thank you. And I really hope this um, that the the rally does uh, well. But I think we all need to, you know, figure out what those next steps are. And if there is going to be a next rally, you know, or create the rally that you want, it's very difficult. Uh, But, yeah, I think we just need to elaborate more on these next steps. And and yeah, it's just not going to happen saying saying and, and wishing free Julian Assange. We have mm-hmm. the pressure. We have to put the pressure. And it's very difficult to overcome the fear to do that. And that is what people are stuck on. 
well, what I'm said. stuck on, you know. <laughs> Thank you so All much, Mario. Right. Have a good night. Okay, I see a new face, so I'm actually going to jump to Phantomos. Phantomos, you're the next caller. You just have Just got to hit unmute, Phantomos. Or Phantomos, sorry. Got to hit the unmute button. I'll invite you as a as a speaker. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I invited you as a speaker. I don't know if you hit unmute. I don't see you unmuted. So I'll go ahead and bring in uh, Lance. Lance, you are the next caller. Just have to unmute. New York in the house. What's up, Lance? What's your take on this? Is the left canceling itself? Well, yeah, I mean, that's just been, there is no left. I mean, basically, it's my attitude. There really is no left, per se. There really isn't. Um, except for you guys and Jimmy Dore. I don't know. Is there anybody else? It's really, you know, I got my beef with Jimmy, not beef, but, you know, I got my criticism with Jimmy. Not too many for you guys, but, you know, he's whatever. But, you know, there's so, so, so few people. And like you said, you know, you guys are doing more leadership in the hood every when you're not, you know, talking to us, you know, just like I'm trying to do my thing. I'm not on calling, you know, and you're doing wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. Of course, you're reaching a bunch of people. You're teaching people and all that. But, you know, like we're all, like the, like Cryo was saying, you know, uh, but wait, I got to say this real quick. Roger, I just finally reconnected with my buddy down uh, Doc Watson down in New York City. He's coming up in a month, but I might make a trip down there. He's uh, he lives at 178th Street, St. Nicholas Boulevard up in Washington Heights. But uh I don't know if I'm down there. I'll, I'll be letting you know. Maybe we could rendezvous just to shoot the shit, have a beer. I don't know. But yeah, no problem. If I come down there. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm just quick, quick, because you, you said everything I was going to say, Sabby, and I was going to mention two quick things. Rosa Parks specifically, right? You know, people talk about, you know, yeah, she was a, she was a Ph.D. She had a Ph. freaking D, and I don't know if she got it before or after she did uh, civil rights. You you can school me on the specifics probably. But these people were, you know, not that it doesn't matter that she had a sheepskin. That's not the point. These people were highly organized, like the Pettus Bridge thing. They did it the first day, didn't get press. They did it the second day, made sure more people knew about it. And they got a lot of press, and the hoses came out. And so, you know, and one other quick thing, the no nuke rally. Nobody talks about this. It was amazing to have been there. It was a million people. Two facts, you can look it up, zero arrests, no arrests, none. And all the people that were filtering from certain parade routes and all, zero arrests and zero cleanup. Everybody was up to their calves, speaking of groups. I'm sure there were libertarians there. Every group under the sun, bottles and everything, the organizers handed out trash bags everywhere. And all they had to do was they canceled every cleanup crew uh, because all they had to do was pick up the bags. So, I mean, that's organization, right? And so that's something that we've all just mentioned. But the other thing I'll just throw out there, guys, and see what you think. End of the queue. Maybe it's getting late. I'll be very, very brief, even for me. You know, but is this. For the longest time, we see like it's Jimmy Dar and people going on Tucker, which is okay. And I don't know, I wish it was some other event, but whatever. Yeah, of course. Go on those platforms and talk to more people. And you can actually convince some conservatives about specific issues, et cetera, et cetera. 
No right wingers are being allowed. Forget about mainstream, but even on some of the left wing. And I'm more and more. And you're talking to somebody who's practically a Marxist, but I'm very, very radical, regardless of how far left I am. I'm not. I'm, and I've become more radical, not less. So when I say this, it's not like I like all of a sudden started to say, "Gee, I live in the country. Let me be like them." I think it's got. We got to flip the switch, maybe. And what do you think of this? This is thinking outside the box. But this idea, like, okay, remember the Bonnie Raitt song. Let's give them something to talk about. So instead of trying to even be slightly on the defensive, I don't mean you guys are anybody. If you're libertarian, fine. Reach out and just flood the zone with all of the Marxists. Kashama Savant, of course, and people that need to be, you know, I don't mean to do one or the other. But flood the zone with any right winger on any topic that you agree on. I don't mean you, I mean in general. And just flood the zone and say, okay, you, you want to talk about us? having a problem with libertarians, we're going to have a dozen libertarians. I mean, Bree had no problem. Robbie's got some whack, whack libertarian bullshit views. She doesn't say, I can't be on the same stage as this guy, obviously. You know what I mean? So maybe, and this is something I've been thinking about for several months is I'm going to start working, which I've already been kind of doing with my fundraisers out here in the country, talking to Trumpers and all that. But maybe it's like we got to start working with the right wingers that agree with us and bring them over to the unaligned well, we've been doing that, though, Lance. Like, we did that with the marches for Medicare for All. That's why I kept saying, you guys, not, not you we guys, did not that. you guys. No, I'm singling you guys out for all doing all the stuff I'm talking about. But, you know, on the left generally, oh, absolutely, you guys are. No, I don't mean you guys, but more, in other words, yeah, but just but you can't, make it even but, more loud about, yeah, we're going to embrace every right winger. No, not neo-Nazi. I don't care if you're libertarian. No, but, but, no, but the, but just, the problem just, is, no, but Lance, the problem is, is that, even when it comes to that, there are some unifying factors, right? The problem is, again, you're going to end up with the same issues that we have right now, which some people are saying about the Rage Against the War Machine rally. Like, this is what I'm saying. You're going to have those same criticisms and issues. It's going to get smeared, just like the marches for Medicare for All did. And we'll be right back at, at square one. No. Like, that's the problem. I just clarify for 10 seconds. What I'm saying is, I think the knives have to come out theoretically, you know, in other words. And you guys are doing this, RBN. God, I listen to you guys, and you're so eloquent, and those guys are just hardcore. They're not pulling any punches. So, I, again, I'm not talking about you guys, per se, but, you know, at all. But I think the knives got to come out. You've got to flip the switch and call them the sellers and, and, and say, no, we're going to embrace more libertarians. We're not going to be on the defensive and worry about the next group. You don't want to come, then you're phony lefties anyway, and you're, you're all about class and performance because we don't care. We're not going to do anything with Nazis when I don't care how much that they overlap with us. But if it's libertarians, which is a legitimate third party, that, there's no Nazis in Congress. There's there's libertarians. Yeah, we're going to work with libertarians. You know, you can single out the differences, but I think we got to make more of a stake like the Bonnie Raitt song. Let's give them something to talk about. Let's be louder about embracing people that have the overlap by making it clear that we're not talking about white supremacy, kind of like the way Fred Hampton did. I just mean, you know, let, I think we, should, we need to be louder and make them the enemy instead of letting them marginalize us and have us. But I would say that RBN does that a lot. RBN is louder. No, no, let me finish. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is that when you talk about libertarians, there isn't a lot we can unite with them over. And I've had this conversation with people who, who I know, people who are friends of mine that are libertarians. There isn't a lot we can unite with them over. Yes, we can unite them over anti-war. I interviewed Larry Sharp. We had this conversation. We had this conversation like on my very clear to me. There were certain things that he was like not going to budge on when I talked about 
uh, canceling student loan debt. When I talked about universal um, health care, he was not for it. When I talked about uh, making colleges, public colleges uh, free, he was not for it. And his excuse was that the education isn't going to be as good. And I, I pushed back on that. And I said, I disagree, because if you look at a country like Germany, where a college is free, they have some of the best engineers in the world. So that's an excuse. And that, that's a that's a capitalist mindset excuse, by the way, for people to say that education is going to be as good. So from my experience, having talked with libertarians, there isn't a lot that we can no, their economics is whack. Their economics is crazy nut job. I don't want them anywhere near the White House, and I could never support a libertarian president, no matter how much I like the overlap, ever. I'm just saying, forget isms. I don't care about the ism. I don't care if it's Green Party and DSA, because when they're not on the boat, then get to hell with them. we got to just be strong about what we want to do, and then and really be stronger about we're accepting everyone, and we're going to call, you know, and I know you guys already do this. I'm just saying, I, like I said with Bonnie Ray, instead of keeping it quiet and trying to be kind of quiet about their, their not, they weren't even having a love affair. Let's give them something to talk about, public displays of affection. You know, and so that's what I wanted. I want to have pictures of the inner city people that I want to work with, with the People with the, not MAGA hat, absolutely not. You know what I mean? But country folks, black and white, have pictures that get flooded and go viral on YouTube to show people that we're all together in this. All, not, not libertarian, not anyism, not Green Partyism. Like the, like Cryo was saying, to hell with the Green Party, to hell with DSA. They're all full of crap, all the parties, not just the Democrats and Republicans and libertarians. So I just want every, I just, I'm on a crusade of anti-ism, this man, to forget parties. Not duopoly. We need just people, individuals. We got to figure out a way to get back. Go ahead. So, um, so, so let me just say this um, regarding uh, Larry Sharp. He is for public banks. He is for worker co-ops, and he said that he would uh, he would actually push when he runs for governor again. Um, use the bully pulpit to get the uh, legislature to put in an, a legislative initiative before us that would that for us to ratify so that we can become the 24th ballot initiative state. So, yeah, he's not for the New York Health Act and, you know, he's not for free college and and like those other things or whatever the case is. But a lot of times you got to take things issue by issue. Now, even if he was against public banks and even if he was against worker co-ops, but he wants to convert this state to a ballot initiative state. I'm like, Larry, that's all you need to run on. Empowering New Yorkers to pass their own laws and ratify their own amendments. So Lance, I wouldn't be so quick to be like, I'll never vote for a libertarian if he's willing to give us that power as New Yorkers. That's it. To give you the power oh, to have like public oh, banks oh. and things like that, but to pass certain policies, but the policies that he's going to want to pass are not the policies that you want for the most part. That's the problem. He's not going to be for universal health care. He's not going to be for free college. He's not going to be for canceling student loan debt. Like a lot of the policies that we support, he's, he does not, they don't support. That's the thing. And I had this conversation, like one of my, my close friends is a libertarian. We've had this conversation multiple times, multiple times. Um, but, let's but go, I was, go, I was, yeah. Oh, go ahead. 
Not for president. Was, not for president. No, no. Nationally, they have too much power to do too much deregulation and not enforcing shit. So, yeah, no, I get you. It's a dilemma. But as far as Congress folks, maybe a senator or people in local libertarian. OK, but not the presidency. I think I think Sabby's right. They'd be too dangerous on the economic front if they had all the power of the administration. I wasn't even talking about the presidency. I was just saying, like, just in general, like, I've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with left libertarians. I've had this conversation with right libertarians. And that's the thing. Like, for me, for someone like me, I always bring the the problems back to capitalism. And that's something where they won't move to that space, right? They won't move there. So I think it's great that Larry supports public banks. I think it's great that he wants to make New York a ballot initiative state. I agree with those things. But what policies is he going to want to pass? That's that's the thing. Let's bring in, um, I'm going to skip um, Icoroya because I did speak to you. I'm going to bring in Lysol and let them speak. Go ahead, Lysol. You're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hey, Sammy. How you doing? Hey, how are you? Not bad. So I missed like the first half hour. Has anybody talked about the stuff in East Palestine yet? Yeah, we talked about that at the very beginning, actually. Ashura um, talked about that. Yeah. It kind of feels like that's got to be some sort of like galvanizing events. I mean, if we ever get a, get a chance to find out like the full extent of it and stuff. Yeah, well, it's not even just East Palestine. Like now, like there's been another derailment in Houston, Texas. There was one in South Carolina and Someone actually sent a super chat earlier tonight and they said that there also is one in Arizona now. So I have to look that up. So yeah, yeah, this is just, it's really getting out of hand. Yeah. And it's like, it's the fact that it's like related to what the strike was about. I mean, this, this should be such an easy win for anybody who's like willing to like reach out and grasp it. Uh, But I feel like only Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to say anything. Well, what was interesting to me is that the Ohio derailment happened days ago, and Pete Buttigieg is just now acknowledging it after he got a lot of criticism, of course, like online. Like, people are like, where are you? You're the Secretary of Transportation. So for me, it's just like, I, I, I don't know what else to say, guys, except I've said this multiple times before, but it is very obvious that Pete is not doing a good job as Secretary of Transportation. Look at all the things that have happened. I mean, to the point where it almost feels like they put him there purposely, knowing that that was going to be kind of a tricky job. Yeah, I think it's one of the promises that was given to him to drop out of the race. Go ahead and drop out before Super Tuesday and we'll give you a position in the Biden administration. I really do believe that's what happened. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking because, I mean, trans- the transportation industry was one of the ones that was hit the hardest by the COVID lockdown. And the same mm-hmm. way gas prices went up to try to make all that money back when people weren't driving as much, you know, airplane prices, all that type of stuff. The railroads are trying to maximize profits. And it's kind of like, you know, if you had to take a sober look, it's like, well, you know, being the Department of the Interior, like not much can really go along. They'll ever make front page news. But then it's like dealing with shit between Southwest and this. Norfolk Southern Company that offered twenty five thousand dollars in convenience. What the fuck? Convenience checks. <laughs> well, the, the fuck- interesting thing is too with like this is not just affecting East Palestine. This is also affecting all of those states that surround Ohio because I saw the picture earlier today. 
it's surrounding those states too. Like they're affected also because the chemicals were released into the air and air spreads like it travels. So for those people, it's like for them to say, we're going to give you $25,000. No, that's not enough. I don't think it's safe for these residents to move back into their homes. I don't think it's safe for them to come back into the community. And I also would say that we should pay attention to what happens to those residents five, 10 years down the road to see if they develop cancers. And I say that because those chemicals released carcinogens into the air. So it was airborne. So people breathed it in, not to mention it has contaminated the water supply. Do you remember um, the Porter Ranch thing? There was a, as a city in the in the valley outside of outside of L.A. and they had an uncontrolled methane leak for something like six straight months. I heard to, about that. They had moved an entire city. It's like we're finally getting starting to see. I mean, you know, whether you want to call it capitalism or climate change, kind of like refugees within the country are going to start becoming a thing. I mean, I, I remember after Katrina. Mm-hmm. The, like, no matter where you were, there were, like, a couple of people who were there because New Orleans was shut down. Yeah, so I was actually in college during that time, and I got a new set of neighbors, and my neighbors were from Katrina, and they were completely displaced. And, like, part of their family was split up, too. So, like, some of them were sent to Columbia, South Carolina. Some of them were sent to Baltimore, Maryland. Like, they were spread out all over the place. And I think that just offering people $25,000 is not enough. We have to think about the fact that these are people who have lost their homes. By the way, some of them may have lost their jobs because they can't go to work because they can't come home. Like, are they being compensated for all these days that they're missing at work? Like, no one's, I feel like people aren't really thinking about this. Like, here we go with another catastrophe. And unfortunately, the person who's handling it isn't affected. Like, Pete Buttigieg is not affected. He lives in, again, he's from South Bend, Indiana, which is one of the more affordable places that you can live in in the United States. And take into consideration, he's a secretary of transportation. He's not getting like a small salary here. So I think it's just that like, the people who are affected are not the people in office. And this is a big part of the problem. He's someone, someone like Maxwell Frost, like he got there, right? But then he got there and he can't even get an apartment in D.C. The system is designed so that working class people don't get those positions. And the ones who manage to do so, they struggle once they're there financially. So I think that we have to look at the system that we have in place that makes it possible for these things to continue. And that's that's a big part of the problem. Like, how do you dismantle the system? I mean, I, I I feel like, I mean, you, taking the easy wins, like pointing out pointing out when things are falling apart, like it's, I mean, I, this shit was happening, you know, it was a, a train on fire in East Palestine while he was giving the fucking State of the Union address. That was happening simultaneously. And um, the the state hasn't even declared an emergency, so there's no FEMA on site. There's no federal. There are no federal people on the ground. They're letting Northern Suffolk and like the local hazmat team try to fix the problem. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I think that like, you know, and, and what's sad is like again because the area is pretty much now contaminated, 
it's not like we can all go there to that area and protest because we're, we would risk our own health. We would get sick. But I just see this as another Flint. I see it as another Jackson, Mississippi. And they're not the only ones, but that's what I see happening here. I'm like, the people can't use the water. They can't breathe the air. What are all these people supposed to do? What are they going to do? Just relocate all these people to a different town? What about their jobs? What about their kids that are in school? Well, um, Governor DeWine did a press conference today where he fielded questions from people who were like calling in or texting in questions. And he had the people there from the state who do the testing and this and that. And they're saying that um, they're excavating the area around where the chemicals leaked and the that um, soil will be disposed of properly and they're testing the water. And so one of the questions was, you know, the fish are dying and some of the animals are coming up sick and this, that, and a third. And one of the ladies was like, I don't feel comfortable going back to my home. And Governor DeWine was saying, well, you know, I wouldn't, I would probably, if it was me, I would probably be drinking bottled water, um, but I would go back to my home. And here's the thing, the risk of um, East Palestine becoming a cancer cluster in the years to come, we don't even have a, a reasonable estimate of the likelihood. And they can say they test, they test, but we have the example of Flint, Michigan, that wasn't even, you know, a, a, a rail, de, a train derailment. But we see our government consistently failing the people and just not caring. And and that's the thing that strikes me the most. These people can be, they're so busy um, appearing to manage and have control of the situation and this and that. But at the end of the day, that's your home. Those are your kids. That's your animals, your pets and what have you. And to be honest, if it was me, I would just be doing everything I could to relocate out of East Palestine with all due diligence and as fast as possible, because these people will say a million things. And then when you and your grandkids and everybody comes up with cancer and all type of neurological diseases, what have you, you know, you get into this big, you know, lawsuit and then Norfolk Southern is going to fight you and this net. And by the time you get resolution, everybody be dead or 99 years yeah. old. It's just sad. Mm -hmm. This is the same thing or similar to what happened. It was in the movie, but also in real life uh, with Aaron Brockovich. Like Aaron Brockovich became famous because of the case that she discovered about them poisoning the residents. They were basically being poisoned. And so people in that town were getting like cancers, like the kids, adults, all of them. And coming to realize that like their water was contaminated. That's how Aaron Brockovich became a thing for those who don't know. And this is something that can continue for years. That's why I'm saying like, even if they say to them a month from now, you can go ahead and move back home. Well, 
it's an odorless gas, guys. The chemical, they said it's odorless. So how do you know if it's not or not present? And how long are EPA officials going to test the air quality? Year, like I'm talking a month or year down the line. How long are they going to continue to do that? You can't trust that. But where are they supposed to get the money to just up and move? I saw, so I don't, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I did see a TikTok where they're talking about one of the companies taking the testing levels is called Tetra Tech. And this is a company that was sued by the U.S. government in 2019 for faking so, uh, soil samples here in San Francisco, uh, the, the formal naval base. The, the whole land is just a, a gigantic cancer cluster. And yeah, there's a company that's been sued, sued by the federal government for faking soil samples, and they got brought in to handle this. Yeah, and not to mention how many people may end up with asthmatic like issues as a result of this as well. Like these environmental conditions do affect your health down the line, not just at that present moment. And we've seen this happen with other cases as well. And I, I just for me, you know, I'm sitting here, I was looking on like Twitter yesterday, and I'm like, let's see if Pete makes a statement about this. Keep in mind it had already been days later. And there was no statement. Finally, in the final hour, he issues a statement. I haven't heard anything from President Biden about it. Please let me know if I'm wrong. And now we see other trains have also derailed. Do you guys know how dangerous it could have been if those train tracks were next to a house or an apartment complex? I had a train track right behind my apartment complex my first year out of undergrad. It was right behind it. I used to hear the freight train come by every time at three o'clock in the morning. Could you imagine if that train derailed and it was carrying those chemicals? Our entire apartment building would have blown up. The fact we have a system that. Yeah, it's the, the, the point you said about about having trouble uh, protesting a depopulation event just because of the lack of like a location, I think is really. That's, that's really compelling because there is a feel like, you know, like, I mean, the local people who went towards like the tower on like 9-11 stuff, like, you know, that's other things. They're going to hire a bunch of people who aren't going to be given proper protective gear to clean the shit up. And I heard the, I mean, so I've, I've seen both ways. One person was saying that the, the them doing like a burn to risk the, to like get rid of the, to not do the explosion was like standard procedure. And I also heard that the, the goal more than anything was to get the track back up and running. And they like they nuked the town so that the, just so the train could get back on time. Here's yeah, and I, I want to mention something really quick from Betsy, and then I'll pass the mic. Um, Betsy points out something I think is really interesting. Ohio River Basin serves 25 million people, so that's what I was saying. Like, it's not just people in East Palestine that are going to be affected. Yeah, Go that's. Ahead, for Go ahead, Lysol. I would just say that, and that touches like five different states. That's like uh, yep. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana. I forget what other ones. And yeah, and, and wherever that gigantic uh, hydrochloric acid cloud, whatever direction that went. Yes, and I want to add for people, some people were asking in the chat tonight, I forgot to answer, but some people were asked, asking earlier, um, what part of Pennsylvania? It's the side of Pennsylvania where Pittsburgh is located. It's that part. Go ahead, uh, Noel. Yeah, they actually had um, film footage from a security camera that saw 
as the trains were passing a certain strip of the track, you saw sparks flaming from one of the cars. And what one of the engineers said was that the ball bearings on that particular car burning out. And that's why as it was drug along the track, it began to spark because the ball bearings had already burned out and weren't allowing the wheels to spin or what have you. But that speaks to maintenance. And then there's the the situation where the infrastructure on some of these trains, that is the track and right of way, sometimes is, is you know, no more advanced than, you know, post-Civil War. That's how old some of this infrastructure is. And then there was a, a real interesting point that these cars that were carrying these hazardous chemicals w did not have to report or notify that they were carrying hazardous chemicals because of the certain amount of tonnage. Now, what I heard on another report was that during the Obama administration, there was legislation passed that required the railroads to indicate when they were carrying hazardous materials through certain cities, but right. that when Trump came in, he rescinded it. Yep. And it was a lot of lobbying around that to get that rescinded. So here we go again with corporate America. And in this case, the railroad industry using their might of lobbyists to, you know, get rid of um, legislation that will have them, you know, being held accountable for the way they operate. And then we get this big disaster. And so now Governor DeWine, I, I speculate, is going to be pushing to see if they can get the administration and Congress to put whatever law that was back in place so that at least you'll know when certain types of hazardous chemicals are passing through the community. Right. And the other problem, too, is that what another thing that they did mention, the railroad workers, the same uh, union, the Railroad Workers United that came onto my show, one of the things they complained about is the fact that they were actually, they had laid off more workers, they had less workers than they needed, and they were working them over time, right? So one of the things they complained about were the safety regulations, that they were cutting safety regulations and that that wasn't safe, obviously, for the workers and for the trains that were traveling through these towns. So this goes all the way back. This is what I was trying to tell people earlier tonight. This goes all the way back to the railroad workers going on strike. Remember, these are the trains that they actually, they, they, they operate on, the freight rails. So the railroad workers united were trying to warn people even back then, listen, they're cutting safety regulations. They're trying to make it so that these trains do not have to have maintenance checks and they don't have to have inspections. And here we go. And this, it, it's interesting, this happened right after, because it wasn't that long ago, right after the railroad workers were prevented getting that sick day leave. And Joe Biden could have done that by executive order. So you see, these things have a tendency of following each other. And so now we see it's all connected. This is all connected, you guys. They have been complaining about this 
for quite some time, not just when they came on my show. And now we see the result of these railroads trying to please the rich investors, because that's what this is really about. Instead of making sure the employees are safe and the communities that these trains are traveling through are safe as well. This is why we need to nationalize the railroad system. The entire infrastructure, transportation, all the transportation, broadband infrastructure. I know that has nothing to do with the whatever. Healthcare infrastructure, the banks, and power. I just had to throw that in there. Mm-hmm. Lysol, what's your take on... Um... This whole theory from Norm uh, Finkelstein, or Finkelstein, about the left canceling itself. Um, so I've I, I, I've been in chats and chatted about this because I, I kind of feel it's the the quintessential problem the left is facing is do we go in the direction of a smaller but more determined and like you know vocal community the whole like fifteen percent is all we need to get things done or do we do a more broad based uh, coalition and in the process worry about diluting ourselves and I feel like it comes down to where you draw the line. I'm going to go to these rallies and I was thinking, it's like, so if somebody I knew here in San Francisco who I knew was a fucking rapist was speaking at one of these events, it wouldn't stop me from going, but I would heckle the fuck out of that guy. And so if some of those assholes are still up there, hopefully they get heckled. But I looked at the, the list of the list of people. It's just kind of like, I don't know where they got this group. Like where's Cornell West? Where's fucking Killer Mike? Where are like people who like, you know, speak eloquently on this subject a bunch instead of Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, I don't think Killer Mike is necessarily anti-war, by the way, that that could be part of it. Um, But I would also imagine that's probably someone that's really, really hard to get because he is a celebrity. Uh, Cornell West, again, I don't know if they reached out to Cornell West like that. I would have reached out to him, but I can imagine, again, he was probably really difficult to get. He does travel a lot, so that could be a factor. But I totally hear you. Like I, I told you guys earlier, if I was an organizer, I would not have invited Tulsi Gabbard because she's been on Fox News, you know, basically praising some of these drone strikes. And she doesn't seem to be against economic warfare either. You know, so there's that. And I do want to clarify for people listening, though, because I think some people um, think that Scott Ritter is... Uh, still speaking at the Scott Ritter is not speaking at this rally anymore. If you go to the website, you'll see that he has been removed. Just FYI. Yeah. It's the, it's the speaker invites. that makes me think there's somebody on the inside trying to fucking kneecap this shit. Like I guarantee somebody, somebody who works with the fucking CIA is involved with this rally. That wouldn't surprise me either. Lysol. Like, I'm sorry, but what do we learn from history? Like, come on. Yeah, like haven't been in many organizing spaces. Like it just it would not surprise me. Um, you know, I I imagine that Jackson Hinkle was going to be there because he's a part of People's Party and they're one of the organizers. I do want to let everybody know too because I think some people don't realize this, but the Green Party also is sponsoring this event. So there are eight different groups. I think it's still eight. There's eight different groups when I checked that are sponsoring this event, and one of them is now the Green Party. So Jill Stein's also going to be there. Cynthia McKinney will be there. Um, But I think that 
I totally get where you're coming from. Like, again, I wouldn't have invited some of these people, but it's not my event, you know? You know, you know um, they, oh, yeah. oh, sorry. So good. So good. You know, they have, um, that, that reminds me, because um, he was talking about uh, people from the CIA are going to be there. I mean, I don't know if you saw the uh, the reporting by Trevor Aronson. Um, About Denver? The... About Denver? Yeah. Yeah. You saw that? Yeah, the, the guy in the fucking silver hearse with AKs in the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That guy's not a cop. What the fuck? Yeah, the Alphabet Boys. He, he calls this uh, person's doing an Apple podcast on or whatever the case is. And he did the... He did an article in the intercept. I, I sent you that, Savvy, on, on the DM when I said, watch out for them alphabet Yeah, I boys. saw that. I was like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, my friends call it the alphabet soup. You know, I like alphabet boys better. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, oh, there, there it is. I mean, you know. Uh, Lysol, what, you in New York? I'm in San Francisco. All right, so what you waiting for? That's a battle initiative state. You know I gotta call you out, right? <laughs> do you know do you know that every four years we vote whether or not kidney kidney dialysis patients should be able to do things? I know. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I had to vote I had to I vote whether or not ambulance drivers get lunch breaks. The ballot yeah. initiative in California is out of control and needs to be fucking stopped. Yeah. It's, just, I, it's used by companies like Lyft. They got a they got something in our constitution that prop, over my, prop, seven prop eighths majority. Prop 22. Hey, I'm not saying that it's um, it's I'm not saying that you're always going to always going to uh, uh, win the fight. You feel what I'm saying? But yeah. you still never put cow care on as an initiative. You, you feel what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's, I, I, a 500k check to Gavin. Yeah, I see all I see all the other. Um, I see all the other stuff that's kind of like beating around the bush. With the like you said, the dialysis and the and the and the other things and so on and so forth, um, but nothing was put as far as as far as uh, single payer is concerned. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there has to be. Well, they try, Roger. I thought they tried that with CalCare, and then they had the votes, but then big money came in and stopped it, and that's why they didn't well, bring it to a vote. That's the legislative process. Oh, okay. I'm talking about the initiative process as an amendment, as an amendment, not as a law. You know what I mean? Because all the every all the other what he was talking about, like the other initiatives that failed, that was the uh, the dialysis thing and and the other things or whatever. Was that? I yeah, remember yeah. reading that. So like, Lysol, if you don't know, like I've been covering. Thanks to Roger, I've been covering each state, each ballot initiative state, and the results. And when I went over California, I was like. What's with the dialysis questions? Like, I was kind of surprised by that. I'm like, really? A whole question about just about dialysis? It's a way for corporations to settle disputes. That's all That's all it is. It's a different kind of court. They, 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 they flood us with bullshit ads instead of just giving ambulance. Instead of giving ambulance uh, uh, ambulance drivers lunch breaks, they spend $10, $10 million to pass a proposition saying they don't need lunch breaks. It's the same thing with everything. It's like to the point where it's not even saving money. It's almost just about control. I would like to see California have a ballot measure like we just had in Massachusetts uh, for the millionaire tax, because you guys could really clean up there in California for that, because how many millionaires live in Hollywood? 
I don't know. We got 87 billionaires here in the city. Jesus. Yeah. You also have, I mean, outlaw private equity from owning housing, which is which is why your all your rent rates are going up because of uh, private equity engaging in rent speculation, which drives up the uh, price, the rental prices. You know what I mean? And you could do the same thing for um, what do you call it? Uh, private equity owning hospitals, clinics, nursing homes. Oh, you mean the the Zuckerberg Zuckerberg General? I don't, I don't. What what is that? Yeah, that's, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg bought the naming rights to SF General. Oh, I do. okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, yeah, whatever. Interesting. I'm just saying, just because, like, you don't you don't say like, oh, we tried it, it didn't work. Don't do it anymore. You know what I'm saying? I mean, oh, like no, I said. Yeah. It's an interesting question. A breed love in the chat. I can't, I'm on my phone. I can't read the chat and talk on this thing at the same time. But breed love's got some good information on that stuff. He's the one that hooked me up. Uh, I didn't know that we'd passed a top two, a, a top two initiative that basically means that, you know, third parties are outlawed. When you went to vote in 2020, there was not a single third party option for precedent on there. Wait, what? In California? California, yeah. They didn't, on. Greens didn't even run a candidate because they couldn't. Yeah. I'm pretty close to Ron Pacone. I thought, no, I saw when I went over the Green Party wins, there were actually a couple of Green Party uh, candidates that won locally in California. There were there were a good amount of them, actually. Are oh, you mean on the national level? I mean, on, on the on the on the state level, on the local level, there are places. California is just polarized enough that there are places where Greens can become the second on the ballot. Like an organized Green candidate in San Francisco, if they ever actually ran one against Pelosi, could get on the ballot of Republicans easier. There are way more socialists in the city than there are than there are Republicans. Um, but yeah, on a, on a state level, there's just enough Republicans in this in the state. I mean, our um, our legislature is like seventy thirty. They got a veto proof majority of the Democrats do. They can do whatever the fuck they want. I would That's say, interesting. I, I, I saw a number of Green Party candidates that won in California. In fact, I had some of these people, I could have sworn I had some of them on the show, but I saw a number of them because I was like, holy crap, like all these Green Party candidates won in California. In fact, I think it was on the Green Party website. They were local positions, but still. I, I say if you can't, if they're telling you that you can't have third parties... You can't have third parties or whatever. I say me personally, run the strategy of if we can't get none, then no one can get none. And run a ballot, run an amendment ballot initiative that makes the existence of parties in your state unconstitutional. Well, I mean, on a a local tip, San Francisco has ranked choice voting. We actually had a... um, a campaign, I think it was in 2017, three people I knew ran on a vote one, two, three to replace Ed Lee. And it was mostly kind of like a ranked choice voting awareness campaign. It was like, I don't care which one of the three of us you like the best, just don't vote for that guy. And they managed to get like 35, 37% of the vote. Their uh, their dollar per vote expenditure was orders of magnitude less than the guy who won. Well, I'm just glad you had ranked choice voting because we tried to pass it here and I, it didn't work. I'm glad yeah, you have a ballot. White gay man and a, a black woman, and all they talked about was being racist and being homophobic. Zero policy whatsoever. So they they still fix that shit. Yeah, I'm I'm just glad that you guys at least have the ability to pass laws and 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 ratify your own amendments. Don't don't wish for uh, we need to get rid of it. I live in a state where we don't have it. You know what I mean? And we we absolutely have 
no power at all. You feel what I'm saying? So I, don't don't be so much in a rush to be like because it didn't work out the way you wanted it that oh we should get rid of it. It's like nah, just figure out what went wrong, what you need to improve. You know, regroup. You know what I'm saying? And go for, and I say go for the go for the goal, the single payer one. You know what I mean? Like I'm, it's like how come everyone is like I went through when I was doing the ballot initiatives with Kira from Hardlands Media and then for the potential like the ones that were potential to get on there which were a lot more like the ones that me and Sabrina are doing those are the ones that like made it on the ballot right but when mm -hmm. me and Kira from Hardlands Media was doing there was so much more and we were looking at all the different health initiatives and we were like how come no one is running an initiative for Medicare for all it's like all of them were beating around the bush about uh, I don't know, like you said, the dialysis thing or or like like the some medical dental ratio thing or, you know, just like all around the bush. But I was like all of these things. But, you know, they could have just ran an initiative for single payer and it would take care of all of that. You feel what I'm saying? So it's like it's like you're not hitting. No one's hitting the target, you know, have it out, have that state conversation and say, we say that in these polls that everybody wants single payer, okay? There was no poll that was ever done for the for the dialysis thing, okay? But there was a poll done for single payer, and it seems everybody in the state wants single payer. Put it to a vote. You know what I'm saying? Like file for it. Let's let's have let's let's see. You know what I'm saying? And and that's what I'm saying. File for it. Do something, you know. Get out there! You got you got the power. I want I want someone to I want someone to come on here. You know, besides you know Sabrina and Betsy because they already did that. But I would like to see more people come on here and just like, yo, check this out. I just filed. I just uh, the other day I filed for a ballot initiative amendment for for a public bank or to tax the rich, a single payer, or outlaw private equity from owning housing, or you know tax the rich, or whatever the case is. I mean, I'm waiting to hear that. that there's a woman named woman named Hannah who like single handedly um, single handedly unionized her company. Like there's like I, that's why like I'm so excited about working straight back and like I'm really hoping the savvy are the initial RBN chapters just gonna be the places where where the, the people from RBN live or they're gonna be there's gonna be other ones because we gotta have one in the Bay Area. There's too many people who agree with y'all here. Yeah, initially it'll start in our locations, but. What we want you guys to do is to start your own chapter. Like after we start ours, we want you to start your own chapter and your areas as well. And that's how we get it to spread. Yeah, totally. I'm also trying to do uh, in, in March, I'm starting a local college show, trying to do kind of like some like local journalism muckraking type stuff. Um, because one of the billionaires in our, in our, in our city, um, Michael Mortiz or Moritz, he worked. He's the guy from oh, Sequoia. What was that? He, he started a, a newspaper called the San Francisco Standard, and it's um, people don't even know. It's just kind of like, no, this is billionaire-funded news. Just kind of like, oh, that's good. There's not enough news in San Francisco because they, you know, one company owns all the newspapers and they shut they shut the rest of them down. And um, so yeah, trying to get trying to get on that and like work with some of the people who are doing. Who, you know, try to amplify the message. You know, people in the call are always talking about acting local. So I'm trying to put my money where my mouth is. That's awesome. And I think that, you know, definitely like with RBN chapters, like 
each community has different needs. Like I know what people need, like in the Boston area, the needs in San Francisco area may be different, but you know what people need there. So the idea is that like we, these should launch in March. Um, and I already have like the graphic and everything for it, at least for, for mine, for the Boston area. Um, but I'm also like working with United Front Against Displacement. You guys have seen them before. They've come on my show before. They're really passionate about the housing issue. So I've gone to protests before as well. Um, my idea is to collaborate with them with these chapters and do mutual aid and also press the housing issue because that's the big need here in 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 the Boston area is housing and people need food and and clothes and stuff like that. In your area, it may be different. Some of you that live like down south, like where you don't really have to deal with like snow and the winter weather, it may be a little bit easier for people there who have like those tent communities, like they don't have to deal with the weather. Up here, people have to deal with the inclement weather. They have to deal with snowstorms and things like that. And the reality is even the people here in the tent communities, they can't be outside for so long. Our winters are long, our summers are short. So we have to find some type of resolution for that. So that's the whole plan here. Also in working with like trying to push some of these ballot measures, like I really, really say, and I still stand by this, like, and Betsy knows this, I really, really want us to get a public bank here in Massachusetts. Like, if we have a public bank, then we can be just like North Dakota and we can pass these progressive policies with no freaking problem. Because then no one will come back and say, where's the money going to come from? You don't have to worry about that if you have a public bank. And so that's why that's a really big, a really big thing that I'm pushing towards. In your statement, it may be different. Nick, I know, is partnering with uh, KC Tenants. I know he's been working with them over in Kansas City. So if anyone's listening and you live in Missouri area, like Nick has been working with that thing. I know the tenant issue is a big problem there too as well. Uh, CJ has his mutual aid organization in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has different needs than what we have here in Boston. So I think that's the thing. Same thing with JB and Orlando. They have different needs. Rome is in Detroit, Michigan. They have different needs. So one of the needs that they had in his community is that they needed a library. And one of the things that he's going to do with that library that he mentioned is that they're going to teach people how to do their own taxes. And that's something that people need to know. Like, I know how to do my own taxes because my dad taught me, but not everyone knows how to do it. And so people end up going to these, these organizations like H&R Block, where they charge all this freaking money to do your taxes for you. And you end up paying them like $400, $500. And you lose so much money of your refund if you get a refund, Right. So these are things people need to know how to do. And so I think like, again, you know the needs of your community. So we're going to launch our chapters and then explain them to you guys. And then hopefully you guys can like take that model and adapt it to your community. That's the plan. Nice. Do you live near Berkshire? Have you ever used their like local currency at all? You mean the Berkshires? Yeah. No, that's Western Mass. That's way out there. I know it's crazy. It's funny. Uh, Massachusetts is actually bigger than people realize. Like a lot of people just look at Boston, but like Boston is like we're Eastern Massachusetts and the Berkshires is Western Massachusetts. So that's actually going towards New York State. Yeah. Always yeah. Been I love that idea. You know, can I keep the money in the community? Yes. That's something we used to have in this country, actually. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, Phantom, Phantom Us. I'm going to try this again. I'm sorry. Phantom Us, I'm going to try it again. You have to hit unmute. Let's see if you can. No, it's it's okay. I, I was probably uh, away from at that time anyways. Yay, we got you. What's up, Phantom Us? <laughs> What's your take on yeah, yeah, I'm good. Just to full disclosure, I clip for INN and uh, Tara and Katie. So I'm kind of uh, in this world a little bit. So Yay, so you work with Indie Left. Indie Left has been a big help to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, he's been he's quite the firestorm in terms of uh, building communities and networking and stuff like that. Um, I hope he's I hope he starts uh I understand he has a little bit of back troubles, but I hope he's uh, feeling good. Yeah, he's helped me out a lot. For people who don't know, like Indy Left, you need to follow him on Twitter. Indy Left is, he has helped me out so much. Like I was not on Discord when I started my show. Mm. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to get on Discord. I went to Discord and I was like, what the hell is this? And so Indy was like, I'll show you how to use it. Cause it's not easy if you've never, I was like, what is this? And I'm, I'm pretty tech savvy. I'm pretty good with technology, but discord threw me for a loop. And so he showed me how to use discord. He helped me set up my sub stack. Like Indy has been a tremendous help and he helps a lot of people in the space. You guys, if you're not aware. So if you see Indy left on Twitter, give him a shout out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I agree. He, he's, he's, uh, I think he's going to go far in this space. There's, there's a lot for him to, uh, grow from. Is Indy Left the same thing as Colin and Reef? Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, it's uh, his, uh, I guess he's the founder of the uh, Indy Left News Network. And um, uh, there's a few other hosts right now as well that are, are doing uh, shows. There's call, There's the uh, How Did We Miss That, which is with uh, Indy Left and Reef. And then there's the Tara Show. Um, one, Tara Reef. The one that Colin and Reef does is isn't that called Indie Left? Was that called? <laughs> yeah, there's there's some kind of confusing. There's there's Indie Left News, which is I guess his his, and then there's the Independent News Network, which is I guess a, kind of an affiliation of that as well. It's just his way of branding, I, I, I suppose. So okay, so so what's what, what's Colin's and Reef's thing called? I think yeah. it, I believe it's just called INN News, yeah, or INN with Colin. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> I did not even know if it was called INN with Colin. Yeah, okay. the network called Indie News Network, and the show Colin yeah. and Reef do is called How Did We Miss That? Really, I thought it was called uh, Indie. Oh. It is. It is. That's the network. It's just like. On RBN or Revolutionary Blackout Network, you have different shows. So you like you have like the JB and Sabby show. You have okay, the Sabby show. You have like things. you have the Nick and CJ show. So it's like you have different shows on that same network. Okay, so the channel is called Indie News Network. N I N N. Okay. All right. And uh, okay. All right. And Indie Left is a channel. I mean, is a show on INN. <laughs> I don't know. Indie Indie Left yeah. is a person who has oh. his own channel. It's just like me. Like I'm on RBN, but I also have my own channel called Savvy Sabs. Got it. 
Yeah. But go ahead, Phantom Moss. So um, um, to answer your question, like, does, does the left cancel itself? I, I think the real problem is, is like the, 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 the variations of when we get into discussions with uh, other people, we just seem to realize a lot of people who are in an echo chamber seem to realize that when you're talking to someone, uh, it's, it's really hard to connect even more so now to get them to understand, like, uh, to be part of a movement, I guess it's, it's just so much easier to go with MSNBC. Uh, I mean, like the brand names, like Obama, whatever brand is the most popular at the moment, people just seem to gravitate toward that. And the more flashier you are, I mean, the more people just go to that. So I think it's, it's, it's really difficult because I don't, I don't think there's really a solution in sense of, uh, of, of how to mobilize the left in a way. And I've been listening to Roger for a while and I've been listening to you, Sabi, for a while as well. And, and Noel as well. And just everyone here in general. And it, it's one of those things where you're going to move in such tiny, tiny increments that you won't be able to tell for such a long time what's happening. That's what I'm afraid of. Phantomos. Like that's what I'm afraid of. It's like, It'll get smaller and smaller and smaller until eventually to the point where we don't have enough people that we need. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it, it does make sense. But, but what I mean is, is that people will realize what I'm talking about is the increments of change that are so small that people don't even realize what's happening right before them. Like when you talk about Rome and the library and stuff like this, all of these little things, they, they, they constantly build and it's that resonance and these ripples. And you don't know. And here's the other thing. You don't know whose lives you change a lot of times. This is the other thing that a lot of people need to pay attention to. You don't know whose lives you change. You don't know at the moment of what you do and the resonance that you create in those moments. And just because you, you think it's like a really little tiny thing, it, it really isn't. It, it really isn't. In, in so many cases, I will come across people who will tell me things that I've impacted their life. And I don't even know them because I do a lot of posting on music and uh, uh, bringing music to people. And I have no idea like how it changes people's lives at that moment. So that's what I would say to people like the ripple effect is really, really strong. Not to be on some hippie dippy shit, but yeah, I would just keep keep doing that and uh, just keep. And I wouldn't really pay attention so much to the noise of like people like uh, Norm Finkelstein who obviously want to continue to talk in this space because that's their life. They, they become authority of that, you know? Yeah. I will, I will add to that as well. I want to say that, um, yeah, it's really frustrating. I think for those of us that are organizers, it's really frustrating to like try to build something and then just to see people who you thought were in community with you just come along and tear it down. It's, it's really yeah. frustrating. And then you have to ask like, what is their ulterior like motive here? Like, is it, is it that the event is that bad or is it just because they just want to tear it down? And, and then I look at patterns. So you guys know, if you listen to me for a while, you notice I'm really big on patterns. If I see the same people, and this is not towards you know well, cause I know you're not like this, but if I, there are certain people that I see on Twitter and it's the same people that continue to tear down and attack every event or action that is organized outside of electoral politics. But they continue to tell me that they are not a part of the Democratic Party. They continue to tell me that we don't need to operate in the duopoly. 
But anytime people operate outside of that duopoly, they come along and tear it down, then I have to really question what is your real motive, especially if I don't see you building any other type of action on your end. That's that's the question that I have. And so that's why when I hear those same people say, well, yeah, we need to reach across the aisle, but then I'll see them go on someone else's show and say, we can't work with people on that side. What you really about, boo? What, what you really got going on? Let me know. Okay. Because I see you. Since, since it is, um, one last thing I wanted to mention so other, other people have a chance to speak and, and what they need to speak about. I wanted to mention um, on Black History Month, there's this uh, producer by the name of Mark Mack. I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with that? him, but Mark Mack. So Mark Mack comes from the UK and they created a pioneering uh, drum and bass uh, soul fusion group called Four Hero. And they've been together for like 30 years. But anyways, Mark Mack does, he, he's a producer. Uh, he's a, when he's not doing Four Hero, he's a producer. And one of the things he did is called the Black Power Mixtapes. You can get it on Bandcamp. And what's amazing about it is he takes all the sound bites of black history and he puts it to music of, of the most, like he has one on, on uh, black soldiers in Vietnam. And he has another one on the Black Panthers. It's really, really detailed the way he layers all the samples. Uh, it's really worth checking out. And I just think that a lot of people would... Uh, want to listen to it just the way he put everything together and the other the, the other crazy thing about it is like it's like a sequence of history when i'm not i'm not talking about like one soundbite people i'm talking about like one soundbite after the next on top of these beats that are most it's all instrumental but it's all layered in these vignettes of, of black history it's amazing phantom um yeah so what what you were saying before about like um keep doing what you're doing you don't know whose life you're in right that's like an analogy that i gave i don't know maybe about a month ago if if you remember sabrina where i said when you gotta shovel snow the way i shovel snow is i i don't look at the entire amount that i have to shovel because then i'll just go walk back in the house and say this shit is too much i just look at what's at my feet and focus on that. Take three layers off, take the top off, take the middle off, and then hit the concrete. Take the top off, the middle off, the concrete, and I just keep going. I don't look up. And then I wait and keep doing that. After a while, I look up, and I can't believe just how much snow I shoveled and how how much I cleared. You see what I'm saying? And that's what you got to keep, keep doing. Stay low, keep firing, stay low, keep shoveling. If you take a look at... The amount that you, I mean, you know, even, you know, even when, when cryo had came on and she was, she was looking at the entire amount. I saw it as her looking at the entire amount of snow that she has to shovel. And it's like, it can take a lot of energy out of you. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it is like shoveling snow is, is a workout for you guys like that don't live in states where it snows. It really is a workout, especially when you get like eight inches, nine inches, things like that. Like it, it really is a workout. And honestly, they will actually tell you, at least here in Massachusetts, if you have heart problems, they will advise you not to shovel your own snow. I, I know all about that yeah. because I live in Maine. So I didn't. Oh, I, you go. What's up? I did, 
I did plenty of shoveling. We had our own uh, we had our own wood stoves. I had to go get the wood in the forest. I actually put it on the trailer. Then we had a log splitter. We we, we kind of cheated on that one. But then you had to take the wood and you had to stack the wood. Yeah, it's it was, it's a process of doing all this stuff just for the winter. I I understand completely what you're talking about. Yeah, it's right, exactly. So that's 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 how I that's sometimes how you have to how we have to look at the look at these issues. But yeah. here, here is the question: since you're from Maine, here here is here is the million dollar question that mm. all of us always wanted to know. Drum roll, please. Brrr. Are there any black people that live in Maine? Yes, Roger. Yeah, yes, yes they, there are. I knew you were coming with that question. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the question. Yes, there are. What, like uh, one? UT, no, there, there, there's a few. There's, there's a few that are there. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's more than you would expect. Yeah, there's I more than you would that. expect. One of, the, one, one of the strange things to me about Maine in particular is like they will is like I don't know if the immigration process is different, but they'll actually have like bring more Africans in here, and then they'll bring them in during the winter time, which is absolutely crazy because then they don't have like jackets or anything like that, and then you'll see some Africans wandering around the street, and you're like, this is so bizarre. Why would you do that to people just coming there? You know, um. They should give them jackets. They should give them a, a lot of things. But I guess that's what happens a lot of times when you, you don't know where you're going to end up and you just end up on this, in the States and you say, you're you're basically on your own. Figure it out. Well, I, how do you know I was going to ask um, that, Sabrina? Yeah, I was going to add that to Roger and let him know. And I'll bring in Steve. Um, I was just going to say, like, when I go, I go to Maine every summer. Notice that's yeah. summer. <laughs> I never go up there for the winter. But I go there every summer. Because that's when they have, like, the lobster rolls and everything. Because if you go, like, during off-season, that shit's expensive, and I ain't got time for that. But I go there every summer, and we usually go to Portland area. Sometimes we'll go up to Freeport, uh, Bar Harbor-like area. But most of the time, we go to Portland. And that's kind of, like, their city. Like, that's, that's, like, it's, like, a small, small Boston, but in Maine. Um, but anyway, the food is good. And, but in Portland, I did notice that like most of the black people that I did see are African. So it's, it's, it is different. Same thing with Vermont. If you go to Vermont, if you want to see black people, you're going to have to go to Burlington because that's, that's the city. Right. And most, most likely most of them will be from Africa. Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit different, but, but yeah, I totally hear what Fantomas is saying. Like, I thought the same thing too. I was like, why do you bring the motherfuckers up? Oh my God, my language. I'm so bad. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get better, you guys. Damn. Okay. All right. I thought to myself, like, why they bring them here in the winter? They know damn well it's cold. Like, I told you yeah. that yeah. it's cold here in Massachusetts, but the cold here is nothing compared to the cold in Maine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, one last thing I'll, I'll mention before, because I guess we have to mention Stephen King, but. You know, Stephen King, one of the craziest things to me about Stephen King is is they have like the audio book, The Dark Tower. And he actually has like he does a black woman, old black woman's voice on, on the audio book. And I just oh, I remember God. that yep. thinking like, Jesus, this is so this is so cultural, like uh, inappropriate. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the fact that like he thought he that was OK to do that 
is just insane. I mean, like he would really put it on. Like, listen, I have a friend from Maine, and yeah. she told me she said there was she didn't live near the city, but she grew up in Monmouth, Maine. It's like uh-huh. a small town further away from Portland. But she said there was one black kid in her high school, and he was from Africa. And she said, like, growing up, she felt bad for him because she was just like, damn, like, how does he feel? Like, not having anybody, you know, it looks like him, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so when I met her, it was when she moved down south, like, when I was in college, that's how I met her. And so she said that, like, she was like, when she moved down south, she was like, the fuck, I've been missing out on a lot of shit. She said, I've missed out on so much in my life. She was like, holy fuck. She was like, <laughs> and she took me, I'll never forget this. She took me back home with her to Maine because she went, she was like, let me meet my friends, my family and all this stuff. And we went back up during the winter. And I, that's what I told you. That's why I only go to Maine during the summer. We went up there during the winter. And it was like her friends, because we're millennials. So her friends were like, just totally chill, like whatever. No big deal. Yeah. The friends' parents, they Uh-oh. were staring at me like, Oh my God, is this a black person? Yes, we do exist. <laughs> we do exist. But she was like, I remember she said to me, she was just like, I can't believe if I never made this move like down South, I would have lived and died in Maine because she had never traveled. And she said, and that would have been all I knew. And she was like, and I came down South and she was like, there's so many different people here. And not just black people, but it's true. She was like, there's people from all different nationalities. Like, it's like, she's like, I've missed out on so much of my life being stuck up in Maine. She was like, everybody looked like me. She was like, what the fuck was wrong with my parents? And I said, well, they were born there. They're, they're from there. I mean, that was their home. So, I mean, like, that's, that's, that's what they knew. And she was just like, I've been missing out all my fucking life. And like, she lost it. Like, she went lit. Like, she was just like, I'm finally with people who are like me. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what do you mean like you? She's like, people like me, people that understand hip hop, people that under people that know how to fucking dance. Like I remember her saying people that know put seasoning on the food. Sabrina, she she I'ma see I'ma see if you can hear this. Um she realized uh, not until she went to South Carolina to meet you guys or whatever. She realized her life before that was... That is utterly false and complete fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Roger, you still have that clip of me? Oh my God, that was bad. (laughs) I'm going to keep that forever. Are you kidding me? Somebody told me they were going to turn that shit into a meme. (laughs) Oh, that would be dope. That is and complete fiction. Complete fiction. Sabby, did you talk about that incident that happened in Philadelphia with the Catholic girls yet? Or do you know about that? No, I don't know about that. What happened? So three Catholic girls in in their school, they they were they sent a video on Facebook where they spray painted a girl's face in blackface and they said, uh, know your roots, know your heritage. And they actually put it up. They were proud to put up the video. It's it's absolutely insane. They they recently got expelled for it, but that kind of gives you an idea of the culture that we're in in this world. 
the fact that they thought that that was completely, you know what, that, that kind of reminds me of like American Psycho or some shit like that, that you don't even have like the register to know like, yeah, you should keep this video to yourself. <laughs> but you know what? But I've yeah. told people this before about Philly because people think they're like, well, there's a large black population in Philly. Yeah. Philly's still racist as hell. Yeah. It's still just as much segregated like Boston is. That's what I'm trying to tell people. I was like, if you come to the Northeast, and if I ever talk to Norm Finkelstein, I'm going to explain this to him. Norm, in the Northeast, it is still very much segregated as hell. Like, it's gotten better. Don't get me wrong. It has improved. But it's still pretty much segregated. You don't see this type of segregation in the South. You just don't. If you go to North Carolina, you don't see this shit. You mm. go to South Carolina, you don't see it. Like, it's just... I said, but you do heavily see that shit here. So if I ever talk to Norm, I'd be like, Norm, we got to talk. We, we need to have a conversation. Let's let's bring in Steve. Steve. What's up, Steve? Did, did you ever hear Norm's rant on, uh, what was it, Eldridge Cleaver, I think, on the, the, the penis pants and stuff like that? I didn't, but I don't think I want to hear it because Norm be all over the place, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He just picks one thing from black culture and then he riffs on it and, and he thinks like that's the negative thing. And then there's nothing else that's positive of, you know, black revolutionary history or something. And then he just constantly just stays on that. It's, 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 it's you know what it's like? He would be a great character on Boondocks. <laughs> he, would, he would be a great. By the way, do you guys know? Roger, I, I don't know if maybe you know this. Do you guys know why um, uh, they stopped running boondocks in the newspapers? I don't know. Maybe you do know this. Because boondocks used to be syndicated in all of, I don't know if people know this, a lot yeah. of national paper. It was like next to Doonesbury. Um, yeah, boondocks, well, the guy, um, they were going to bring it back. At least yeah. the show. They were going to bring it back. But John Witherspoon died. But do you know why Aaron Magruder, a lot of people don't know this, but do you know why his comic was removed from newspapers? I'm about to hit you with some knowledge here. No. Um, so it's when 9-11 happened, when 9-11 happened, there was a cartoon called Flaggy. And he put that up instead of using boondocks. And so because the reason why he did Flaggy was it was like this American flag. And you would be like talking to this flag about the patriotism and stuff like that. So it was right next to Doonesbury. It was all right next to all of these American comics. But it's so subversive because he was the only one that was speaking like, Flaggy, what should we do? <laughs> They're hilarious comics because basically, <laughs> I mean, he was telling you the truth about 9-11 before anyone would even say it. But it cost him basically his comic strip and a lot of syndication. So yeah. that that's just something that's that gives you an idea of like the the freedom of America that you think we have when when all he did was make an American flag called flaggy was when you think about it it's not even that offensive. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So bring in, let me go ahead and bring in Steve. Steve, just have to unmute. What's going on, Steve? Scuba Steve. Hello, hello, hello. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. I, I enjoyed the conversation there with Phantomus and Roger and everybody. Um, I, yeah, I wanted to touch on some of the stuff that Norm said, but it's pretty late. Um, so I'll talk about two other things that crossed my mind throughout the conversation tonight. 
Um, the first one to clarify what Lysol was saying, uh, I, I'm I'm the guy you referred to. Um, top two is not banning parties; it's an effective ban. Um, the only time you'll see a third party candidate on the ballot, the general election ballot in November, is if they are running against someone who uh, unopposed, who ran unopposed, like a Democrat who ran unopposed, mm. and then that way in the primary. They finished top two. Um, Kenneth Mejia in a district down in L.A. was one of the few exceptions who actually battled in a three-way race and made top two. But I think that was the first time that happened with a third party since top two was initiated. Um, And then, um, you know, at local uh, races, most uh, general law cities, at least in California, um, they don't have primaries for their city elections. Like some charter cities like San Francisco might have primaries. I'm not sure. Um, but my charter city does not have it and any general law city wouldn't. So most cities don't have primaries and they do a jungle primary, what's called a jungle primary or free for all in the, on the November ballot. And those are all uh, nonpartisan. Like you're, you're not supposed to under election law affiliate with a party when you're running for like a municipal election or like a school board or whatever. Um, so top two is not an outright ban on political parties. It is just uh, a purposely erected barrier to third parties making general election ballots. Um, oh, so the, just um, for some questions. Steve, do you remember the young guy? He was really, really young. And he won um, city comptroller in LA. Green party uh, guy. Comptroller? Yeah, really, really young guy. He was like... Jesus. Oh, Filipino? Yes. Kenneth Mejia. So he yes. ran for Congress twice and then uh, failed those and then ran for a nonpartisan race in the city and got elected. But okay. he had since severed his time ties with the California Green Party because um, although, you know, he got he was able to get volunteers and have like access to a very, very limited donor base. Like the party itself didn't do shit for him because the party's not built to do shit for candidates, which is why the Green Party is kind of a joke. And I say that as someone who spent years and years trying to um to change that uh from inside the party um so uh yeah kenneth me here and it uh i didn't realize he had won um yeah he won because i remember when he won jb and i think it might have been only jb jb did a show about him on rbn i think jb was trying to okay. see if he could get him on but yeah he won cool yeah i knew that he had switched to um uh Cause that's what he was. He's an accountant by trade. Right. So I knew that after he tried for his congressional district twice, I want to say district 34, but I don't really remember. Um, once he failed twice uh, for Congress, he then decided to run for a city seat. So if he won, that's great. I didn't know that, but he was one of the only exceptions to get on a general election ballot as a congressional candidate under top two. He's like the exception, not the rule. Sorry, go ahead. Steve, can I ask, let me ask you a question. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, do your voter registration forms have paid postage on it already? Dude, Dude I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know the answer to that. I haven't registered. I mean, it's, it's cool. No, because that's something, that's something that I like, com- that I noticed recently as I was like trying to sign people up to be. Yeah, over here to to um to be like independent. I happened to look on the thing, so yeah, Sabrina, I told you about it. So I went to the board of elections today, 
and they was just like, oh yeah, sorry, we don't have paid for postage on there or whatever. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to come out of pocket and buy like more than 80 stamps because, you know, like I can't imagine signing people up, you know, because the, the woman was telling me at the office, oh, well, you could just hand it in to us. I was like, well, I don't think anyone's going to trust me with the last four digits of their social security number or their sure. uh, license number on this, on, on this thing. I'd rather just be like, you mail it, you know, but I mean, that's, that's, you can call it kind of voter suppression. You know what I mean? Like, why in the world would you not put paid postage? You know, oh, Lucy, did you, did you, uh, buy a stamp to that or did you just put it in the mailbox? I think Lucy is, is off the call, but I do want to say, um, in Massachusetts, all this stuff is online. So for me, like, I'm trying to remember the last time you have an echo, Roger. I'm trying to remember the last time I paid for a stamp and I can't remember. So I don't like, honestly, if I can't do it online, <laughs> I'm not trying to fuck with it, bro. Like, yeah, like seriously, you. like our stuff is all like online. So even if you need to like change like your voter registration or whatever, you do it all online. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, we have online voter registration. And I th I think you're right, Roger, but like most uh like government services, like uh health and human services or whatever, uh, even like the uh agricultural department for the county, like they have offices, some kind of bureaucratic office in every kind of city of consequence in the county, and they all take they all, all collect them and then um turn them in. So you don't have to have postage. Um but since you're on, I did want to mention uh, ballot initiatives real quick. I know I had mentioned it before, but a lot of people don't remember or don't realize that um, California made gay marriage illegal by ballot initiative before the Supreme Court overturned it. I want to say that was 08, but it could have been 06 or 2010. Plus, we've fought for things like rent control and failed miserably. Plus, like uh, Lysol mentioned, the dialysis clinic that's on there all the time and the gig work so anyway it's it's just a mixed bag and i in all my years of voting i've i've been voting every election i could so that started what like 2002 i think um and uh i i can't recall many ballot initiatives that really like stuck out as super important we did pass a millionaire's tax um it was structured and put on the ballot by the legislature um because our constitution requires like most tax increases go on on the um for initiative and that's the same at, at the city level we're not allowed to really raise taxes without like a two-thirds majority vote by everybody so it makes it virtually impossible which is why the california schools um are underfunded and underperformed per capita um among other things we have prop 13 which passed by ballot initiative which like capped property tax rates so old people that have been sitting in the house for 40 years pay less taxes than somebody who bought, uh, you know, a house in, in uh, more recently. Um, yeah, I, I covered that. I remember that. I covered that. And okay. I remember also with California that like with the ballot initiatives, like there were some things. This is the thing about ballot initiatives. Some of the things that are put on the ballot are not good. So you guys right. really have to pay close attention to the question. And if you don't understand the question, 
please research the question. Don't vote on the question based off of what you see from those ads on TV. You have to remember people pay. That's what I was saying when I say, oh, here's the campaign finance money that was contributed to support it or oppose it. That's why I tell you that so you can see how much money people are spending to get you to not vote for something or to vote for something. So that's very important. Yeah, 100%. That's the vast majority of people don't even think about the election until their vote by mail ballot comes uh, to their door. Sorry, go that's, ahead, Roger. That's the reason why if you don't understand the question, leave it blank. Now, I also... Yes. Right, exactly. But I also said, I, well, I never said that it's a surefire way, but it does give you power to at least you know where people stand. You know what I mean? Like, you know... It, you know, like where people stand on, on the issues, right? So you could say, all right, there's still like I haven't seen the big ones. You know what I mean? Single payer, a California public bank, um, outlaw private equity from owning housing. So that's a big stop, one. So, so they can stop engaging in rent speculation, which is driving rent rates up across the country. Um, Outlawing, uh, outlawing um, private equity from. Oh, oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Outlawing private because you know sometimes the phone goes off. Uh, <laughs> outlawing private equity from owning hospitals and clinics and dialysis and all that stuff. You see sure. what I'm saying? So no, no, it's, no. It's, I'm, it's I'm one. Yeah, finish your thought, bro. No, finish your thought. No, no, I was just saying. I've seen. I've seen like the the. I, you know what I see? I see like, I don't know, appetizers. I seen, I seen like what people like all these, all these ones with, all, you know, like the what would you say the gay marriage and like all this other stuff. I just see those as appetizers. I, I just see those as the the bread that they bring out of the cheese biscuits they bring out before the main course. No one has bought the main course out yet. You know what I mean? So we. You don't know how it's going to be. You might, you might not like the appetizer, but you might like the the main course. But you got to put it out. You got to see where people are at when it comes to the meal, the main course, the main dish. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I hundred percent. But I I think that people underestimate like how fickle the electorate is. Like, because there are you know some pretty radical people and then a lot of maybe left of center bernie was pretty popular in california um, but you'll never know until you put it on the ballot right but, but california has the most expensive media market in the country california has 40 million people california is the third largest state by geography um it is it is not like we can just put it on the ballot like we have to get yeah, a certain yeah, number of signatures that. from every county and like the the county in the northeast of cal i live in north north northeastern california and the county in the most northeastern part of the state is like a six and a half hour drive like it's not as easy to do i understand what you're saying in terms of like we can't we have a ballot initiative process so we can push for more radical things there's not, I've seen enough political will and enough money and energy behind that monumental task, which is why, as Lysol said, 
the ballot initiative process in California, which has existed since before I, um, it, it is generally used to litigate on behalf of private corporations. If they don't like something the legislature does, they pay to get a ballot initiative up. If they don't like uh, something labor has done or whatever, they pay to put a, a ballot initiative up. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I, um, I was going to say CJ and Ron Pucone talked about that when we did that ballot initiative panel. They did talk about that, like how it is in California. But hey, you guys passed marijuana, like some states still struggling to pass that, which is still weird to me. Yeah, that's a little different for a couple reasons. One, like cannabis has been like the primary commodity export for like three counties in California since like the 1970s. So like weed has always been a big part of like California culture and identity, I think. Um, and so that was kind of a lot easier to achieve than something like, uh, you know, nationalizing the oil industry or, or, yeah. or uh, you know, building. I mean, it's, it's illegal in our constitution by ballot initiative. And of course, this is a legacy of like redlining and racism that's codified into law. But it was passed by voters in the 1950s. And the only way we can get rid of it is uh, is abolishing it by initiative. And that's uh, that you can't um, govern local governments cannot build any um, housing, public housing without express consent of the voters concerned. So if a city wanted to put up like 60 units of public housing, they would have to get, you know, whatever, a 66 percent majority of a city who doesn't like, you know, and then you're like trying to deal with people who don't want public housing for ideological reasons. Like they don't think government should build housing or people who are that all the NIMBYs who are fucking terrified of poor people possibly moving into their neighborhood. Like it's just, it's like that everywhere. It's like that in a lot of places though, Steve, it's like that. It's like that here in Massachusetts too. You can't build public public housing? housing. Public housing is only allotted to certain areas. And even then there's like a five-year waiting list just to get in. Yeah. Like they're trying, they're trying to do away with public housing. That's why they're talking about affordable housing, which actually is also a trap within itself because affordable housing is not actually affordable. Like there are apartment units in Boston. If you go into the boston.gov website and you look up affordable housing, there are apartment units in Boston that are $4,000 a month that are classified as affordable housing. Now that's not affordable, not even to working class people, but that's not even affordable to a lot of the professionals that live here in Boston. But because it meets a certain criteria, it is considered affordable housing. So that's a crop. That's a problem that's been happening across yeah. the board. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm- but I wanted to hear what you wanted to say, Steve, about um, Norm. Go ahead. Because- oh, no, no, no. I, I was going to bypass that in favor of these things. And then I had one final thought and then I can get off. But I think Roger was going to say something. Oh, go ahead, okay. Roger. So our governor out here in, in New York State, she is, speaking of housing, she has some, uh, uh, she's trying to build homes in the suburbs, right? So you have and mostly, you know, out in Nassau and Suffolk County, Long Island, and Westchester County, right? So there's a, there's a lot of nimbyism that's that's going on there, and what do you call it? Um, and part of the part of the biggest thing is this is all being done at the behest of 
her big money donors, which is real estate. What is this? The B. Police reported ahead. No, not police. Real estate um, broker New York, I think it's called. They're like the biggest uh, uh, donors in New York State. Okay, so they're the ones that's responsible for all this rent, all these rent hikes. You know what I'm saying? I think it's a private equity firm or whatever, but they have a lot of uh, power in Albany. And it, it, on the surface, she says, oh, we're going to build, you know, um, you know, affordable housing and, and build more homes and so on and so forth. But this is this is with the support of, uh, you know, Rebel New York, you know, real estate brokers broken New York, right? So um, just going back to uh, Larry Sharp, I was listening to his show today, and now he was saying, okay, so I'm, I'm gonna, I might get some of this wrong because I only heard him say it once. It would have to be, I would have to hear it again and again and again. But what he was talking about is possibly, he said, why not just have those who rent have it as like a, a rent-to-own type of thing instead of having to like, yeah, he said it can't just be throwing money at the problem and building more homes. How about giving renters a stake in where they live? You know, I'm not getting all of it, you know, but they were, have- they were supposed to. OK, I have to jump in about rent to own because right, when I spoke to residents at Grant Manor housing projects here in Boston, they were presented with that exact same strategy. They were told that you stay here for a certain number of years and then you'll be able to own your apartment. But after speaking to the residents who have been there for over 20 years, they explained to me when it came time for them to own it, that was thrown out the window. So that's another thing. Rent to own, be careful with that. That can be a trap. And like they they stayed there all those years thinking that, okay, I'm almost at that point where it's going to be my turn to own my my unit and then when that time came around it was just thrown out the window so sometimes rent to own can be used as a trap so just okay um talking about affordable housing though kind of actually conveniently led to my third point um i think sometime earlier you said like about the war rally and about blm like kind of like you asked this question like but then what like did I did I interpret that correctly, Sabs? Um, BLM about next steps. Yeah, I think I'm sorry. My it might have cut out. Um, it does that sometimes when my uh, phone screen turns off. Um, yeah, I think you had mentioned that about the war rally and about BLM about like how there doesn't seem like a natural follow on to it. So that energy kind of uh, that has built yeah. Yeah, dissipates. You Is that the- accurate? Yeah, you don't want the energy to die. Like, there needs to be a next step. And I've seen that happen multiple times with multiple rallies I've been a part of and different events, and there's no next step. And so what happened with the George Floyd protest is that the, the demand was to defund the police. But after, like I said, after Trump won, and most of those protesters went back home, there was no next step. There was no, okay, what do we do now? And so it just died, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And then, and then folks were talking about that train and we were talking about housing and I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. Maybe you follow on with, uh, after an anti-war rally with 
Um, you know, instead of sending that money to Ukraine or upgrading our nuclear arsenal that we really should never, ever use, like, maybe let's channel that money to public housing and fix the homelessness crisis. But I thought with the train derailment, that would be even better because, like, um, it's something that it doesn't matter really your political persuasion. It's like one of those things where you're like, hey, trains keep fucking fucking up and the ports are all backlogged and the airports aren't functioning. Like, let's stop spending so much money on war and maybe focus on our infrastructure. Right. Like, um, as a, as a, as a potential follow on, um, I guess. Cause like, I don't know, man, I don't think that anybody can, there's not a lot of people who would say no infrastructure is a bad thing. If that makes so, sense. So Steve, so pretty much, um, that's the perfect, that's the perfect, uh, initiative for you. Cause a public bank, the main thing that it does besides all this other stuff, but it's main number one thing is infrastructure. You feel what I'm saying? So you for have a, bank? yes, a public bank. It's sure. like, yeah, I say it does all these other things, but it's first priority is it acts as an infrastructure bank. Okay, so you yeah, got... can I cut you off real quick, man? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm very familiar with public banks. I ran for local office with public bank on my uh, uh, platform. Um, the state of California has public banks. I've I've talked to count, county supervisors about public banks. It all comes down to money. I totally agree with you. I'm just talking specifically about movement energy and what to actually f- demand of government because it's one thing to be upset about a train crash or or fucking outraged and rioting over the you know uh incessant no. murder of black and brown and poor people like i'm i'm just saying is as a focus sure a public bank would be a mechanism and potentially a demand but i guess i was more not yeah sorry yeah, yeah i was see, see i'm i'm bypassing the demand and going straight to the to the action straight to the mechanism you know what I mean? Of, of, you know what I'm saying? I know, I, you know, I know. I keep beating a dead horse, or do whatever it is. Keep, keep going and over like a broken clock. But I'm just saying, you know, we need to start running initiatives for public bank initiatives as an amendment. Like, so you got, so you got the permission slip bill. You guys passed the. I call it a permission. I call it. I call it a permission slip bill, where your state, your state. Um, gave permission to municipalities to charter their own public bank, but you don't have a state public bank. You know what I mean? So it's—I mean—you got further than a lot of other states did since North Dakota and and the Samoan Islands, which which did a public bank in 2018. Okay, so that's like after a hundred years, you're the first state to at least you know get close to a state public bank, but at least you have. Are now chartering, you know, uh, uh, local ones. So I'm just saying to the next step, you know, run an initi- initiative for for California public bank. You know what I'm saying? And and that goes beyond demanding. That's you're actually doing action. You know what I mean? And I understand it's hard and and in all the money and blah blah blah. blah but it's just not as hard as New York because we don't have an initiative. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, a hundred percent. I'm just talking about mass movement building. Like I'm kind of in the camp of like, yes, we need to understand how to advance our agenda in the language of 
politics. So that means policies, laws, etc. But I'm talking more about the movement energy that's required to get the system to budge. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about a national push. Whether you yeah, know, I'm not. talking about mass and sustained street protest as the only way we're going to get any con- concessions out of the system. The only thing is, I I never known protests to be strategic. I've always known them to be organic. Whether it was George Floyd, whether it was Rodney King, whether it was um, with the thing that we had down here on Wall Street, the income inequality thing, um, Wall, Occupy Wall Street. I've always known those things like you, you try to plan these, these, these movement or whatever the case is. It, it, it's like it's, I just see it as, you, you know, when you play that video game, right? And there's this thing that comes out every once in a blue moon. And if you hit it, you, you get to bypass 10 levels. You know what I mean? Or, or you get like 10,000 extra points. You know what I mean? That that's how I see these 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 national movements. You know what I mean? They they just pop up. They they're organic. It, you you just can't plan them. You know what I mean? So I'm talking about working with what you can plan. You know what I'm saying? Working with, with what is there. At least putting something in place so then when something jumps off, you're more than prepared. You yeah. Know what I'm saying? I- no, no, no. I hear you 100%. But I think of what if you took like the yellow vests and the Canadian trucker protest and the occupations um, that labor have done, among others, like, and you combined all of that into a mass movement. That's how I think, like, I don't know, I we can spend endless conversations with bureaucrats and maybe get, you know, a bill that finally gets passed and a bureaucracy is established and then there's a rules making period while they figure out how to make it happen and by that point it's 10 12 15 years down the road and, and that's why and that's why i say work with what you got right now right which yeah is- no 100 percent. i'll i'll get off i'll get off now sorry noel we keep going around this circle but the reality is there is no substitute for organizing these spaces in terms of the grassroots. And what I am um, most concerned about is we've allowed um, money to get too involved in our campaign financing, which is which is what gives them the inroad to governance. And as we have seen with the squad and all these other people, once they get elected, it's a different paradigm. And they start just like with um, the girl here, Chantel Brown, you know, she came out of county government. She ran and she came virtually out of nowhere to win. And it was because big money came in through APAC and the um Democratic majority for Israel, and they came in for her. Really, it was not that they came in for her, but they came in against Nina Turner. And so she benefited. But in terms of getting her to do something, and then I just read a few weeks ago that she was one of the people who took money from Sam Bankman Free. 
And it's like, girl, you just got there 10 minutes ago and you already in stuff. So I just see the the way for us to ungum up the system. And here in Cleveland, it can be just as bad locally as it's bad nationally to just try and get these elected officials to do something. And once they get elected and they get that name recognition, they just keep getting reelected and nothing changes. And it's just really bad. Sabrina, um, I just happen to... Can you hear me? I can hear you. Something just occurred. Um, When I was talking about these movements, how they just like pop up, how how they're organic. Um, that is probably the only way. Like when we do, when when that happens, then all the you know, then then the um the, then the alphabet boys have to catch up to us. But when we plan it, they're on us like white on rice. You know what I mean? Yes. So maybe it is best that it remains organic. You know what I mean? While in the meantime, we build infrastructure on the ground. I don't mean, when I say infrastructure, I'm not talking about like bridges and stuff. I mean like, you know, like I said, going back to the initiatives. I I know I keep going back to that. But um, the, the, and, and, and these type of things, so that it, it to better help prepare us for when things do jump off, when things do pop off, we'll be in a better position to capture that. You know, you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if it sounds yeah, like I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm 100 percent with it. Um, I'm I'm gonna roll out, but I, I do I do stand by that. I, I think that sustained mass street protest is the only thing that's going to get concessions at all on a time scale that's relevant to the problems we face. Thanks for your time, y'all. Hanging out. Thanks so much, Steve. Peace. Mm-hmm. All right. Going to bring in Gator, and then we're going to end with Gator, and then I'm going to head out. What's up, Gator? Hey, Sabi. Is the left canceling itself? Um, yes, to an extent. Um and I know that it's the end, so I'll just keep this really quick. There's um, an article by Jacqueline Luckman and I think the Black Access Review, where she argues essentially that this particular anti-war rally should be um, practically walked away from because she describes the organising Libertarian Party as essentially massively oppressive of all of the things that um, the Black Left movement should uh, care about. And therefore, it shouldn't. Uh, no one should lend the Libertarian Party uh, their credibility by attending. Uh, but she ignores the fact that um, that it's possible to uh, essentially for people to come together on a common cause, irrespective of, say, for example, the minutiae of the people um, making the arrangements. Shall we say? Now, the, but on, by contrast, Chris Hedges literally put out an article in Consortium News t- today basically saying that um, if the left and right can't transcend their own sort of uh, self-imposed divisions, 
you'll never make citizen movements will never be able to get anywhere near the critical mass required for any meaningful anti-war movement or any other significant um, movement that gets results in society. Now, I would argue that um, on the anti-war movement, the things that I've heard, um, which frankly I find too simplistic, include stuff like um, who, how, 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 how anti-war is that person? You know, and they're not anti-war enough. Uh, and then also minutiae details, particularly about why people don't like that guy in general or the or this woman in general, right? And the the argument goes. So I find that lacking because if you try to um, boil things down, and I think the previous speaker roughly alluded to this and said, "Hey." What if you could get a movement that contained this group and this group and this group? That would be a great melding because they are all completely compatible or ex politically acceptably compatible. Good luck trying to get or harness anything like the power of the 99%. People want to run around telling themselves, hey, we shouldn't be fucked over because we're the majority. And it's only this ultra minority of people who are screwing us and taking all the things, right? And taking all the wealth. Well, this entire micro conversation about the left the right and the anti-war movement perfectly sums up why the minority are able to do what they do because they play the game of divide and conquer and then we amplify it in really stupid ways when you're even when you're in a time where the only true reality that you have to face is that you need to come together on as few commonalities as possible, fight for those commonalities, and then pick over the bones of, of, of minutiae detail later. It's a little bit like that annoying situation where you might be in a war, you're at the bottom of a hill, you're in a facing a major battle, and you're going, fuck, we need as many people as possible. You look to your right, and there's a group of people who are walking over. They've got slightly pointy teeth, but they're really ferocious fighters, right? And you're going, shit. These guys are a bit dangerous and a bit crazy, but we need all the help we can get. And they'll go, no, we're willing to fight to the top of the hill with you. And so you end up going, yeah, all right then, lads. They go up, they fight the direction they want, they don't betray you. But when they get to the top of the hill and you've won, they pull out some knives and some pliers and start pulling out teeth of dead bodies and cutting out organs. At that point, you might go, you know what? Yeah, we're not going to have a party with you but at least we all got to the top of the hill and ultimately won the war. That's the kind of situation you're dealing with. And in a bigger sense, and this is where I'll draw it to a close, this is just a micro test of, of, of the bigger picture, which is post-COVID and into this collapsing world where we're looking at multi multipolar changes in power and politics and all of the largesse that's built up in the Western system that has, you know, people would argue, I argue, we're, we live in neo-feudalism and COVID proves that the divide, conquer, vax, unvax thing is easy to do to people, right? You need to be able to transcend this micro minutiae. He's not quite anti-war enough. He's got a slightly dodgy thing in his background. She doesn't say the things I like. You need to put all of that beside aside and say, what is the common cause? In this case, it's anti-war. In another case, it's anti-COVID or it's blocking the WHO's IHR rules or whatever, and just fight on those grounds. But instead, people people spasticate themselves 
by trying to find arguing argue about minutiae difference. And that is why the 0.1% piss themselves and laugh at the majority, because there is no majority. The majority is just lots of tiny tribes fighting with each other well before they get anywhere near fighting against the 0.1%. And that's what I think people have to take away personally. Um, a lot to unpack there, um, but I, I, I do want to, I have a couple of things I, I do want to comment on. Um, I did read the article. In fact, uh, Nick and CJ read the article on RBN as well. Um, so they went through it. And like I said, like earlier, like some of the criticisms that I have seen have been valid. Like we've, we've talked about some of these things early in the show, which you may not have heard Gator, but I did say like, yes, there should be more black speakers. Like if I organized this event, I would have done things differently. Um, but one thing I will say is this, is that if I like, as an organizer and an activist, if I like walked away from every act action that is criticized, then I wouldn't go to any actions. I wouldn't go to any rallies. I wouldn't go to any events because they're all attacked. And most of the attacks have come from Twitter. And this is another thing I want to bring out. Like, honestly, if I wasn't on Twitter, I wouldn't know about any of this shit. I wouldn't have known about these, these criticisms, attacks. Like, I still would have had my own criticisms, though. <laughs> I still would have had them. Looking at the speakers, which I, I had that criticism myself without listening to someone else and trying to have that person uh, make me feel that way. I already had those criticisms. That being said, if I were not on Twitter, I would have never seen these attacks. And I think we need to start thinking about this. How many times do we say we want to do something and think about doing something and then it gets attacked and we're like, oh shoot, I never mind, I don't want to participate anymore? How many times? You know, some of these same critiques, again, were mentioned at the Medicare for All marches. Same thing. They gave us the same critiques, which is really funny because some of those same organizers are now given the same critiques that were given to them towards the raging as the machine rally. And I'm like, you guys are being so hypocritical because you guys were in tears when people said those same things about your event. So that's the thing. This is why I said this before. Like some of these people, like, look, not everybody is an op. I agree. But some of these people, I have to look at who the criticism is coming from, having been in the space, and I have to look at the criticism. And like I said, some of the criticism is legit. But some of these people that have this criticism, I've seen them have the same criticism about other events that did not have these same speakers. So you really have to ask, what is it really about? I've seen people have the same criticism about events that did not have Jackson Hinkle or any of these people as speakers. Some of these same people had criticisms about the Julian Assange rally that was done in October. Jackson Hinkle was not a speaker. Jimmy Dore was not a speaker. And they had the same criticism. 
and there was more black people. And by the way, that was not organized by Libertarian Party or the People's Party. That was organized by Action for Assange. So at some point, you have to take a step back and look at the people who are doing the criticizing. If it's the same people every time an event or action is being organized, you have to start to ask, what is the goal for them? Go ahead. So, oh, um, so when they, um, I'm trying to think, just trying to think what I was going to say. Uh, oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I talk about, um, we talk about ego all the time, right? But there's also another, another, uh, deadly sin is fear. You know what I mean? Sometimes people talk about fear of losing, but there's also a fear of winning. Okay. Because what happens is that means everything changes. Um, when you're in a space where you're always miserable or in, you know, like not talking about anybody specific, but when you're in a space where you're miserable all the time and you have a way to get out of it, fear might stop you from going there because as long as you're here, you always know what the outcome is going to be. So a lot of times people are afraid of change. Oh, my screen went dark. Did you hear me? Uh-oh. We hear you, Roger. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's that's what, you know, can, can happen. You know, it's 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 also fear. You know what I mean? And that's part of the thing is, is trying to fight against that fear. A lot of times people are talking, you're talking, you're not talking to them. You're talking to their fear. You know what I mean? And, yeah, Some of it's it is- also ego. But I was about to say some of it is fear and some of it is ego. Haven't been in these organizing spaces. I'm telling you, some of it is because some people want they want their self to be the one that accomplished it. They don't want another group to accomplish it. They want to be the ones that accomplished it. And I've seen this time and time again, even before I had a show on YouTube, even when I was just doing activism, I saw this in the activism community. Some of them like they just didn't want another group to be the one to get the shine. They wanted to be the ones to get the shine. So you have to ask yourself, like, how many people activism space are actually in this because they want to help people? And how many of them are in it because they want to get some type of notoriety? And if you're doing it because you want to get notoriety, because you want to get a press release, because you want your, your face, like, in an article, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. I started volunteering when I was in high school. Nobody was taking my picture. Nobody was writing any damn articles about what we were doing. We did it because we wanted to help people. And that's the way I was raised. Yeah. And I, and I highly recommend, like, people need to check out um, Courtney and Keisha Banks, the Bank sisters. Same thing. They were raised the same way. You help people. That's the way you were raised. It was not because you wanted to get notoriety for doing it. And I think part of the problem is some people, not all, but there are some people that are in activism just to get the notoriety. Look at what happened with Black Lives Matter, the organization, not the the protesters on the ground, but the organization. They wanted notoriety. From what I heard, from what I've been told from other activists, 
they were co-opted yep. from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, because people want to be like with, uh, when excuse a, me, Chevrolet. Let me get this deal with Nike and all that stuff. No, that's not what activism is about. You're not supposed to be taking deals from other brands. I don't take no deals from brands. And people contact me every fucking day. Every day I get emails, whether it's a video game company, whether it's Nike has contacted me. All these people contact me, ask me, can I sponsor you? Oh, your channel is doing great. Let me sponsor you. I don't accept sponsorships. I don't accept it. That's what being independent is about. Because once you accept that sponsorship, then you got to tell your message. Then they're going to try to tell you, you need to support the Democratic Party. Like all this kind of stuff. I ain't got time for it, man. I I don't Mm -hmm. have time for it. So it's really funny. That's why I laugh when people say, well, you're a grifter. Grift off what, bitch? What am I grifting off of? Am I taking sponsors? No, I don't. Am I on mainstream media? No, I'm not. So I think it's just really interesting. Some of people just want, they don't want anything to change. You guys have got to understand this. Some of the people, again, who say like, Yeah, Democratic Party sucks. Yeah, we need a third party. Some of those same people don't actually want anything to change. Some of those same people are still operating within the Democratic Party on the down low, and they don't want you to know it. Now, I have respect for the people who are real about it, and they want you to know it. And they say, yeah, we need to do both. Like, for example, Breonna Joy Gray, she doesn't pretend like she's no, I'm not going to support progressive. She doesn't do that. She tells you like, yeah, why can't we do both? You see the difference? I respect the people who are upfront about that shit versus the people who try to pretend like they're against doing that strategy. And on the down low, they're still about doing it. And they're in DM groups on Twitter and they're talking to their other friends saying, yeah, let's push this person, da, 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 da. And let's attack this person and this person. And then they got a fucking mole in their DM group that takes screenshots and reports that shit right back to us. That's why I'm telling you, some of the people, not Noel, again, Noel's not even on Twitter, but some of the people <laughs> who are attacking this rally and other events that we've planned before that I've been involved with, some of those people are not serious about leaving the duopoly and they pretend like they are and they're not. And I know it because I've seen the fucking screenshots from their DM groups and I know who those people are and they think I don't know, but I do. Case, let's bring you in. What's up? Is the left what? canceling itself? What's going on, Sabrina? I, I apologize. I came in before, but I got a call. So um, I have to jump back out and I have to catch up to the whole show. But so if you don't mind, I'm I'm really in catch up mode. Can you give me a quick rundown on um, what the context is exactly? Yeah, so uh Norm Finkelstein, you remember him, Case? Yes, I saw that um Bree had him on his her show recently and I watched a good portion of that. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, so people reached out to me and said, um, after I covered that one, they were like, watch the interview with Norm and Aaron. And so I was mm. like, okay. So I watched okay. it and I covered that tonight. Mm. And Norm wrote a new book. Basically, you know, the title is The Left is Basically Canceling Itself. Okay. He, he did mention that on Brie's show. Go ahead. And so that's what we're talking about. Like some of the things mm. that Norm mentioned, mm-hmm. I did not agree with. 
like norm yeah. said white people are just a smidge above black people and i was like oh what? no you gotta talk about that i had to go there case i had to break that down tonight on the show mm. but he, i'm sorry was, real quick did he say that to um aaron is that what he, he told did, aaron? And that's what i was saying i was like why you oh i gotta that? watch like, this Go ahead. Right. Look, of course, Aaron, what, what what's Aaron supposed to say? Like, why you say it to someone who's not living that reality? Why uh-huh. you say that to someone who's not black, who's not living that reality, who's not living that experience? So it wasn't uh-huh. fair. I don't think it was uh-huh. fair for Aaron, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I would like to have a conversation with him so I so, can break that down to him. A hundred percent. And you know, he couldn't say that to Bree. I, I think he said it in a different way, but uh, he, he basically was saying when he was talking to Bree, that um black i think he was saying something about like um he was complaining about a, a woman i forgot her her name that she wrote a book and she was ta- emphasizing putting black issues above all and, and he was trying to say like people shouldn't be coming um from that point of view of like just black issues and and brie right. was i think she, she was trying to make the point like because with bernie sanders there was um a lot of black establishment people were saying like, oh, Bernie's not um, addressing the black issues. And Brie, of course, being the press secretary, she was trying to make the point that, well, by uh, advocating for Medicare for all, you know, black women, for example, are affected, I think, at the highest rate when it comes to health care. When it comes to childbirth. Yeah, especially when it comes to childbirth. Yeah. Exactly, especially when it comes to childbirth. So she, she was saying that by addressing this overall issue, it is addressing black issues so i i i probably didn't articulate that the best but um yeah i i definitely don't agree he, he brought his, up his on that. case he brought up reparations he got that shit wrong like he brought mm-hmm. up like there were some things that he said that i did agree with like you know the left is canceling itself like that kind of thing i understood where he was coming from i understood where he was coming from about like the class issue i totally get that i totally get it but it was very clear to me that norm has this perception that you know because we are a different generation that everybody all of us are living together in harmony and that there's no segregation and I have to disagree with that. Living in the Northeast, the Northeast is very much segregated till this day. Like there's some, don't get me wrong. Like there are some areas that are integrated, but for the most part, the Northeast is very segregated compared to living in the Southeast. And I felt like he wasn't willing to acknowledge that. So we talked about that, but the idea of the left canceling itself, one of the things that came up was the rage against the, the, the uh, war machine route. Uh-huh. And I've been very public about this. I've talked about it on my show for the past couple of weeks. And I said, I'll be going there to cover the event. I'm still going there to cover the event. Mm-hmm. And there was an article that was released by um, Jackie Lukeman from Black Agenda Report. Mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with Jackie or anyone from Black Agenda Report. I understand what she's saying in the article. Like, where are the Black speakers? I've also gave that same critique. Mm-hmm. But what is happening, Case, is that people, some people are now saying, you guys should not go. You shouldn't participate. Uh-huh. Medea Benjamin backed out because Code Pink told her not to not to be a speaker. But yeah. she's still going to the rally. She still stated uh-huh. publicly she's still going. So okay. I was just like, okay. And, and and she gave in her public statement that they told her not to participate because of Jackson Hinkle was going to be a speaker. Uh-huh. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hold on now. Not because Scott Ritter is going to be a speaker, but because Jackson Hinkle is going to be a speaker. 
And I've seen Medea and Jackson Hinkle organized in spaces before. They participated in events multiple times before. And when I was at the, when I spoke at the Assange rally in October in DC, Scott Ritter was a speaker. Jackson Hinkle was not. Medea Benjamin was there. She spoke. So I have to ask Case, what the hell happened all of a sudden? (laughs) And then the other thing is too, I noticed some of the people on Twitter who were criticizing this event, calling it racist. People have called me, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's been brought to my attention because I don't look at my mentions. It was brought to my attention like I've been called a rape apologist. Like I've been called like a right winger. I've been called a Oh, because you're going to this march? No, because I had Jimmy Dore on my show. Oh because my I'm God. Jimmy Dore on my show and I'm like, Sabby is a rave apologist. Jimmy Dore's been on my show multiple times. What the fuck is wrong with people? So, so all these kind of things that people are saying now, Case, and the thing is what I have noticed, what I was just saying to Gator is that it's the same people, Case. The same people who attacked this rally attack the Medicare for all marches that we did in 50 cities over this country two years ago. It's the mm-hmm. same people that attacked and criticized Camp Dada. Is the same people that attacked and criticized our general strike summit at RBN, that criticized our anti-imperialist summit at RBN, that criticized our third party summit. It's the same people, but I don't see them organizing nothing on their end. And what is interesting is that those same people, they will say the Democratic Party is bad. Yeah, yeah, we should organize a third party. But then I see them on other people's shows saying the exact opposite. Like these people, wow. you gotta understand. A call fucking went out. Do you know how many people contacted me? And I realized I, I've been shown recently. They're all in the same DM group, by the way. Like I said, they got moles in their DM groups. You know how many people contacted me the past couple of days? Say you can't go to this rally. First of all, I'm a grown woman, and if you <laughs> tell me that I first of all don't ever tell me what I mm-hmm. cannot do. Don't ever tell me that. Don't tell me who I can't talk to. Don't tell me who I can't. That, that mm-hmm. shit is going to go right above my head. And honestly, mm-hmm. if you are telling people not to organize, I'm looking at you sideways. Suspect. I agree with you. So I think the left. Yeah, yeah, I think the the left, unfortunately, you heard the term trigger happy. The left is cancel happy. Like at any moment, they're ready to just cancel people. You, got, you have to have a squeaky clean background to do almost anything on the left and be considered legitimate and it's sad that we do this to each other like we have to have what i call radical solidarity which is just we need to come together by any means necessary i don't care if you disagree on this topic or that topic if we're coming together for medicare for all that's all hands on deck if we're coming together to get us out of ukraine you know i heard about some people not being anti-war but if you're for ending this ukraine conflict and that's what that um was about that this march is about that's all that matters why somebody have to specifically be oh i'm specific on this particular issue no if we're all coming together saying hey we need to and i re- the website has an agenda right it has um hu- uh support for julian assange it has all these different mandates as long as the speakers are for those things then that's fine. And the most important is to bring as much people to this rally as possible. So that's the whole point of having all these popular Ron Paul, um, Jimmy Dore, all these different people are coming there because now you're going to have a bigger crowd than if it was just a whole bunch of people that don't have names. So that's the whole point is to put pressure 
on the politicians, which is another reason why you're going to D.C. So, you know, my opinion, of course, there's going to be issues here and there. But like I, if I was I had a bigger name and they say, hey, would you want to speak there? I'll be more inclined not to speak there because I want to make sure that I can go on different platforms to promote my initiatives. And if I go there, like that person, um, Code Pink, uh, Benjamin, uh, the, I forgot the name that you mentioned. I'm not mad at her if she had to step down because I understand the pressures of saying, hey, I want to have she's having her own rally from what I understand in another month later i think Cole pink is having their own anti-war rally so if you want to remain like quote unquote legitimate in different left spaces before they cancel you i can understand those pressures of not wanting to speak that's my opinion on this whole thing the, the next time sabrina when they start uh like calling you names or let's say if you, when you get norman finkelstein on your show and he starts saying the same stuff he said to Aaron. I want you to tell them. Um, I want you to tell all of them one thing and one thing only. <laughs> that is utterly <laughs> false and complete fiction. <laughs> uh, Sabrina, that can I mention one false. one more thing, real quick? Can yeah, I mention one last thing? Um, <laughs> I was actually, you know, doing my clipping stuff. I, I was watching Joy and Reed. And she was talking about um, how, you know, the the FBI um, hearing that the GOP was having and said, talking about how it was illegitimate. And she's like, well, what they really should do is focus on the FBI infiltrating Black Lives Matter back in 2020. And I was like, what is she talking about? And she mentioned an Intercept article. So I went to Intercept. I saw it. It was fascinating. I mean, I, I had to retweet it. I retweeted it recently and I clipped that out that. Um, the FBI infiltrated a Black Lives Matter, I believe it was in Colorado, if I'm co saying this correctly, and it talks about, so basically it's COINTELPRO 2.0. You know, we hear about how the Black Panthers was infiltrated by the FBI back in the day. This is happening right now where they had this yeah. guy, and he was trying to get Black Silver Lives Matter gone. people to um, buy guns and also kidnap or kill the, um, the DA, I believe, of Colorado. It was crazy so it just yeah, this yeah, situation yeah. reminds me of how people get infiltrated to divide us and and yeah, i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if a lot of these um commentaries is people who are sent here by the alphabet boys to infiltrate us and to divide us that's my yeah yeah we were talking about that um before you got on too about about denver colorado and the guy in the silver hearse yep. went to hit you know, a and and how he got the uh, yep. he got the, he got the leaders mm -hmm. to you know he, he made the leaders look like the snitches yes and then he and then he led them into into a burning building so mm -hmm. yeah let's get, get these guns and he's like yay let's do get the guns it's called snitch jacking I believe when when yeah, you're the, the yeah yeah when you're the infiltrator accusing other people of being infiltrators like yeah, that's they, why they I I agree. I agree with Nick's um, philosophy on this, right? You have the CIA talk um, infiltrating rules. There's like 10 of them or whatever. You go through that list and say, hey, if you are accomplishing, checking off these checkboxes of these lists of CIA infiltration rules, if you're doing what you're either one, you're an infiltrator or two, you're unconsciously acting like an infiltrator, which is just as bad. So it's like, I'm not going to accuse anybody of being an infiltrator, but if you're acting like one, three strikes, you're out. 
that's if I had an organization and I saw somebody bringing guns and they say, hey, let's go and attack this person. I'm like, okay, one strike, two strike, three strikes. I'm sorry, we we don't need you involved with our organization anymore. You got to go. Yeah, hundred percent. What's up, Brent? What's bringing Brent? Brent, what's your take on this? Is the left canceling itself? Yes, because um, it's very. Uh, how do you, they're just trying to. Uh, I don't know how to say this, but they're very strict in their principles. So the the right is very. Uh, they're very capitalist about money so it's very easy to be pro-corruption so they're very lockstep in that regard but the left they're more strict in their principles so they are canceling each other out but i feel like that's kind of necessary because if you're not consistent in your principles then people aren't going to be willing to listen to your message and when, when Kay said that people should we should be encouraging more we're trying to get more people into the movement I'm assuming he's talking about the people that believe Russia is the only bad guy in the war so to convince those people that the United States is prolonging the war by pumping billions to Ukraine you have to have a consistent anti-war message and I feel like Jackson Hinkle is specifically an issue and why Medea Benjamin was quote-unquote forced to drop out. It's because he specifically pushes a pro... I could say pro-Russia agenda where he supports an invasion of a sovereign country yet he claims that he's anti-war and those things don't go together. And the difference between him and Jimmy Dore is Jimmy Dore does not... He evades the questions about Russia. He doesn't address Russia. So he's able to focus on the anti-U.S. intervention message, which I think he's, he does an excellent job with. But with Jackson Hinkle, he pushes the pro-Russian war agenda. And that's a huge issue in terms of attracting people to, to your anti-war. And I feel like that's why Medea Benjamin is forced to... I don't know, disassociate. And I feel like the word anti-war needs to be clearly defined because I've debated this topic has come up in multiple call-ins and people call in and say, what is your definition of anti-war? Is it passivism? No, it's not. It's basically, to me, anti-war is a country defending itself from from a foreign invasion. That's the only time I feel a war is justified is if a country is being attacked and like Pearl Harbor, for example. So, well, I, I think the like, thing is, yeah. I think the thing is that people need to understand because I see there's some confusion in the chat. I think what people need to understand is that Code Pink asked Medea Benjamin to step down. But Dia Benjamin did not step down on her own accord. Medea Benjamin is still going to the rally. She did announce this on her Facebook post. So I just wanted to mention that. I think some people may have just be joining and maybe a little bit confused. So she will still be there at the rally. 
Um, and I think in reference to Jackson Hinkle, I think where some people may be confused is not so much the rhetoric that's been said on his YouTube show, but may have been said on Twitter. And I think that's where some of this is coming from. What he says on Twitter, I, I object to, but I feel like if it's not anti-war, it shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be on his what his views are on, are on the war. Is he anti-war? What is? How do you define anti-war? Is it the Gandhi pacifist approach, or is it defending your country from invasion? How do you define anti-war? And people they try to defend it by shifting the definition of anti-war. So I feel like the, it depends on if what the definition of anti-war is. Is is yeah. anti-war um, pumping uh, billions? to fund a, a war with weapons, the military-industrial complex, is that the only definition of anti-war? Or is it, does it also apply to Russia as well? So I feel like people, mm -hmm. Jackson Hinkle's getting a lot of heat, not because of what he says on Twitter, which I object to, but because of what he says on his YouTube channel, which it should be fair game if you consider yourself an, an, a, an activist. What you say on YouTube and social media should be fair game and well, that's not what was mentioned by Code Pink and Medea, Benjamin, uh, Medea Benjamin. Um, in her statement, she said that Code Pink said that he has displayed um, anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ uh, rhetoric. That's what the, it had nothing to do with war. It was those things. Yeah, that's dirty because they're trying to that they don't want to debate the actual what his actual war positions because it gets they they are gonna face a lot of debate mm. from a lot of pushback and they might lose uh, supporters that way because I go on a lot of these call-ins and I the I put up my position out there that. Both Putin and Biden have shown that they're they're both war criminals, and in the, in the Russian invasion in particular, no side's a good a good guy really. And debating the the nuances of like the the Russian war is very is very difficult. So they found an easier way to cancel him. It's very dirty, in my opinion. He shouldn't be canceled for that. He should be. Well, he's, well, he's not canceled. He's still a speaker. The person that got uh, canceled was Scott Ritter. Yeah, that's another issue. He shouldn't be. You shouldn't be canceled because of if, if you're anti-war and you want to put your message out there. If you're not in jail, if you if you didn't commit like an actual crime, then your message, whether it's you or somebody else, should be able to represent that message. Alphabet Man, I just want to address this. Alphabet Man says, where is that statement? I can't find it. It's on Facebook. If you go onto Medea Benjamin's Facebook page, it's on Facebook. I actually read it earlier tonight on the call-in. I read the statement. Um, but it's on the Facebook page. Can I ask a quick question just to um, like talk about what we want of this? Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so my question is, so let's say goal would be to get, what, um, 10,000, 20,000, 20, what do you think, uh, of people to this uh, march? That's the point I'm trying to make. How, how many think is a uh, success will make it a success? I'm just curious. 
Well, considering that it was announced earlier today mm-hmm. that um, Roger Waters is going to be a speaker, it's going to be a lot of people. Oh, wow. wow. So I think if if it was me um, trying to go down this route of change, right, through marches and, and through speeches like this, I would think, okay, let's see if we could get, you know, a certain number. Let's just say 5,000 to 10,000. Does I'm just throwing out a number at this first rally. And then hopefully Cole Pink is going, I believe, um, in a month after, they're going to have their own rally and say, hopefully they can double that. And then, like, hopefully we can just see it grow and grow for the next one, right? Is that, would you think that can help push change? They won't double, they won't double that um, Mm -hmm. case. See, Case, this is part of the problem. Like, honestly, like, I, by the way, when I found out about the Code Pink March, mm. I promoted that as well because I didn't even mm. know about it. It was not mm. heavily promoted the same way this one is. That's mm. part of the problem. Yeah. So I, I, I did, agree with you. Go ahead. I did promote it. I shared it. Those of you who watched, like, I think it was the other night. Yeah. Maybe it might have been yeah. Friday. Those of you who were watching, like, I promoted that. I did see that. I said, mm-hmm. FYI, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had just found out about that, and that was because of Afini. Mm. Before that, I didn't know about that march. I didn't Sabrina, see it at all. That's can can I say something real quick? Um, mm-hmm. There was a march. I live in uh, New Jersey. There was a march in New York or a big something that went down. And I was talking to, I was chatting with the robust opposition. I, I can't, her real name um, slips my mind, but she has a YouTube channel and she does activism stuff, journalism and stuff. And she's like, hey, did you hear about this um, going on in New York? And I was like, I had no clue this was going on. And, I, and when was go it? ahead, Roger. Huh? When was it? Last week? Yeah, it was like um, it's like maybe three weeks ago, three, four, three. I would say, I would guess that I last talked to her. And this was like a, a cold pink. I think it was um, Benjamin was supposed to be there as well. And I'm like, I had no clue this was going on. This is the problem with the left. We don't have a um a mentality of like. Okay, we need a spokesperson, and we need, need that spokesperson to go on every leftist show they can go on. Whether you disagree with them or not, go on Savvy Sab Show, go on RBN, go on everywhere yep. you should be promoting this thing. Hmm? Go ahead, Roger. Go on your show. Go on, any, anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> like, you do anything that you can to get the word out. Because I, I listen to Sabs. I listen to RBN. I still, I listen, I'm K, so I listen to mainstream media. I listen to TYT. I listen to Calculus. I listen to everyone. And Cancel. I didn't hear about this. I know, right? And I didn't hear about this um thing going on in my own backyard. So anyway, let me give. The- well, part of the problem is, I, I have noticed this too with Code Pink. Is like, again, it's not advertised. Like, just because it's on your website doesn't mean anything to me if I don't know about your website, if I don't know who you are. Like, you have to advertise. You have to advertise and promote. And one thing about this event in particular, it was heavily advertised and promoted. Like, that's why I said, like, I didn't even know about the anti-war rally in March until Afini told me, like, I didn't know about that. So I'm like, where was the promotion? So instead of getting mad at people, like I saw people say things on Twitter about why are there celebrities there and not veterans and da da da. I'm like, yo, shut the fuck up because you were so <laughs> mad. You were mad two years ago when people criticized the speakers that you chose for your fucking march. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, do I have to rehash this shit? Do I really got to yeah. go back there and dig up like receipts and shit? Oh. 
also, yeah. um, I want to also draw attention to so it seems like uh jackson hinkle has been getting the focus of attention lately and his views and so on and so forth i want to remind people that and this is not like uh looking down on whatever right i want to remind people that the guy is 23 24 years old okay this the views he has today I can guarantee won't be the views that he has in 20 years. Okay? So Bruh. No. Roger. We were, let's all remember what we were doing. I remember when I was pushing Obama, okay? Yeah. So so, <laughs> so what I'm saying is uh it could be an opportunity to to be like, "All right, I hear we you know where you coming from over that over there, but let me introduce you to this over here." You feel what I'm saying? The the mind, the brain is still moldable. You, you feel what I'm saying? So mm. there's a possibility of being like, yo, look, Jackson, come over here, man. Yo, what you doing? What you doing? Hey, look, let me, let me put you up on game <laughs> on this. Okay? I know you're talking all that other stuff over there, over there, but peep this. Check this out over here. This is what this is what you're not being told. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's a chance to it could be an opportunity is what I'm saying. He's been told those things, though. He's been told yeah, those things. Some people are hard-headed. You know, were you hard He's young. He young. You guys know what I was doing when I was Jackson Hinkle's age. What is he? Is he 22 or 23 now? 23, maybe 24. Okay, look. When I was his age, I was going to parties all the time with my friends. Like, I was a college student. <laughs> At least when I was 22, like, I was going to parties all the time with my friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I was doing jello shots. I was drinking PJ. <laughs> you don't know, that's like pajama mix. Like, you wear your PJs, and then you mix up Everclear. And you can't do this anymore, I don't think. But you take Everclear, and you mix it into, like, fruit punch and a big trash can. And you throw in, like, gummy bears and, like, fruit and, like, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I don't need to be teaching you guys these things. Anywho... I was doing things like that. Like I was, and I volunteered with the Girl Scouts. I was doing that too. But like, I was, I was doing shit like that. Like I wasn't doing what Jackson Heath was doing. I wasn't trying to like organize and like, yeah, I did volunteer work, but I wasn't trying to unite people in a sense. Like I, I volunteered for the Girl Scouts of America and I volunteered for Habitat Humanity. And like, that was like my jam. But I mean, like, doing those things but that being said i think the problem is is that when people push back i i will say this in case you can let me know how you feel about this and you too brent i think when you're that young and you grow that fast i think it is not healthy and i think it can kind of put you in a place where you kind of feel like you have to keep that momentum does that make sense yeah, and, and that's growing too fast can be a problem, and then also getting audience captured can be a problem. And you're talking about um, starting your own YouTube show, right, Saps? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I definitely give a lot of respect to people who say like, "Hey, I know my audience loves." For example, they say, "Oh, I know my audience loves Jimmy Dore." But I'm going to criticize Jimmy Dore anyway. Or they say the opposite. Because I, I know 
I remember watching um, you or RBN. I think uh, CJ went a while back. He criticized Jimmy Dore. I remember Rome criticizing Jimmy Dore. So, like, to me now where I hear um, certain people talk about how you guys are really on Jimmy Dore, like, um, like what, Jimmy Dore doesn't do anything wrong. I'm like, but I remember, like, months ago when they did criticize you. So that's why I give you guys props for, for doing that. And um, that's definitely something that shows that you have integrity when you say, hey, to, to my audience, as much as you guys might love uh, this person, I'm going to criticize them when I think they're right or when I think they're wrong. And But I'll give them props when I do think they're right. You know, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I will say, like, um, I'm glad you brought that up, Case, because multiple times, like, people have said, like, you guys never criticize, uh, criticize Jimmy Dore. Um, actually, that's that's not true. There's been mm-hmm. a couple of times. And then also there was one time, like even with that beef with him and Nina Turner, even I said on my show, I was like, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't agree with Jimmy on that one. And he played it on his show. He played it on the show me saying like, yeah, I didn't take what she said that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. I didn't know where, where he got that from, but I was like, I didn't take what she said the way that he did. Mm-hmm. So I think that like, I think what people need to understand is like on 99.9% of the issues, we do agree with Jimmy. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's why we don't mm-hmm. criticize him as much. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like, and I want to get your take on this too, Brent is like, do you think there's a danger of like growing too fast? And how do you feel about like possible like infiltrators getting involved in actions? You're talking, if we're talking about Jackson for a moment, um, age is not an excuse because I live in Southern California. He's from a city south of me. I am familiar with people like him. Superficial vein and a grifter mentality. It's not just him. It's all Newport Beach. The stereotype of the superficial fake vein person in Southern California is true. It's exaggerated in the media, but it is true. Every person I deal with, I have to be careful because they have, they're like used car salesmen. Like every time I buy something, people like Jackson, they approach me. It's, it's, you get this feeling that they're, they're not sincere. And I get that feeling with Jackson looking at his actions. He's clearly a grifter. He he sees the wind where where the money is going. So if he can make more money pushing his MAGA communism agenda or uh, saying uh, objectable things to people, he will push that. Before he was a quote unquote environmentalist, that that I that mentality that agenda has long been gone. I mean, he, there's a, there's a clear shift in his, what he's, what he talks about in YouTube, cause he's following the money. He's being, he's sold out. And age is not an excuse because you're an adult. And if you, if you make the decision to be on YouTube, on social media, to speak at these rallies, then the criticism is fair game. And I don't care how old or young you are. Most people younger and older than him know that he's he's a sellout and he's a fraud and his anti quote unquote anti-war message. You ask him the definition of anti-war, he'll tell you and 
his positions will not match. What is mm. anti-war? Is it is it not funding the military industrial complex? Russia has a military industrial complex, yet he su- yet he supports the Russian invasion. So where's the consistency? And for people who say that the left is too is too um there's a purity test. Well, yeah, that's kind of the that's called having standards. And I know that's an AOC quote, so that's probably not the best quote, but it's kind of true. Like if if you want to push a movement, you have to have standards and and if there's an inconsistency, then people should have have the right to call that out. Like any social issue that you got you guys care about if if there's a race someone who 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 supports racist ideology would you would you listen to what they what they have to say about reparations i don't think so um what about let's say the environment someone claims that they're 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 pushing for the environment yet they're getting money from the fossil fuel industry and they're supporting um i don't know hummers would you would you really trust what they're saying like what would you want would you want this person to try to attract people to the movement i don't think so so basically i feel like jackson he's not acting in good faith he's he's doing it for the money and he's seeing the the growing the info the infiltration is he's allowing it and he's doing it for the money and i'm surprised more people don't call him out for it Hmm. In reference to the money, though, isn't I want to bring in um I Corona I Corona you gotta unmute. In reference to the money, isn't his channel demonetized? I think I covered this like last year, like he was demonetized on YouTube. So let me know if if I'm off here. Go ahead, I Corona. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so regarding abolishing capitalism, you know, you and I share su- such a, a view of like nothing's going to really be solved until we figure out a system, a, di- a different sort of infrastructure. Um, so the way I see it as far as war goes is that it's part of the structure the way it is. And it's always been part of it, um, whether it's colonialism, whether it's sanctions, whether it's economic war, war is just business and uh, business is, is exploitation. So like the whole capitalist business structure itself is, is exploitative. So I don't see how just being against the physical war and just the military industrial complex part of it, just saying that you're against anybody, like going to rallies, like if there's nothing, there's no infrastructure suggestion of changing over to something else you know, then I don't see how any of it amounts to anything other than just looking like, like the same thing as saying abolish the police, you know? Um, I saw something pretty disturbing on YouTube. Um, and I thought it was a joke, like a spoof channel, but it was this team of, uh, bounty hunters who didn't seem to have any regulation and they seemed to be breaking laws left and right. And they're filming it. And I thought it was a joke at first. And it turns out they're actual, licensed bounty hunters doing things that the, that go against a lot of state authority laws and, you know, federal, you know, different things. Like they didn't even have a warrant for what they were doing. And they're, and I thought it was a joke and apparently there, there are people doing that. So if we're talking about abolishing the sort of governmental police and military, we got to think about the sort of replacement wackos 
that are going to be in that place now, these vigilante type people um, that I thought would would not be able to do what I saw on YouTube. And it seems like it's just all it's all chaos now with these private companies dictating the laws and everything else over the federal laws over anything. You just have a complete inversion of like it's just in stage capitalism. But what comes next? You know, if we don't have any sort of setup, we don't have any platform structurally or infrastructure wise. I just don't see it amounting to anything. Good points. Um, I want to bring in, I'll go back to you, Noel. I want to bring in Natori because she's um, just got in here. Natori, you got to unmute. I want to hear what you have to say about all of this. I'm going to. Hello. I just want to say um, about the Norman Freak Me Frankenstein guy. Finkelstein. I don't. Okay, I don't think um, the left is canceling itself out. I feel like a lot of people saying they on the left, and they a lot of them are mostly blue doll Democrats or moderate. That's what I think. Mm. What do you think about the whole, for example, some of the organizing spaces? Like the criticisms about rallies and not just this rally, but like the Medicare for all marches, like anything like that. Like, what do you think about that in terms of the left canceling self out? See, that's kind of hard for me because it is, I feel like, I feel like it's infiltration, a lot of it going on because I feel like a lot of people that's claiming they on the left and being progressive, they not really on the left or progressive they really a democrat and then it's like the reason why i feel like republicans don't have this problem because they can come together they they don't even like each other but they can come together on one issue but um i could say on the left it's like a lot of people i ain't gonna say all of them but it's nitpick it's like who can be in the club who can't be in the club that's what it gives me sometime too mm-hmm well said. Go ahead, Noel. Um, I wanted to touch on what um, I was saying as well as Brent. Um, the re- the reality is this is a-, a capitalist nation, and capitalism is all about extraction and exploitation. And if you look at the entire history of this nation, imperialism has been its outward face and you know, white supremacy has been its inward face, but the only thing that has been consistent through all those faces is the extraction, is the exploitation. And so on the left, what would be the left, you have much more diversity because those are the all the groups that happen to be non-cishet. The one advantage that the right and the Republicans have, and there's more consistency over there, is it's basically homogenous. It's basically white people, and they have that cord of connection, be they rich or poor, and it is that core principle that guides them, even including the libertarians who are on the right, who will, when it comes down to it, vote more Republican than not. And so no matter how much diverse interest they have, they have that one thing, those two things to capitalist ideology and generally speaking, white cis heterosexual stuff 
that brings them all together. There is no commonality on what would be the left because you have you have the racial diversity, the sexual diversity, ethnic diversity. So you have many more things going on and it's harder to build those ideological coalitions. And so it, it makes sense to me. And then to um, Notori's point, you have people on what would be the left really having more things in common with the right. We have lots of Democrats, including the elected ones, who are all about capitalism. So it's very hard to um, identify, like we said in the very beginning, that core set of principles that brings these people all together. But then to Brent's point, when you say, well, what is anti-war? Is it anti-interventionist? Is it anti-war period because you're about humanity and a right to life? But we know that in this country, even people who will be anti-war with respect to spending all this money in Ukraine are still about the imperialist aspects of war that will allow them to extract once this is over. We know that there are people who feel like 100 billion in Ukraine um, investiture is too much, but they would be comfortable with 45. And so it's a whole lot going on. But what I do appreciate is if this congregation of people who are doing this um, event is not your cup of tea, there is another constellation coming and maybe you can get with this group. But until we have those ideologies that help everybody, gives everybody an opportunity to be at the table, we're always going to have these type of problems on what people would like to call the left. You know, and 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 you know, and I'm gonna make this quick point. We're in a very vulnerable space in this nation because we in this late stage predatory capitalism, we're very vulnerable to fascism because people are very afraid that they are not going to survive within any group, however you identify it, be it poor whites, blacks, descendant of slaves, everybody who is beneath the absolute rich elite are afraid. And in those situations, you become vulnerable because any you know, ideological dem um, demagogue could come along. And if they can pitch you and say like they did in Germany, if they can convince poor whites that blacks are the problems or immigrants are the problems, we can quickly find ourselves in a deeper fascism than I think we already are because people are afraid for their existence. Yeah. Um, Roger, I'm going to go the go to you in just a second. I want to bring in uh, Bryce. Bryce, you're on the mic. Just got to unmute. Go ahead. Hey, Sabi. Hey, hey, everybody. <clears throat> I think. Uh, hey, how I, are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm getting my ass drunk right now. So, but uh, but I mean, like I'm I'm hearing like everything that everybody's saying and shit like that. Uh, I think uh uh what I'm like concerned about is like uh. uh the fight and shit like that. Um, and also, uh, I just, you know, I'm curious about like, how, how do we define the left? 
I just watched your, the Garland Nixon one, uh, like, uh, today about like what, how he defined it, you know, uh, as far as like, uh, you know, he, he, he called it, you know, uh, basically like the left and the right, uh, you know, the right were like the individuals that were the oligarchs and the people that were on the left, you know, they oh, were yeah. like, he, said, like yeah. he, he yeah. said, what is it? Yeah. 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 So, so like, I just, you know, I think that's the thing that we need to ask ourselves as, 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 you know, uh, supposedly the left movement, you know what I'm saying? How do we define ourselves and shit like that? So, you know, I, I think if anything, that's the question that I propose, you know, to everybody. I think that's a good question. Um, let's go ahead and bring in Roger. I know you were trying to unmute. Go ahead, Roger. So I think this whole thing is is a good um, exercise in um, like the whole debate of what's left and so on and so forth. I think it's a healthy exercise in debate, so on and so forth. But again, at the end of the day, okay, we have to put concrete action into enacting these policies at, at the end of the day. Because um, it's going to, that's what's going to change, you know, our lives, right? So, um, like, there was something, I had a, I had an idea for the, for the, uh, oh, oh, so I had an idea for the police, right? Maybe you can do like, what about having, let's say, a ballot initiative that says any person who comes, who, who either one, ban people who were um, in the military from becoming cops, okay, because, you know, we don't need them coming back with PTSD and all that different type of stuff, right? Or they have to go, I don't know, like some regular uh, uh, monthly psych evaluation or whatever the case is, right? Or the other thing, right? Because, because this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about putting putting something to action, okay? Running initiatives, whatever the case is, right? What about this? Do you remember what I told you before? What When I told you that it was the police departments that um, were were the most, what was that? That, that, um, that they were the biggest kept secret in terms of uh, steroid use running rampant through the police departments. Remember, mm -hmm. remember when I said that? Yeah. So I don't know, maybe mandatory surprise steroid drug tests. You know, and, you know, I'm just throwing ideas out pretty much. But pretty much what I'm saying is it's a good intellectual exercise. You know what I mean? It's good to, you know, we do the rallies and so on and so forth and you know, that's all good. But at the end of the day, we have to put these things into policy. And the one thing that it's like, I, I see that if, if you can come up with a rally, you know what I'm saying? If you could do this, if you could do that, you can also do a ballot initiative. That's right. You know, it, seems, it seems like that's the one thing that people are not trying. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, yeah, yeah we need to do this rally. We need to do that march. We need to do that protest. We need to do the. We mm -hmm. need to do a a, a, um, a debate. The great debaters. We need to have people on on shows, doing all this stuff, 
but the very thing that it's like you're beating around the bush you're not hitting the target because you know that I mean? requires work uh roger and some people don't want to do work well that's, that's what so it's about. About. well, uh, well uh, i just wanted to like you know say that to like roger like it, it it is a lot. I think uh, anybody that doesn't know like what BIs are and shit like that, like you, you're the first person that like you know got got me hip to that shit. So mm-hmm. like I'm doing uh, doing a little bit of reading, you know, while I'm you know doing my boxing and you know doing my art shit, you know. Uh, but you know, it's just it's kind of a lot, you know. And I think you know if people but you're like not are not. That's yeah, the see, people, that's what I'm saying. There's this thing that people are thinking, oh, man, I'm doing it alone. No, you're not doing it alone. We we are your support team. All of us are your support team. And I think we have a loud voice. We got some amplifiers that we're not using. We got them in the, in the garage somewhere. We could take them amplifiers out. Okay, you're not alone is what I'm trying to tell people. You know what I mean? You just, you know, like, uh, I- need to file it. You know what I mean, and then boom, like you could go on Sabrina's show. You could be, you could be going on all well, these different shows. Oh, yeah, well, my bad, I didn't interrupt you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, uh, I hear you on that. I think if anything, it's just the reading part of it. You know, I'm trying to understand it. It's like what I'm trying to, you know, do and shit like that. So, you know, you if anything, you stuff? I can up? send you some stuff. I can send you some stuff to easy reading. I know, I know you like. Uh, I have that link open and shit like that. Uh, as far as like what you sent me about like Nevada. Uh, Bi's here and shit like that. So I I just got to read through all of those documents. Okay, yeah, no, no, no problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, a, it's still open. You have a support team. I don't want people thinking that they that they're alone and they're doing this by themselves. The moment that you come on here and say, "Yo, Rod, yo, guess what? I'm doing a ballot initiative for Nevada Public Bank, or or a uh, single payer." or whatever the case is. Uh, I don't know if weed is already legal in Nevada. You know, whatever the case is. The moment <laughs> that you come on in, you say that, Sabrina will be the first one to have you on the show. You establish like a little a link to, to, to donate to the campaign, to the ballot initiative campaign. She can she can send you over to, I don't know, Case and, and everybody else on RBN. You know what I mean? Make the rounds. You know, and they get, get get you on some shows. Maybe you could get on your local news or something. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, well, Roger, I would never be the face of like anything. So, like, I'm, I'm no, no. I'm, I mean, never, well, you know, I'm nervous. Right? I'll probably like get Leroy to do it. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Get Leroy. Get Leroy. Who's Leroy? Uh, Leroy uh, Beresford. Like, I got his number. You know, what I'm saying so. I got. I, oh, I'm in contact Leroy. with him. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's he's here in Nevada and shit like that. So he's in Vegas, but okay. he stays on the north oh, side yeah. though. I haven't met him yet, but like I do talk to him, I text him and shit like that. So he let me know a, a lot about like what what's going on, like as far as like uh, Nick Brown and like all of that shit. So like, he, <laughs> he's been he's been telling me so. The one person party. Yeah, get whoever oh, you gotta awesome. get. I'm going to close out in just a second, guys, um, in a couple of minutes, but I just want to make sure I go around the the table really quick. Notori, I'm going to start with you, and then we're going to swing back around. Just got to unmute, Notori. Okay, I have this quick thing to say. It's about Jackson Hinkle. I used to love that guy until I saw what happened to him. It's like YouTube, and everybody took his channel. 
So to me, it's like just being honest. He had a whore himself out, like being a whore and whoring for money. That's if that's your choice, you do it. But I feel like he was whoring himself out for the the next person to give him money. And to me, I just feel like he was a sellout. But I feel like I saw him like we're gonna do that. He was gonna take that Hassan guy approach. It's just sad to see it. Mm-mm-mm. Brent just gotta unmute. Wow, um, Notori basically said what I said, but in a more um, how do I put it, more up direct way. Um, yeah, he he's a sellout, but it shouldn't be a, a surprise if you consider the culture in Southern California, like. People outside of Southern California are probably surprised by people like Jackson Kinkle. How could he sell out? How can he grift? But if if you live here long enough, you it's it's not surprising at all. It's just another another sellout for money, and I see it too much. And um, he's just another one of those guys. So when I see people on YouTube like acting all surprised, it's, it's kind of like, oh. I guess you don't live, you don't, you're not where Jackson is from. So, yeah, it's it is really sad because I I wanted to give him a chance, but even though I was one of the first ones to be skeptical, because he, he was always bashing um, AOC and the squad for for forced to vote, and he was right about the Jimmy Dore drama, all that kind of stuff. But I was always suspicious about him, so I I sent him a super chat asking him. How could we trust that you are not going to sell out be, if if you're presented with enough money? And he gave a really weird answer like, oh, you have to be about principle, all that kind of stuff. But I just knew, knowing what I know now, I mean, it's just another, another – she just said the right things to get to a certain point where uh, people would be – giving him sponsorships. Like you said, Sabby, people were offering him sponsorships and he just took them. And it's just really, it's kind of pathetic. And I just can't believe the amount of people defending this guy. Um, Sabi, you, this channel would be outraged if someone was going on YouTube claiming that they're for reparations or some other issue that you care about. And then on the side, he's pushing segregation because he's getting money from a racist organization. It's just kind of like, how could you like, how could you wrap your heads around supporting someone that's been so anti claims that he's anti-war, yet he's pushing a Russian invasion of a sovereign country, and it's just so ridiculous. But people, they they they're fooled by i don't know they're fooled by i don't know how he presents himself on on a screen so that's yeah. basically what i just want to say about that so i think it gets to some people i i think like growing that fast like at, at I, I don't think it's i'll be honest with you guys like i don't think it's healthy to grow that fast at that like when you're that young i don't think it's healthy i'm just the money and i've I've worked with, I've, had, I've had students. <laughs> yeah, I've had students that have had YouTube channels, not political YouTube channels, 
but they did like vlogs and stuff. And I saw it with them too. To grow that fast, that young, I don't, I just don't think it's healthy. Um, but I want to pivot to Case. What's up, Case? Closing out. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me as usual. I just want to give a, a different take. Like I want, just like what Roger said, you know, we have this march going on. What else can we do? We got um, ballot initiatives we can work on, just other initiatives. Just I think we definitely need to criticize those who need to criticize, who needs to be criticized so we can warn other people about them, like Jackson Hinkle. But we also have to use energy to find out how can we build? What's the next move after this anti-war rally? What's the next move after the um, pink, cold pink rally? How can we get the word out for that uh, more? Everyone who's tweeting about Jackson Hinkle, they could be tweeting about the next rally that's happening. So the same energy we go into warning people, hopefully uh, we can use that same energy to try to promote something and to try to get an initiative off the ground. I just want to say also that, um, unfortunately, Sharma Swan, I was supposed to interview her uh, last Tuesday, I believe, and she wasn't feeling well, so I have to reschedule. So I'm looking forward to rescheduling that. But that brings me once again to the point of spokesmen. Like if she was sick, uh, workers, uh, you, I think workers strike back. They should have maybe a lineup of spokespeople that could say, oh, Sharma is not feeling well. I would have been more than happy just to get anybody, whoever's uh, in the leadership or who can articulate the questions that I would ask about workers strike back. I would love to have that person. It doesn't just have to be Sharma. So um, the left organizing and getting better at promoting their initiatives you guys might get mad at, at some of the places that I go uh, promoting mutual aid party, but I'm going to give the same energy that Sabrina gave to everybody when they had, when she had uh Rokana on It's like, Hey, we get, he's part of that 1%. I wanted to ask him special questions. I'm trying to get the word out with this initiative. I'm going to be going everywhere that would have me much love to everybody in the chat. All right. Case. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us. Uh, Roger, closing thoughts, and then we'll go to Noel. I forgot to mention that I think we need a new name for Pete Buttigieg. Call him the derailer. He derailed Bernie's campaign. Now he's derailing trains. Um, second, um, for all of those who are spreading untruths and lies and is always trying to throw uh, monkey wrenches into stuff I will let Sabrina have the last word false and complete fiction <laughs> that is utterly false and complete fiction <laughs> damn <laughs> that's gonna be a meme watch that's gonna be a meme oh my god um <laughs> Noel, I just want to say I do so appreciate this space and the exchange of ideas. I think when we engage in these type of discourses, it helps us sharpen and clarify our own views. I know it does for me. And I know I'm probably with Delthea, probably one of the oldest people in this space, but I do so appreciate it. And Again, I say all power resides to the people and be clear and keep your eyes on the prize and your back to the win. Good morning.